everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, show number 384. I'm your host, Chris Elner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. It's going to be a classic show this week, as uh, we are doing our second straight year of this special Christmas uh, episode Christmas. for our listeners. Christmas Hanumas, I like to call it. Hanumas episode for our listeners. Well, they actually overlap again this year, so yeah. But, yes, uh, they do. As always, I'd like to apologize to my wife, Nancy. <laughs> uh, yes, it was such a rousing success last year that we're bringing it back. As yes, we have not one, but two guests this week, and they are two favorite guests of all we have, and we have a lot of great guests we love, but these are our two favorites, and when we have them on together, it's just magic. Magic in the air, as we are joined this week by our dear friend from the north, Canada's greatest uh, import to the United States, but he's back home now. We are joined by the infamous Robert O'Connor. Should have called him Welcome. a North Carolina hero, too. <laughs> Welcome yes. back, Mr. O'Connor. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh... Like a uh, Sean Waltman turd in your Christmas stocking. We're uh, <laughs> back in time for the holidays. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's uh, always a special gift that uh, when you get that great turd in the stocking. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so not only are we joined by Mr. O'Connor, but we are also joined by our dear friend, the South's favorite son, we're joined by the King of Kingsport, Bo James. And Bo, welcome back. Happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this, and I believe this is our third year, not second. If it is, I mean, you may be right. But I'm thinking it's three, and we're going to cover a great time period, because just like the stories we were telling off the air, the Furnham Durnham was running wild in the wrestling <laughs> 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 yes. nine. Yeah, this is a interesting period right here, as we're going to get into here. The week plus, because this is a 10-day, 11-day show, of uh, December 11th through the 21st of 1989. And um, as we'll get into later on, there's a lot of big changes going on in the wrestling business. And uh, not in the major places, but in, in, in the territory system, what was left of it. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. But yeah, we have a uh, a great topic to begin, though. As we go to the National Wrestling Alliance, we start with Dave Meltzer. Before getting the comments on Starcade '89 itself, let's take a look at the show. Starcade, traditionally NWA's biggest spectacular of the year, dating back to 1983, was composed this year of an Iron Man and Iron Team tournament. The tournaments each have four participants or teams that would have round robin matches against one another. This creates unique face versus face and heel versus heel matches. The victors would be determined by a point system, which was never released publicly until the day of the event. So similar to the New Japan point system for their tournaments, 20 points for a pinfall or submission victory, 50 for countout, 10 for DQ, 5 for each man for a title of a draw, or they supposed to double countout, double DQ, although that was never specified. Losers would get zero points. The Japan system, five for a pin, four for a count out, three for DQ, win two for a draw, was also considered. But it was felt it would be psychologically more impressive to fans to have winners with 40 points than winners with 10. 
This was the first of its type that Dave knew of in the United States. Japan has similar tournaments, but with larger fields, and they take place over a few-week period. Okay, real quick, I just realized something. Um, you know, we always talk about how this was a bad use of Starcade. It doesn't feel like Starcade. You know, why did they do this? I mean, even of the gimmick Starcades, I think you can argue it's the one that feels least like Starcade. Yes. And I just realized something. Even though I don't think they ever pushed it that way. Um, okay, so what was the date of the show? The 13th. The WCW video game came out four days earlier. The WCW video game has a round-robin mode. Yes. Is that the idea, potentially? I mean, I don't know if the, a tie-in... I, mean, uh, I think you're giving them too much credit. They're <laughs> tying in there with the video game. Well, I, mean, I should really? mention, too, it only has a round-robin mode because it's just Japanese game Superstar Pro Wrestling with... WCW wrestlers skinned over the Japanese wrestlers, and none of the moves changed. I think, I mean, to me, uh, uh, I think this is a Jim Hurd idea. You think Jim Hurd came up with round robins? I don't buy that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, Ric Flair. I mean, he's the he's the, the head booker at this point in time. This doesn't sound like a Ric Flair idea. It doesn't sound like a Cornette idea either, or a Kevin Sullivan idea. So, yeah, that's why Who I would you... put, I, look at Hurd. Who do you think was the uh, Kenny Omega point person on that video game? <laughs> Michael Hayes. <laughs> or Mike Rotunda. Mike Rotunda was a tough, tough owl in that game. Boy, he kicked you with that uh, <laughs> yeah. double underhook suplex. I, I haven't yeah. tried playing that game in a very long time, but at least as a kid, if I was facing the computer, I could never get past the beginning of the game with Michael Hayes. <laughs> yeah, my guy is a, a tough one to give a rotunda, but definitely tough. Good lord! But um, yeah, I mean, it was just—it was just a whole weird show altogether, you know. As we'll get into weird because it was a midweek show Wednesday. It was two, you know, two weeks before Christmas. Basically, it's just a weird show. The live event drew about six thousand fans to the Omni Atlanta on a Wednesday night, December thirteenth. About fifty-two hundred were paid for a gate of seventy thousand dollars. No baby figures were available at the press time. Even with the excuse that a Wednesday night is the best night for wrestling, the live game has been a major disappointment. Regular shows in the Omni in recent months have drawn upwards of 10,000 fans. Well, they didn't expect a sellout because tournament concept doesn't allow for hyping specific grudge matches, which is what draws impulse buys, not logical buys. They still, still felt the idea of it being a heavily hype review event, Starcade to boot, would be, a good for, would be good for at least 10,000 fans again. Also because of the 7 p.m. starting time. Omni shows traditionally start at 8. This is a late arriving crowd. And when a car started there, when the car started, there was barely 2,000 fans in the building. This caused the early matches to lack in heat and make the event look cheap on camera because of all the visible empty seats at ringside. But Atlanta has become notorious for their late arriving crowds over the years recently. So uh, here's Starcade on the you know, setting the trend for, for that. Like, <laughs> like you watch, you'll watch Falcons games, you know, even when they're really, really good at the beginning of the game, you see a whole lot of empty seats and that right. was a major problem. And they leave early and they leave early too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially yesterday when, when they're in the downtown stadiums. Absolutely. Braves don't yeah. have that problem. No more. Ever since they mm -hmm. moved up the road, they don't have that problem. 
but you get the downtown state, the downtown stadiums with traffic, which is a nightmare. Then, uh, yeah, that, that causes problems. Absolutely. But, but I mean, you're older than us and you know, you have, uh, Thanks for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, you were, you know, watching wrestling religiously at this point in time. I mean, your opinion of this, uh, of this going in and doing this type of concept for star K, which was the show. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And 33 years later, I still don't understand it. <laughs> I don't know why they did this because it didn't, it didn't really elevate anybody or any program or any angle or, you know, it, it didn't help anything. Well, it got, it did one thing, which we'll get into. It did do one thing to set the wheels in motion, but yet, but other than that, you're right. It, it really, it just, it's just odd. And like I said, off the air, it exposed the road warriors. We'll keep, we're about to get into that. Absolutely. All right. So let's start. The first match on the night was the Steiner brothers beating doom by count out in 1224. Of course, doom still masked here with fans arriving. There was no big crowd momentum early and the bout started slow. It picked up after Scott took a bump over the top rope at nitron Woman's bodyguard built a seven foot plus, apparently six foot ten or so legit, pounded on him. Which ran through Scott over the top rope again near the ten minute mark. Ref was distracted, missed Scott's comeback near fall on Reed, and after belly to belly, he tagged did Rick. Rick popped Reed with a major potato clothesline, Steiner line, but Nitron tripped him from outside the ring. Rick jumped out, clothesline Nitron, and all four brawled outside in like a double count out, but Rick snuck in the ring to beat the count. It should be mentioned that in this match, along with me and other matches, they were shaving time. They made the 10-minute call at a legit 7 minutes and 30 seconds. And they were calling 4 minutes to go and 3 minutes to go with 2.30 shaved off in real time. In other words, they gave the appearance this was going to a time limit draw. Same appearance throughout most of the car because time was running out when they went to the finish. Two and a half stars. I can't believe Dave didn't mention Doom's ridiculous capes. <laughs> yes, Doom was uh, all decked out in capes here. Uh, I want to hear what... Because this, this is a, a topic of discussion that comes up. So f- rewind back just a tad here. Okay, to where? Just rewind back. Okay. All right, that right. was good. Okay. All right, What? Unmute. Oh. And a draw earns five points for each contestant. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first tag team event uh-huh. in the tag team. What? All right, pause. Notice they're playing the Doom music we're used to. In the overdub, yes, on the network. That's not what they came out to. No, they came out <laughs> so to Bob Seger's Her Struck. Bob yeah. Seger, yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that in just a <laughs> Oh, because this is uh, when the decision is made, right? And we're in that era, yes. <laughs> All right, so yes, that that is a topic of discussion that's coming up. All right, so... Next, we get Lex Luger beating Stink in 11.31. They started with a hot high spot. The time shaving reached its most embarrassing here. At the two-minute mark, Terry Funk, doing color with Jim Ross, said it was the hottest first minute he'd ever seen. Just seconds later, ring announcer Gary Capetta called for the five-minute mark. (laughs) They made the 10-minute call at six minutes into the match. Sting flipped over when Luger attempted a suplex at 9.30 and apparently legitimately hurt his ankle. 
While Sting returned for his match of the rest of the card, he missed the rest of the week's shows. Sting had Superman come back, but missed a few moves, one of which brought out a groan from the crowd. The two were brawling on the apron, and both went over the top rope with Luger falling on top of Sting, and pinning him using the ropes for leverage. Because of the time shaving, this match again went down to the final seconds before the finish. In fact, since they had four minutes shaved off, they even went past the work time limit to reach the finish. There were good spots here, and the heat was better than the opener, but nowhere near what the heat should have been with these two. There were a lot of missed moves, and at times Sting looked lost in the ring, and finish looked bad. Two and a quarter stars. See, here's the thing, Bo, about this, about this, this whole concept. Lex Luger and Sting, in their first big singles match against each other, should have been a major you know, deal on a big time show. Not mm-hmm. the second match on the Starcade in front of a small crowd. And it's just thrown together. Yeah. And they're 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 now, moving quick. Here, here's the here's something I wonder about. Cause we all know what happens like a month later to Sting climbing the cage in Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. Does he originally hurt his knee here? No. No, I mean he 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 may have uh, you know had a little ankle issue, but no no he's he he works throughout January with. But you, what you I'm know. saying is is it a <clears throat> slight tear here that no one sees? They just think you know he's banged up. I mean, why do you say that it, though? Because he's because going so hard just, doing all these well, elaborate high spots, or just just by Wahoo pulling him on the cage should have not ripped his knee completely through. Uh, you'd be surprised, though. Hmm. There are a lot of knee inj- bad knee injuries and stuff that happen just on weird bad steps and stuff. Oh, I mean, I've this happens in, happens in football games and non, you know, non-contact, you know, just planning the wrong way. Yeah, it just happened to Tennessee's quarterback. Yeah, but, I mean, th- things can happen. I mean, could, could this have been more than what they're saying? It could have been. We don't know. But I mean, I he works way too much, and he looks looks good, and does all the sting stuff in January. He doesn't. It, it, you, when you watch the tapes of him in January, he doesn't look like anything's really bothering him. I saw mm-hmm. him live in January. Yeah, you, exactly. Oh, the yeah, I mean, they, City show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is anything possible? Yeah, anything's possible. But I, I don't think that's. That works with this one this far back. Right. Um, let's watch that first minute, well, once they get back to the ring that Funk puts over, and then let's also see if Dave is accurate about how quickly the five-minute call comes after. Because it is worth checking out. The ring by the Stinger. Sting wisely brought him back into the ring. You want to try to get a pinfall in one of these earlier matches, Jim, to get that 20 points early. I heard in one of our syndicated broadcasts, you said that if you were in it, you would go for a pin early and often. 15 minutes sudden that time limit. And the Stinger with those big right hands, Luger is in trouble at the outset of this contest, Harry. Right now, Sting has to stay on top of him, and like you say, he should be going for a pin right now. At least I would. Maybe, here, here he goes. Oh, he caught himself. He caught himself, Terry. And Luger missed the clothesline. Oh, oh and the Stinger tagged him. Was that athletic ability? Oh,
most exciting, exciting first minute of a wrestling match I think I've ever, ever seen. The Stinger dominated the U.S. champion thus far. You know, people from all over the world are converging on Atlanta this week, not only to witness Starcade, but also to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the classic film Gone with the Wind. Oh, God, that was a big deal. Really happy to see all the fans Huge. in town. Oh, Hope God. Great what? The 50th anniversary of Gone with the Wind was a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Jonesboro, where they where they filmed the book of the movie. Oh my God! Because I, we would go through Jonesboro all the time in that era. They just go to South Lake Mall and whatever. Oh, you can't <laughs> go through. You couldn't go through downtown. <laughs> there was so many fucking tourists there. Oh, interesting. Oh, they God. made so much stuff there. Dukes of Hazard, Gone with the Wind, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, Dukes, uh, Duke, yeah, Dukes, yeah, yeah, Dukes and Smokey definitely was in downtown Jonesboro and McDonough. Yeah, you know, yeah, Bert loved filming down here. Absolutely, loved now, it. <laughs> as for the actual match, I, the rest of the match doesn't quite live up to the beginning, but it's still really good. Ugh, I did. I thought it was pretty bad toward the end. It got sloppy. The, the yeah. finish was. Uh, if, if Jr. had coined the term "bowling shoe ugly," it would have been. Uh, yeah, it uh, got sloppy. It, it got sloppy at the end. That said, the open is incredibly impressive. Regardless, I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it was, well, both men are work are you know at their peaks here physically, you know, basically, and and athletically yes. in a lot of ways. I mean, Steve- that's why they would have had a hell of a fucking match if they let him do it. Yeah, I, I don't know, Chris. Have you seen Lex lately? <laughs> no, I mean then. Oh, I mean now. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm saying he's uh, might be at his physical peak. Last I heard, I, I Ro- saw rolling along nicely. Oh, 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 oh God! <laughs> Go ahead, Bo. I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> uh, I saw Sting and Luger. In December and January. Yeah. I saw them at the Bristol taping and at the uh, um, Johnson City taping. And the one in Johnson City was out of... It was one of the best matches the two of them ever had. It was the dark match for Mm -hmm. that uh, Power Hour taping. Um. But it was kind of it, – it drew the house that night in Johnson City because the six-man tag that everybody talks about now years later from that event was not even advertised. Yeah. So – but I also saw them somewhere else around this time, and it stunk the building up. So they the both had an off nights together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It all depends. All right. So we get that. And then we go to the Road Warriors being Doom in 831 by Penfall. Woman changed her dresses between each appearance, similar to Elizabeth at the 1985 Wrestling Classic in Chicago, where Randy Savage worked four times. They called five minutes at two minutes, 45 seconds this time. Hawk missed a shoulder block and went to the floor, and they tried to get heat on Hawk. The crowd never even made a peep, let alone a pop on their falls on the Warriors, which makes it very hard to get heat on them because people don't buy them selling. 
They didn't even pop for a near fall when Butchery did the elbow drop off the top on the hall for when they and when he went for the cover. They called it ten minutes at six minutes and fifty seconds. <laughs> Hall gave Animal uh, the hot tag at 7:48. Finished off Butch about to pick up Animal for a power driver. When Hawk clotheslined him off the top rope, and Animal got on top for the pin. Two stars. And Matt Watch, who's there live, Steve Beverly's there live, and ha- hanging with uh, their crew, Bruce Grummert, of course, part of the group, led the ringsiders in a chant of "Ron Simmons sucks" during this match. Aww. Oh, were the Nag Duke- twins were there with them? Yes, they were. <laughs> and 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 don't for, and don't and this is the time where Doom is masked. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Even though everybody knows who they are, but they're still masked. <laughs> well, I, I will say uh, the upside to Doom losing all these matches was uh, getting <laughs> getting to see woman make pouty faces at ringside, <laughs> which was uh, a, a good look on her, but. I agree. What, what wasn't really <laughs> at this point in time? Yeah, she was. Uh, she was at her peak at this time as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, of course we had uh, Nitron. Yes, was, that's right. Uh, Daryl Carlette. Sa- yes, uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan's own. <laughs> there you go. Tyler May, uh, Big Sky. Good. Various other guys is uh, do doing what he did best, which was stand there and be tall. <laughs> He's yes. Uh, Actually, I believe, last I checked, he's still the reigning UWF MGM Grand Champion. That's right. You remember well, he beat uh, Steve the Wild Thing Ray in a uh, <laughs> a real barn burner at the Blackjack <laughs> Brawl. <laughs> That's it. Still, still one of my favorite moments. I know you guys have uh, talked about yes. the Blackjack Brawl, but uh, Steve Ray's uh, ring entrance for that match uh, the ring announcer actually says, wait until you see this guy. Wait until you see this jacket. <laughs> Steve Rossi, yeah, <laughs> the legend. Yes, for the record, uh, that show had matches for the inaugural UWF America's Championship, the inaugural UWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, the vacant Sports Channel Television Championship, the Southern States Championship, the inaugural Midget Championship, <laughs> the inaugural MGM Grand Championship, the vacant women's championship, the inaugural. This is the inaugural world. Yeah, I guess it was the inaugural world tag titles because there wasn't any tag titles before, and the world title, which had previously been the Sports Channel Television title. Hey, step up your game, Tony Khan. <laughs> <laughs> nothing well, at all hurt. Well, now that ROH isn't going to be on AEW TV as much, yeah, he, he is Tony Deck. So wait, well, wait. that's what's been said. <laughs> we'll see. Wait, four, five. Six, seven, eight. So there are nine title matches in eleven on an eleven match show. If we include ROH, AEW has just for the Tony controlled belt, so no New Japan or anything. It's what like thirteen. Yeah, it's a lot. And that's not counting the uh, AAA tag titles, the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles, the Regina DeWave title. <laughs> In, in Canada, it's the uh, the Regina DeWay. <laughs> Do you call it Orangina too? <laughs> All right. So next we get uh, Ric Flair and Great Muda, their first uh, match of the night, and, and Flair wins in less than two minutes, one fifty-five. Ollie and Arn came down the ringside with Flair. Match started out furious because obviously it's going to be a quickie, and got the first real heel of the show. 
Buster Sawyer and the Dragon Master ran in. Anderson's brawl with him outside the ring. Muda went for the moonsault, but Flair got his knees up and then cradled him for the win. This was the most excitement on the card except for the final match, with two short to be rated higher than two stars. Hmm. Yeah. Muda, Muda getting jobbed out in less than two minutes here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I won't say Muda had the boo-boo face here, but uh, <laughs> I thought he was doing the bare minimum of selling for Rick. Uh, you go back and rewatch the match. And, yeah. unless, you were, unless you were around to see Muda in 88 and 89, you can't understand how over he was with the WCW audience. Oh, God. They want him babyface so bad. Yes. So bad. Should have happened to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're going to turn flair, do, the, do a double, have Muda turn face. Mm-hmm. And then and work with Sting, and then and think about this, you know, if Muda's babyface, Sting is hurt. Muda could step into that whole thing with Flair and Russell War, and you just keep Luger heel. Yep, you know, that been a hell of a piece of business. But well, you you pitch it to Gary Hart in his <laughs> switchblade, Chris. Yeah, Uncle Gary wouldn't uh, didn't go along with that. <laughs> no, he did not. His cue Tabitha. ball and a sock and a straight right <laughs> Yeah. He would have got that. Uh, he would have called up some of his buddies out in Texas or something that uh, he was doing business with uh, later on in the year, <laughs> later on 1990, to get the Texas World Federation off the ground. No, no, Texas World Federation Championship Wrestling, a.k.a. the yes. Texas Wrestling Federation, a.k.a. Texas Championship <laughs> Wrestling, which is really bringing class back to Texas wrestling. <laughs> class wrestling, yes. if you will. Yes, yes. Next, we get the big match. Steiners beating the Road Warriors at 727. This unique matchup had good action, but surprisingly little crowd response. Was told by those live that the crowd was into the match, just didn't pop big because they were confused as to how to react. This bout would have gotten over real big in Japan. Again, no peeps, let alone pops, when the Steiners put winning moves on the Road Warriors. The hot move of the match was Scott giving Hawk ability to a super place off the top rope. Wasn't a picture-perfect executed move, but still creative. Finish saw Animal have Scott up on a back suplex. Hall came off the top of the clothesline and built Choshu Hamaguchi finish. But both Scott and Animal had their shoulders down when it hit, hit the mat. Scott raised his account of two. Clear for a rare pinfall loss by the Warriors. Big surprise of the Warriors' loss, which made it obvious they were going to win the tournament as they'd have agreed, never have agreed to it if they weren't getting the payoff in return. While double pin finish has been done too often in the NBA Big Shows in 1989, the fact the Warriors did a job made it less objectionable as that someone else was involved. Three stars. Okay, Bo. I mean, this is this is the big one here. This is the big first-time deal. The Steiners against the Road Warriors. And, uh, yes, this is where the Road Warriors get exposed here as uh, the hotshot young Steiners uh, gave them all they could handle. And Ole Anderson was dead set against this. And was vocal about it because yeah. he said it's going to expose the Warriors and it's not going to help the Steiners, even with the Steiners winning, because the only way they would do it is the way they did it. So it didn't really help anybody or anything because at yeah. the end of the night, Warriors won. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and because he's like, they can't beat the Steiners up. Like they beat everybody else up. 
Steiners can't take them down in time and knots like they take everybody else down in time and knots. Mm -hmm. It's one of those dream matches on paper that people wanted to see but should have never saw. Unless there was something to, to build up to it. Yeah. And you then know. seeing the Steiners standing there next to the Road Warriors and Doom, you realize the Warriors are not as the biggest men in the wrestling business now. No, and that happens. I mean, that's that's the way the wrestling business goes. There's always a new generation that's bigger and stronger, you know, and uh, here's the Steiners who have really gotten over throughout the year 1989, and the Road Wars are still over, but it's just different now. I mean, they're not... They're not the Road Warriors of 1985 anymore. No. You know? They're not these indestructible machines, especially when you yeah. got Scott Steiner out there doing the Frankensteiner and they're doing the stuff off of each other's shoulders and off the top and all these just devastating moves that the Steiner brothers are doing <clears throat> and where the Warriors are still taking people's heads off, but it ain't nearly as fancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll when say uh, God bless Hawk for taking that belly-to-belly -belly off the ropes. That was uh, yeah, pretty, pretty scary. It was uh, all the grace of Jake Hager taking a top-rope runner. <laughs> yeah, Hawk's not used to flying like that. Absolutely. So, quite the match to watch in hindsight. Absolutely. The change in the guard, so to speak. Next, we get Sting over Muda. They've been feuding all year, and Sting wins a 41 to Superplex. Again, no heat at all for this one, which is weird. Because, I mean, it's Sting and Muda. They've been going at it for, for uh, well over six months now. Matches how, many, of, how many matches did they have in Atlanta up, up uh, to A few. Quite a few. Yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, it's... This would seem to be like a maybe, I want to say a blow-off, but still, it's... I think you would go into this thinking this is probably their last singles, make big singles match with each other. Anyway, the match combination is a decent action. Wrestle is still an excellent finish. Muda went for the moonsault. Sting got up. Muda landed on his feet, gave him a karate kick. Muda went back up, top rope again. Sting drop kicked him. Muda crossed himself. And Sting pulled him off with a winning superplex. Two and three quarter stars. Mainly for the closing sequence. Yeah, these two, like I said, they had a hell of a run in these six months here. Lots of, of strong matches. And this one was, you know, a, a good match, but definitely was not one of their best, put that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's sad we didn't – I mean, we got them at Bash 89, but that was their only real big singles match on a big show. So the rest were tag matches and stuff. So shame we didn't get more of Sting and Muda in a big hey, You're time. you're gonna get more. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in 2023, it's crazy yes. to think about. But a tag match though, but still teaming up together. Um, so next we get the new Wild Samoans, Fatu and Samoan Savage, who are actually brothers, beating Doom in A22. No heated off the entire match. Well, it's two heel teams. The work of stuff was actually quite good, good, but the match never had a prayer. The Samoans were subbing for the Skyscrapers, 
who had been advertised for the past month, even though Sid Vicious was hospitalized with a punctured lung back on November 18th. The live crowd was given no explanation for the substitution. They had several weeks on TV to announce the change and didn't, but that's all been said before. On paper, Jim Cornette said it was a last-minute injury and wasn't sure of the severity. And the Samoans got the nod to come in earlier in the day. Ross then followed by saying that Sid had a punctured lung from a match with the Steiners, which Dave says is actually the truth. It was touch and go if he'd be released by the doctor to compete. Contradictory stories since the Steiner match was a month ago, and Cornette said last minute that he didn't know the injury, but Ross did. Still, it's a lot better than, you, than Titan handled similar situations. As if you said, no matter what one might say about two promotions, one is far above the other when it comes to honesty to the public. Although that far ahead is more about the fall than great honesty by NWA. Samoa tried to work his baby face, but fans didn't notice. Finished off Fatu and Reed collided head to head. Reed went down and Fatu stumbled backward to the ropes. The big kahuna, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, then pushed Fatu, who fell on Reed for the pin. But word is a three-star match with no heat, two stars. It's a cold match. You know, it's two heel, heel teams, Robert. And, you know, it's hard, hard to have a, a match in this era of wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to, have the, to do this. I, mean, I was... Uh... A big fan of the uh, the Samoan SWAT team at the time, uh, but yeah, I'd say Dave was almost being generous here. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a high end Frankensteiner, but otherwise pretty blah match. We did uh, did get to hear John Carpenter's Halloween theme and yes. uh, Welcome to the Jungle, both of which I heartily enjoyed as an eight year old. Oh, were yeah. you watching a uh, pay-per-view recording? I did. I queued up uh, for <laughs> for the sake of authenticity. I uh, dug up my old uh, bootleg of the the home video version, okay. which uh, was originally how I saw the the pay-per-view. Since uh, NWA pay-per-views were not available uh, in Toronto at that time, so I had to to hit up the jumbo video after the fact. Jumbo video. Because the home videos, when they actually were paying for the rights to the songs, did have the songs in the, like, in They did, yeah. They, but strangely on this show, like, it it was very inconsistent because, yeah, like, for for this match specifically, you did hear uh, Halloween, but uh, none of their other matches, they, they didn't have any music whatsoever. I think this was the only time you heard "Welcome to the Jungle," so it was it was strange. It was very, very inconsistent. Yeah. All right. So next we get Flair and Luger going to the time limit draw in seventeen oh one. Unlike the previous matches, in which they shaved time, and this one they actually gave them more time. Dave's not complaining or anything about this match going long, but they didn't lock up for two minutes. Flair went for the hard chops, working on the arm early. Started about a bit slow for the short time limit match. It really opened up until the nine-minute mark. From that point on, the match was excellent with one great spot after another. Luger worked over Flair's throat, and Flair was actually coughing. Flair got the figure four on just as they were counting down time, but Luger held on for the draw. Match turned the card around. While the work with every match prior was at least decent and generally good, the heat was subpar except for the Flair Muda quickie. The heat was great for this match, and the crowd stayed hot for most of the rest of the card. Three and three quarter stars. You know, and the thing about this one too is, 
Flair and Luger have now been kept apart for pretty much the entire year 1989. You know, and now you you get them back in this situation here, their first big match since Starcade 88, but the roles are reversed. I mean, yeah, it's that's an extra gravitas to the match. And yeah, it was, it was a hell of a match. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing that's made us, made it so different too from the other matches. Cause you know, oh, they had the flare and Luger head and all those. I said, yeah, but now the dynamics changed. Players to bay face and Lucas to heel. So that makes a completely different deal. You know? Because Lucas not working the same way. Flair is kind of working the same way, but he does more of his offense now that he's a babyface. So yep. So Flair and Lucas going to the draw here. Next eighty eight, eighty eight and eighty nine, there's no doubt that's the hardest Luger worked his whole career too. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm, absolutely. He, he really did improve by leaps and bounds, and he worked hard in this time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was into it. His head was in the game. No doubt about it. Next, we get a Samoans against the Steiners. Samoans win by DQ in 1405. Stall for several minutes before even starting the match. Stall for the first three minutes of the match. Scott Miss Frankensteiner was thrown out of the ring, and they got heat on him. They crossed Scott on the guardrail and was hit by into the groin. He was thrown over the top behind the rest back. Scott was in getting the heat, and they did get heat for six minutes before making a comeback and hitting the Frankensteiner. They were shaving one minute off the time calls. Five minutes came in at four, ten at nine. They were counting down the minutes. Scott flipped Fatu over the top rope, and referee Lee Scott, yes, the great job guy, Lee Scott, stopped for Tommy Young, who still matched from that bump he took in the time Richard might return to the television match, had his back turned, but he wasn't supposed to. This also passed the work time time limit. But Scott said, like he saw S- S- Scott. Does this reconfusing or what? Scott said, like he saw Lee Scott, or, or excuse me, Lee Scott said, like he saw Scott Steiner. Took Fatu <laughs> over and made. The, I'm confused. Threw Fatu over, and made a DQ call. Three minutes, three stars. And Vince McMahon's head would explode. <laughs> but he wasn't using pronouns. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, another fun match, you know, and, and with, with this. And the, the back half of this card is better than the first half, absolutely. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Although, okay, I'm queuing up the finish here, though, because the way they try to – or wait, or is the finish already happened here? Okay. It's – yeah, I think on, they explain this on the replay. The way they – they try to babyface it as Scott not deliberately doing a – Horrific, decuable act. Rick Steiner had had enough. He came in, and he was cleaning house. One of the Samoans rushes at Scott. Scott ducks out of the way. He stands up straight. The referee saw it right out of the... You see right there, right out of the corner of his eye. He was still trying to get Rick off the other Samoan, and then he had to go and confirm that the Samoan had gone over the top rope. Yeah, he just stood up straight. Well, you know... Yeah, the, this was the match with the uh, the very good Frankensteiner. Fatu always took those uh, very well. Yes, although the brothers were not as good a team as Samuel and Fatu. No, definitely not. No. Oh, Mike oh, Atkins. Saying, yeah, I was just going to say, that's Mike Atkins. That's not Lee Scott. Yeah, Mike, yeah, it's Mike Atkins, who was getting ready to do his uh, 
Alabama cover group uh, that letter that night as Radio Owen. Where's Samu at at this time? Samu is um, sitting on the sidelines at this time, and they bring him back and as a singles guy in, in early 90. And uh, he has you know, some singles, little singles feuds. But yeah, this is Fatu and Savage, basically the team of the Samoans for the rest of their run in WCW, basically. And then Samu, during that run, also briefly has a tag team with Joel Deaton for some reason. And <laughs> yeah. Sam, Samu's working the Indies, too, quite a bit this time period. Yes, Joel Deaton, who missed his calling uh, working the Kansas City Territory. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, who so they, who was that scoreboard girl? By the way, um, I I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> very very pretty redhead. Well, it's not paying attention, and that's Mike Atkins in his hair again. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, um, can't place it. But yeah, they have a big scoreboard that she's changing the scores out on. Probably, probably somebody from the Cheetah. Also, why is she even <laughs> doing this when they have the LED board, too? She's probably from the Cheetah. Okay, just yeah, have an excuse to have somebody from Cheetah 3. All right, also, let's look at oh, the great... Speaking of Vince what? stuff, you know how much he would hate the Legion of Doom, Wrestling Doom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lex Luger beat Great Muda by DQ on M48. Lex walked down the aisle slowly, still suddenly the face of the figure four from the match with Flair. Lex spent the entire match still on the knee and did a great job. Buddha's been the match working on the bad leg with unique holds. They call for five minutes at three minutes, ten for set at seven minutes. Luger sold most of the way. Surprisingly, the live crowd cheered Muda slightly more than Luger. Not surprising to me. Surprising since Luger has gotten cheered more than a lot of the faces he's been in with, but when he's in with the heel, who he should be a face himself, but that's another story. Didn't get a majority of the cheers. Although it was something like fifty five to forty five percent pro Muda. Finish saw Muda blow the mist in Luger's eyes for the DQ just seconds before the work timeline was going to expire. The match was very good and very intense, but the finish defied all logic, as Muda was creaming him almost the entire way. <laughs> it was just for the time limit would be called for the draw, and he blows mist right in front of the ref for no reason for the DQ. Three and a quarter stars. Oh, he blew him right <laughs> after creaming him? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, Lex taking a flat back bump for the mist will never get old. <laughs> well, it is. He's really need to dream uh, him with that one. One of his allocates. Yes. <laughs> All right, then we get the tag tournament finals, which comes down to the Road Warriors and the Samoans. At this point, the Steiners have 35 points. Samoans had 30, Warriors 20, Doom has zero. Dave Sale asked Doom the 20-point bonus question. If you get it right, you're in the lead. But if you miss it, then it's the last place. The question is, who is Doom number one? One mascot says Ron Simmons. Let's see what your partner says. Now hold the card. It says Butch Reed. Last place for you guys. <laughs> Road Warriors, you got 20. If you get this one, you'll be in the lead. But if you miss it, then it's third place. Here's your question. What are you thinking about right about this minute? Hawk answers. We don't do any stinking jobs or any stinking game shows. <laughs> the answer is match. Samoans, if you get this right, you're in the lead. But if you miss it, then it's third place. What happened to Samu? By two answers, it's secret. Let's look at the car. Samoans average's car says he went home. 
Judges, we have a match. Our distinguished panel of judges, by the way, are the six-time world champion out of St. Louis, Lutez. The only man from New Zealand ever won the NWA title, Pat O'Connor. One of the only brother combination to win each one in the NWA title, Terry Funk. They say no match. Steiners, it's down to this. You get this right, then you're our grand prize winners. But if you miss it, then it's second place. But if you got if you get this right, then you're our grand prize winners. But if you miss it, then it's second place. The question is, what happened to Alex? Scott answers, I came in, they dropped the gimmick. Now let's see the card, Rick. Hold up the card, Rick says. We changed bookers again. No match. <laughs> Road Warriors, you are our grand prize winners today. Anyway, a 1970s game show is better than this final match. The guys are missing moves left and right, and even screwed at the finish, but Hunt wound up clotheslining 5 2 off the top row for the pin and 5 18. So the Warriors win the tournament. Very little reaction. Negative one star. <laughs> O'Connor, was it this wow. bad? Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty. What are we, are we talking about? The match or the bit? <laughs> well, what is he talking about with the finish being screwed up? Um, let me think. I, I mean, I remember it being flat. I don't necessarily remember it being screwed up, but it yeah. was it was a flat end to the tag team portion of the tournament for sure. Steiner should have won. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the obvious thing on this one. Steiner should have won it, and Bo, you could. But I mean, you've already exposed the Warriors won, to now you, you know, you keep putting them on these matches on the rest of this card, and it's just making them look worse. Yeah, you 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 took the mystique away from them. Yeah, I mean, they put four biggest teams they could find and or had in this tournament. There was not one underdog babyface team in it. There wasn't oh, no. a rock and roll or a Z Man Pillman or you know any any team like there was a there wasn't a well the Steiners are clear babyfaces. Yeah, but, but they're not you know, begging off, you know. Yeah. That time. So yeah, a, a totally different dynamic in, in the tag team than what you're used to in that promotion, you know. And the, the Samoans didn't have much heat, to be honest. No. Especially this version of the Samoans. Mm-hmm. It's now down to singles time, the finals. Lex Luger already in the clubhouse, 35 points, while Muda has zero. Rick Flair has 25, Sting has 20. If it's a draw, Luger wins. If Flair wins by pin or counting, he gets the whole thing. Wins by DQ, then he's tied with Luger, and we have a wrestle-off finish. Which we already know is impossible because we're running out of time on the pay per view. If Sting wins on a pinfall, he got the whole thing. If he wins by count, we got a tie. If he wins by DQ, Luger gets into the thing. Flair and Sting enter out about equal amount of cheers. Those live said Sting has slightly more booze, but really nobody booed either guy. It was the old Rip Flair playing vintage heel and doing the same type of spots he did in most of his matches prior this year, Rick Sneebo, Terry Funk, which would totally change his normal routine. He carried Sting to an excellent match. Still wasn't booed, but turned Sting into a favorite. Matches excellent all the way. Through them with them adding, adding instead of shaving time, giving the guys an extra minute to do their thing. It passed 15. It was announced one minute to go. And they went to all near falls and were just seconds remaining. Flair went for the figure four. Sting called with the inside credit and got the pin at 15.54. Four and a quarter stars. All right, Bix, let's watch that. Uh, that finish, shall we? See how it came off here on TV. The uh, finish to the Iron Man finals, which by the okay, so the uh, the network, by the way, 
lists the post-match as Sting joins the Four Horsemen. <laughs> Which is uh, uh, what happens. That doesn't happen for two weeks. Or three weeks, actually. Right? Yeah, ain't here. Sting doesn't join the Horsemen until January 90. That's what I'm saying. It's, because, I, think it's the, yeah. I, think it, I think the offer is the last Saturday night of September, and then he joins the following week. September? No, December, I said. Oh. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he pretty much uh, joins at the beginning of 90, yeah. So let's watch the finish here and see how this played out. say one of the most exciting and grueling <laughs> nights of wrestling I've ever witnessed in my career. Standing with me now are the tag team champions, the Road Warriors. Sort Gentlemen, of. congratulations. Atlanta, you now know who the Iron Men are. The Road Warriors. That's your song. We come out <laughs> to that tune every stinking match. And we lived up to it every stinking match. And tonight, we did it again for you and for us. You know, Sunday Garden Sully, the most diehard fans in the wrestling world are right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so very much, gentlemen. I'm going to try and get the winner of the single tournament over here in just a moment. Precious Paul Ellering, of course, manager of the Road Warriors, and as soon as Sting makes it on site, well, I will be ready to go. Uh, no, you won't. 
Roll the credits. The average football player maybe plays 11 minutes in an entire game. We're out here for no less than 30 minutes in a game. If we are real athletes, then I don't know what is. Thank you so very much. Now here comes Sting and the NWA. We have 20 seconds. I mean, they weren't out the of time. Goes off the, the, it goes off the Air Force thing to say anything. <laughs> the show ends at two, before 2.50. They had time for a quick promo. Lord. I think Gordon needed a cigarette. <laughs> Shot of vodka. And it's a screwdriver. <laughs> but okay, Bo, this is this is what I was talking about earlier. This was the the whole thing of this show was to set up what we just saw. Sting beating Ric Flair. Because that's the story that's good that they're setting up for February. Yep. That you know, but there is so but but the thing is it's so sloppy getting there. You know, we just talked me and Bixer talked about this recently. I mean, Steam becomes a member of the Horseman at the first of January, and the story is, you know, they're going to make the match for us war. The story is, and they cut promos about this. It doesn't matter who wins or loses because the title stays in the family. But it's more than that. It's not just that. When they announce the match, they do a group Horseman promo where. Sting explains, and then Flair and the Andersons affirm Sting is the one who did not want to take the match. Sting is the one who did not want to hurt his friendship with Flair and his burgeoning friendship with the Andersons. Flair and the Andersons then tell him, don't worry, it's fine, we're a family, as long as the belt stays in the family, it's okay. Yes. Like, as far as... Wrestling yeah. angles go. There are a few retcons that are bigger. But 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 the whole thing is, is that on the side, woman is trying to get with Flair. She's trying to get involved with Ric Flair. And then you watch the TV, and then all of a sudden you go to the Clash of the Champions, and it's just like, went from zero to 100, you know, out of nowhere. So... Yeah, well, really woman weird. did get a horseman eventually, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the wrong yeah, one. She, she, yeah, she, she hitched her wagon to the wrong horse. That's for sure. <laughs> well, there but, were uh, a few wrong horsemen. <laughs> yeah, she went better off with Paul Roma, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, yeah, you go back and watch TV and then go to that clash. You're like, what? <laughs> what? What's happening here? And this then at the clash, Oli's promo is that they were gonna take out Sting right here. And Flair held them off. Yeah, just so... Uh, I just... And, then, and, and Flair's the booker! Which also... But it shows you how late Flair decided to turn, too. Yeah, Flair's the fucking booker. So, was the original plan... I think you and I talked about this maybe privately, and maybe when I was plugging that article, too, on the air. But I don't think we had any answer. Was the original plan that Sting wins the title, and we still have the babyface horseman? I think the original plan was that. 
Which made some sense because the babyface horseman had momentum. Yes. So something changed. What? Who knows? Oh, the Flair knows. I mean, he's the one that knows more than anything else. Oh. If he remembers. We forgot part two. When they're going over all this, it's also pointed out each time it's brought up going into the clash. They make it clear it may not be Sting versus Flair. They make it clear that it would be Sting versus Luger if Luger beats Flair at that on the house shows. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. I think the whole thing with Tully threw everything in for a loop as well. You know? Hmm. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows what the whole deal was? Well, they couldn't do this on the pay-per-view. So they did it on, on uh, World Championship Wrestling on the following Saturday. So we're, they go back in time to Starcade, and we get a prologue from Starcade with uh, the announcers of Jim Ross, Terry Funk, and Jim Cornette to run down what happened. You mean epilogue? Epilogue, prologue, whatever. <laughs> okay. We want to thank all the fans on World Championship Wrestling for staying with us. Oh, it's them at the uh, Omni as it empties out. Okay. We're here yes. in the Omni, the special report file. And Sting yes, has won the, yes. the tournament, the single division of the tournament, by defeating Ric Flair in, in less than in 30 seconds in the match, Terry. Less than, less than 30 seconds, and he got it done, and he accomplished something. He accomplished winning this, but he also set himself up as pop. You're pre-recording this. You're getting so tongue-tied that you made it that you both make it sound like Sting beat him in 30 seconds. <laughs> Maybe that's why they changed this. Maybe Flair got pissed off over this. <laughs> <laughs> He's the booker. Go ahead. Yeah. Possibly being the wrestler of the 90s. I'll tell you something. Uh, we saw tonight a lot of history being made. The great Muta was pinned for the first time in this environment by the nature boy, Ric Flair. We've got to take our hat off to Flair for that. Hey, don't sell Flair short either. Don't sell him short because he's going to be around next year and he's still got that thing around his waist, which, which is that gold. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be going to Gordon Soley in just a few minutes, who will have the winners of both divisions of this tournament. <laughs> Jim Cornette, the Samoans almost ran into the back door, but it was the Road Warriors that won it. Well, we saw one surprising, one startling thing. I'd never seen it before. The Road Warriors were pinned, and it was done by the Steiners, but it was the Samoans, the Wild Samoans, the team that the Kahuna had gotten into the tournament at the last minute that proved to be, the, I think, the uh, the sparkling point of the whole tag team tournament. They almost came away with a victory if it hadn't been for the, the quality of the Road Warriors and the Steiners. I'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, both Terry Funk and Jim Cornette in a few moments. But right now, let's go to Gordon Soley, who is standing by with the Road Warriors and with Sting. Let's go to Gordon. Thank you very much. It's been one of the most exciting nights of wrestling I've ever seen, and certainly some of the most grueling matches in the world. But here are the tag team winners, uh, the Road Warriors, and gentlemen, congratulations. There are more than three winners here, Gordon Soley. In the eyes of the LOD, you're a winner. You're the dean of wrestling announcers. <laughs> winner of Monsters of the Midway, driven by Paul Ellering, the master cylinder of the engine, the finely tuned engine that took this engine right through future shock to the top. We snack on danger. We dine on death. And dead men don't make money. Tell them, animal. You know something, Gordon Sully? The Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom with Paul Ellering, give nobody compliments. But Steiners, you are two good athletes. 
That's all we're going to say about it. Now, we won the tournament. And that's the way it's going to stand. Paul Ellering tells us what to do, and we get the job done. Right, Paul? You know, Gordon, you said it all. We laid it on the line tonight, along with every other team and every other individual wrestler. We laid it on the line, and we came out on top, just where we've been for the past six years. Tag Team of the Year five times, Manager of the Year twice. We rise to the top like the cream. With me now is the winner of the singles tournament here in Future Shock and Starcade 89, the Sting. And certainly my congratulations, sir. Thanks, Gordon. I'll, I'll tell you what, it had to have been a great match, or matches, let's say, because for me to stand here and let you start out talking without me interrupting must be an <laughs> awful lot. So my energy is a little <laughs> bit diminished, probably for the first time in my life, so the competition definitely was unreal. Well, now, just moments ago, it appeared in, in the closing moments at Ric Flair was definitely taking control of the match. He'd injured your leg. Uh, it appeared that the expression on your face was one of total frustration. Frustration, a little bit of uh, shock. You know, it kind of reminded me of the old days. You Future know, Nature Boy and the Stinger from days past, like from Greensboro, the very first clash of champions that we had. It was that type of match, and his ego kind of overrides the match, then my ego kind of overrides the match, and you just kind of take it from there, and you never know what's going to happen next, and tempers do fly in the ring. That's all there is to it. All right. Your counter move was the telling factor in this. In fact, this was wrestling at its very finest. To take a man who looked like he had a, you in a pinning combination, counter that move and score the pinfall. Well, I, he's just as great of an athlete. I, he countered one of my moves, too. I tried to slip the scorpion on him real quick one time. He made it over to those ropes. He tried to put the figure four on me one time. I made it over to the ropes. So there was one counter after one counter after another after another. So. Like I said, the competition was unreal. I mean, the nature boy is the nature boy, you know? Well, I know he spoke very, very highly uh, uh, about the fact that to be the man, you've got to beat the man, and he said, this is the man. What about future chances at him for the uh, NWA world title? I know it must have taken a lot for the nature boy to, to say those words, and to be honest with you, I, I don't know how to put this really, but I, coming from the nature boy, when he said that, I, I didn't really know what to think. I mean... Uh, he has been the man, and he still is the man, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, one of the greatest world champions of all time, but I gotta say, if, he, if he's gonna come after me, or if I get the opportunity to come after him for the world title again, I, I'm gonna do it. That's well, what the sport's all about. I mean, the ultimate is the world title, and Ric Flair has it, so. Well, you proved your point tonight, and you proved it by defeating him. A solid pin, one, two, three. Congratulations, champ. Thank you very much. Just slipped a quick one in, and... Well, I guess I can muster up enough energy to... Oh, at least a little one there, you know. Okay, Jim, back to you. So now that we have Sting here after the show saying that he, if, you know, the opportunity came, he definitely would take it, Bix. But he's not a horseman yet. No, but still. But he's not a horseman uh -uh. yet. The explanation is he once he's a horseman is this is my family he says he's never been part of a family before which is an interesting addition to the staying backstory and <laughs> i'm sure to give her love that <laughs> well that too yes because he was in the first family well no they were never the first family in uwf uh, no but he no but, well, they actually did call them the first family in 1989. Right. Sting, Gilbert, Missy, and the Steiners were the first family. Well, no. In the Danger Zone, 
before Bash 89, when they were doing the tease for Gilbert to turn heel, Paul E. has a, a big portrait of, of them as Hot Stuff International. But he doesn't call them that. He calls them the first family. But even then, like, hmm. I mean, I yeah. guess they don't necessarily formally say it otherwise about Sting and Gilbert when they get back together in 89. But Rhubarb Jones introduces Gilbert, Missy, and the Steiners as the first family. During yeah, they were the first family, absolutely. Yeah. But, but Sting wasn't a member of that then. But then he was an associate. With Eddie, when Eddie and Missy are with the Steiners still, so it, it kind of yeah. Works. But anyway, I guess Sting <laughs> was an orphan. <laughs> well, this he is like the the Steve Cox was uh, Steve Cox a Freebird debate. <laughs> That's Steve do it to it Cox, <laughs> and he just doesn't care. No, <laughs> but anyway, all right. So. Dave's days fall off. I get this thing a thumbs up. Given their strengths to determine the booking was excellent. Winners did jobs, such as they were earlier in the show, which determined allowed for. They went down to the wire with three possible tournament winners in both divisions, going to the final match. Sting's win the singles tournament came off as a complete surprise since they spent the last six weeks telling everyone Lex Luger was going to win, and they teased the draw. Now, 12 matches, 11 of them had at least a decent level of work, and several were pretty good. Only bad matches kept short, and those guys had each worked twice earlier. And that wasn't a bad work rate, just missed moves. Crowd heat was disappointing early on, but once Flair and Luger started the crowd, was with it as uh, good as it deserved the rest of the way. They had winners in matches nobody thought they'd come up with winners in. Flair versus Sting, Warriors versus Steiners, and both had the underdogs get the win. Still, this was a show for the hardcore wrestling fan. Dave doesn't think a casual fan would get into seeing the same guys wrestle three times. The scoring system was great if you re were really following the show closely, but if you weren't following closely or were and had no concept of simple mathematics, the show went over your head. Really, aside from Flair and to a lesser extent, Luger, the guys will have enough versatility to give you three different matches. That means how many clotheslines of power slams you need in one night. They thought the people who were the pay-per-view show should have been happy. Maybe not ecstatic, but happy. Those live, for the most part, thought it was a good show, although the comments were it wasn't a starcade caliber show. Unless the buy rate proves Dave wrong, he still maintains that the tournament itself was a good idea, but not for Starcade. There was almost too much wrestling with nothing else. Just one match after another, albeit mainly solid matches. Dave doesn't want to harp on problems since the show was basically good, but they needed trophies for the winners and presentations made because after the Warriors won the thing, when it was over, it was like they hadn't won anything of significance. Dave won't say that for Steam because just beating Ric Flair made it something of significance to him. Just for the finishes every match, they were exploding dry backstage for next entrance, so the fans will start looking backstage. But they're anticipating a run-in. Fortunately, there weren't any major run-ins on the show. Just for the finishes in most matches. They sometimes had interest music and sometimes didn't. No consistency. They would have thought all that screwing with the times of matches would be no big deal, but there were several complaints about it. The Skyscraper deal, which, was generally been, which had been gone over enough, but was still inexcusable. Of the, out of the seven star K shows, he rated this one no higher than fifth, ahead of 84 and 87. And of all seven, it had the least star K light atmosphere about it. And that's the thing, Bo. You know, Dave talks about it here, talks about this is a show booked for the hardcore wrestling fan. Um, in 1989, that's probably not a good thing. Was their slogan not at this time, We Wrestle? Yes. That's what they were trying to prove. They yeah. Were trying, 
strip it down and go away from what Vince and was doing. And I don't know if they would have continued whether it would have worked or not, because here shortly we're going to get Norman the lunatic or we already got Norman. You already got him. I mean, Jim Hurd's oh, yeah. always going to have his people, you know, his, his yeah. influence at this time anyway. But yeah. they, I mean, they were really trying to be some type of alternative to WF. Yeah. We've already seen the ding dongs. Yep. Yeah. We've already, yeah, we've already experienced that. They're trying to sell the biggest wrestling event of the year for them on wrestling. And yeah, but it was like, it was not a star gate. It just, it just wasn't. I did a tweet. Uh, God, well over four years ago now, I just found it where I rebooked star K 89 as a Starcade type show. So this is what I had. And, uh, just with the talent that they had on the roster at that time. Uh, Cactus Jack against Ranger Ross. Norman against Kevin Sullivan. Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich against New Zealand Militia. Pillman and Zane versus the Freebirds. Midnight against the Dynamic Dudes. Could have done some type of deal there. Gimmick deal, whatever. Minnesota Red Crew against Buzz Sword and Dragon Master. Steiners and the Road Warriors against Doom and the Samoans and Eight Man. Luger against Sting and Flair against Muda. I think that would have turned out a lot better than what we got. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of key players here that are not even mentioned or shown on Starcade. Yeah, because you just got that, that sameness of all these uh, tournament matches. But, you know, a lot of these, you know, play off the angles that's going on TV at the time, you know, and you got meat on the bone. You got You got story and you got stuff like that and you got stuff you can build with and they never did this again <laughs> no but starcade then became a tournament show yeah or, or it became a gimmick type show for the next eight years basically you know well 96 was the lot was the first one that was back to being like an old starcade again. okay wait well, so let's see 89 90, 90 has regular stuff mixed in, but it's still a tournament show. Uh, 90, 94 90, wasn't. 94 and 93 wasn't, wasn't that's right. either. You're right. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to 80, 89, 90, 91, 92, 95. Uh, uh, 95. Yeah. So, yeah, more, more gimmicks than not. So yeah. That said, the 95 gimmick is actually good. Yeah, but anyway. All right, so um, Dave continues. No major technical complaints. This wasn't the best announced in the WFAB show, but considering Jim Ross is working under some adverse conditions, he had a root canal the next day. It was in major pain. Ugh, no complaints. There's nothing wrong with Ross's work. And until Dave was to show, he had no idea anything was wrong with him, but there was a special zip of enthusiasm not quite there. Jim Cornette was most serious. He's been on the TBS shows. He was, wasn't playing a strong heel doing commentary as he does on Power Hour and did well in the tag tournament. Terry Funt were Ross in a singles tournament, got over the key points, but it was nothing you could call better than expected. They had a snafu at the end when, before they went to Sting's post-match interview, the show went off the air. Boom. Credits rolled, and the show was history with no sign-off. Dave certainly didn't sense this show, good as it may have been, as any kind of turning point for the NWA. 
Singles matches with the signing, but they also gave away the Flair Luger meeting, which takes away from the house shows. The tag tournament then seemed to have the interest with overall set the curiosity of Steiner's Warriors and heat for Steiner's Samoans only because it was a good match following a hot match. So let's go to Steve Beverly, who's there live in the building. It was scary when we were in the arena floor at 6.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and only about 2,000 people were in the building. It was your typical, this is Starcade reaction? But from 7 to 7.40, there was a steady flow of people in the seats. Steve asked a lot of the locals why they thought it was off from the 10,000-plus Omni shows that they had drawn three times this year and was told, one, Atlanta fans are used to an 8 o'clock start. Wednesday night is not an Atlanta night, and the turning format may not have been a major hook. The empty seats empty seat sure looked bad in the earliest telecast. It's about 29 degrees outside at bell time as well. Oh, real quick. I mean, Bo, you, I mean, this is a thing that, you know, we don't think about now, but back then, it's, I mean, even then, 1989, it's still a thing. The cities are used to the nights that they run their shows regularly, and Atlanta was never a Wednesday night town. It was always Friday, Sunday, sometimes Saturday mixed in. It was a weekend town. Memphis never drew on any other night other than Monday. Sometimes Sunday would would do all right, do good, but you know it was a Monday night town. Greensboro was a Saturday night town, other than Thanksgiving. Knoxville was mainly uh, Fridays for a lot of years until they, you know, would change with the Thursdays for a time there, Sunday afternoons for a time there. But yeah, I mean, yep. you, I mean, these towns and these, you know. They had, they had their long-time deal, you know, in the Crockett territory. It was like that forever, mm-hmm. you know, the same nights, you know, until Dusty and the expansion really started. And that's when shit started changing. And it killed some of them. It, yeah, I mean, here's some of them, yeah, absolutely. All right, so back to Steve. Uh, Steve's still not enough a fan that he loved being fooled by the finish. He was so sure Luke would go over, and he's not so sure he wouldn't have had TBS and Jim Hurd not ordered a late change in the booking. What the change was from, Steve didn't know. For the record, if there had not been a point system, Luger would have won with a 2-0-1 record. Sting had 2-1 record, Flair was 1-1-1, and Muda was 0-3. Steve was told Muda was not thrilled about how his 0-3 would be received in Japan, (laughs) but no matter what, somebody had to go down three times or it wouldn't have been a dud tourney. (laughs) <laughs> one who told Steve that. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steve continues. An excellent innovation was using the electronic matrix board on the Omni to keep the standings before the arena fans all night. Steve never heard anyone confused about who was ahead or how the scoring, which was well explained to the fans, would potentially affect the wrestler. Using a manual scoreboard on TV was another good touch. Plus, the graphic was nicely used off the top to explain the scoring system. However, to show you how late the scoring method was decided... As late as Saturday, before the pay-per-view, NWA shows were still saying sudden death, which in most sports means no draws, and no points for a draw, which five points ended up being awarded for. Well, there you go, Bix. It, was, it wasn't even a, a set in stone before the pay-per-view on the TV before. I mean, this is a business where, for a long time, they used the, word, the term round-robin for tournaments that were not round-robin almost exclusively. <laughs> Yeah. 
cameras almost missed the kind of on Butch Reed in the opener, but the actual so crazy was a marginal miss. The initial contest introductions looked much more spectacular live than it did on TV. We nearly rolled at ringside because the tag teams let the prizes and the prizes right in front of their platforms. <laughs> <laughs> the gag is tighter than ever backstage. Wrestlers are much more skittish than at Nashville by being seen within shining distance of a newsletter writer. So be it. How about, so how about that, Bo? How about uh, Steve uh, getting upset that uh, the boys can't talk to him like they used to? <laughs> right. Even though he's talking to the office, man. Even though he's talking to the main guys in the office. More anybody else they, is. They don't want any heat on them. Exactly. Arena fans were never really told unless we missed it why the skyscrapers were not there, but at least TV viewers were told to Sid's punctured lung. Particularly after this, Steve sees a little future for doom. <laughs> Just you wait. Muda can recover, despite anyone says, and stretches a Luger match indicated from a fan reaction. How successful he could be as a babyface? Something Steve expects to see early next year. <laughs> and speaking of what I was saying, WCW President Jack Petrick told me, Steve Beverly, before the show, the group is studying cutting back to a Tuesday through Sunday arena schedule, except for TV tape dates. It makes this a current state of the arena business, but the decision won't be made until next year. Well, Jim Hurd told Steve this precise format won't be used again, but some variations, including a possible double elimination or single elimination tournament, a lot of Crockett Cup might be used on one pay-per-view next year. Peter says a long way remains on the merchandising front, but the products are getting better, and business was much brisker at the souvenir stands than Steve has seen it in the NWA shows. says in the NBA, but NWA shows. So, you know, here in the same paragraph, <laughs> we have Steve talking about the gag order, but then he's openly talking to Jack Petrick and Jim Hurt. <laughs> Outstanding. They're trying to control what's getting out. Yeah, pretty much. Steve talks about Ross working with Abscess Front 2 after dental surgery earlier in the week. He was definitely told no go on Tully Blanchard unless Tully is willing to seek some kind of rehab. Steve, it was great to reunite with Mike Gunter and to meet Linus Sargent, Bruce Grummert, and Bix. Who else? The Zalatic twins. Bob Gordon and uh, Steve's traveling buddy Dick Bourne. Matt Watchers all at the Omni. The Grummert <laughs> crew bought $600 worth of NWA merchandise. Wonder what WF show it will appear at next. <laughs> I literally was about to make that joke until I scrolled and saw that. <laughs> but that shows you know. Go ahead. I was getting ready to say all confiscated over the next three months in <laughs> WWF shows. But you know, as much as we talk about the you know, Bruce Grummers of the world and stuff, they dropped six hundred bucks on merchandise in nineteen eighty nine in oh. one night. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. I mean. Whatever you say about them, I mean, they put their money where their mouth was. <laughs> I'm doing the inflation calculator right now. Oh, 600? Ooh, that's got to be at least a now, grand. Oh, way more. $1,441.99. Hmm. So, again, they put their money where their mouth was. I, I can just hear were... O'Connor uh, messaging Mike Bikikio to make sure that Bruce Grummard and the Zajac twins come to Mania Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, ne I never met those guys, but uh, I did meet Dick Bourne many times. 
Oh, yeah, Mid-Atlantic Gateway. Yes, yeah, usually holding nice court guy. in the office with uh, George South. Yeah, Dick Bourne's a good good dude. Yes. Yes. Um, would his – oh, why am I forgetting her name? I feel bad. She passed away recently. Dick Bourne's buddy that he always went to shows with, would she have been at this too? Uh, she wasn't mentioned. But Oh, you know who I'm talking about though. Yeah, I know you're talking about. I can't remember her name. The one that died not too long after – one of the was a WrestleCon, not WrestleCon, WrestleCade, maybe one of the show, one of the conventions year? last year. Hey, what was her? Eloise, Peggy Latham. That's it. Peggy yeah. Latham. Yes. Ah, yes, yes. Peggy, Peggy Latham. What, what sweetheart? She was wonderful. Yeah, she was friends with Dick Bourne and all that, all those you know, those Carolina folks. Absolutely, yeah. The clock cutting. Big, big Clemson. I'm big Clemson, Clemson fan. Also, well. <laughs> at least she's a great wrestling fan uh the clock cutting <laughs> did become somewhat of a ringside joke it was ridiculous in five minutes called a 221 match road warriors victory was met with good reaction but not nearly what it would have been two or three years ago the nwa display inside the cnn center was the most impressive with a larger than life figure rick flair and other assorted nwa memorabilia interestingly the free burst photos still feature terry gordy huh but uh did he see any photos of Missy Hyatt's tits? <laughs> that, that, that photo was taken at Star Katie 93, Robert. <laughs> All right, Dix. Close, but no cigar. Uh, uh, expect Terry Fult to have a slowly increasing amount of influence of the creati- creativity within WCW. That can be good news. Uh, Mike Gunther's view of the night. This was a good show. It had its moments and it was entertaining, but he's been the five star cades and this just didn't seem like one. No, it didn't. And uh, Terry Funk officially, albeit for just a few months until he quits, it becomes the executive producer of the syndicated shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's your Starcade rundown. <laughs> but, but now Dave has a Ric Flair uh, thing to talk about here. A few weeks back, Dave got into a key power struggle that had turned into a major divisive in- issue of an NWA remains so today. What is the future of Ric Flair, and what is the future of the NWA title? You can add what is the future of the NWA right along with it. When Flair was made head booker a few months back, Dave thought it was a bad move. Not a bad move because he thought Flair couldn't do the job. A bad move because the best thing the NBA had was Ric Flair. He didn't want anything to tamper with the NWA's biggest asset. Those great matches on the big final matches on the big shows, and even the one match which saves a lot of lackluster house shows. The stress factor being the NWA Booker is a killer. Take a look at Flair's face. It reminds Dave of Jimmy Carter when he was president. <laughs> that is an interesting call. You look at Flair. <laughs> when you look at Flair in, in, in around this time going to 90, Flair's mm. face definitely had some age on it that was not there you know, six months earlier. Yes. Well, I was going to say very likely the first and only time Ric Flair has been likened to Jimmy Carter. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> Bo, think, yeah. Uh, Bo, what's the uh, progressive liberal stance on the <laughs> Carter presidency? I have to know. <laughs> he, he wasn't alive for that, I don't believe. <laughs> I think Flair would have been compared more to Billy Carter more than uh, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Bill, I, I was thinking Bill Clinton. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the, the Democratic president that comes to mind. Again, close but no cigar. 
between trying to keep the wrestlers happy when you're trying to get them to put people over and trying to keep management and second guessers happy is a no-win situation. The NWA has so many holes that even the best booking isn't going to do a house show business these days. When the house shows don't draw, the booker's on the fire. And when he's under fire, the stress gets even greater. With Flair, the problems are double. Not only does he have to take care of a certain amount of, respons- of responsibility for not drawing, but he's the booker. Because he's the booker, but also because he's in a position where he's the leading draw. It's like being both coach and quarterback at the same time on a team where good talent that is losing way more than often than it should. Mm-hmm. It's no secret that the powers and management want to replace Flair as world champion with Lex Luger and replace Flair's top baby face with Sting. They want to push young guys while phasing Flair out, maybe putting it too strongly, phasing him down is certainly accurate. Points and counterpoints were all gone into a few weeks back. I wanted to wait till Starcade. Dave said to give him his own point of view on the subject, more so than just give Lex Luger a chance. He thought it would answer some questions. Starcade is over. Flair's clearly the best wrestler in the NWA. Luger's good. Very good not really close at all to flair Sting can do high spots and has a lot of charisma but it's very limited what he can do when he's not being carried he even gets lost in matches rick flair is not a drawing card anymore maybe it's the cause of his age maybe it's because he's been around too long on top maybe and dave's kind of convinced of this one it's simply because nobody at this point can be any kind of a drawing card with the nwa with all of his flaws however luger falls improvements in his physique is also not a drawing card Sting, for all his charisma, is not a drawing card. No matter which of these three men hold the title, none would draw the big cross consistently in 1990. Really, no matter which is champion, the NWA would be hard-pressed to draw any kind of crowds except for a few big shows about major changes being main television and advertising which have nothing to do with the charisma or drawing power of any competitors or how they are booked. As a fan from a personal standpoint, which has nothing to do with the business, Dave Kippen and Starcade wanting Flair to stay as champion because when Luger and Sting and the two big stars were there together, the match didn't get nearly the heat it should have. And it wasn't that great of a match. Flair had three matches, all different. They had a three months heat match on the card. He had two best matches on the card, and his bout with Muda would have been the third best if it had gone longer. For all the criticism some may have of Flair as being perhaps no longer the best wrestler on, on this side of the ocean, he still can carry an opponent better than anyone else, has the best ring psychology, Anyone with a stress and age is in better condition than almost anyone around. But the face shows age. It can't be ignored. It can't be denied. Physical age is not a factor because even if Flair declines in the ring over the next five years, and we got Terry Funk in a sense of living proof that someone 44 who has desired ring psychology can still get over more and work better than just anyone in the business, is Daffo Lugo will ever surpass him in ring work or any major injury or change in Flair's own desire? Sting never will. No disappear either the two would be team players that Flair was a star game. Putting over someone cleanly, or somebody in the Rick Steamboat who did in New Orleans trying to sacrifice himself to re-educate the public to holds. And while the physical age may not be a factor, cosmetic age is in this business. At the same time, the NBA's own advantage in this competition is superior wrestling and superior big shows. In every big show this year, from Starcade 88 with Lex Luger through three matches with Steamboat, a tag match at Columbia, a flawed Thunderdome match in Philadelphia, a pair of Terry Funk matches through Starcade 89, who was involved in the best match on the card. In fact, said the best match of the decade. Luger and Steen can have good matches, and in fairness, if both were pushed to top guys, their singles matches should be better than Wednesday and have more heat. 
But finishing every card with those matches of the year would be a thing of the past, but also inevitable. There will come a day when the change has to be made. Some may argue that Funk has improved and it may be several years away. When the guys are nipping at Flair's heels, may not be Luger's thing at all. Maybe guys who are just breaking to the spotlight today. And you almost feel sorry for Luger. When and if the move is made this year. When Luger doesn't draw, and he won't, it won't be his fault. There'll be second guesses everywhere. The first time Luger headlines can see anyone but Flair, if the match is anything less than excellent, it will come again. Two years from now, it may get worse. Legends get better as time goes on, and Flair's reign as champion will become legendary when it's over. All the greats in this business are a lot better in longtime fans' eyes and remembrances than when they see videotapes of them. You know, there's a lot here, Bo. Um, I want to get into the booking part first. I mean, this Flair was not one of those guys who was the, the booker that's a wrestler. The wrestler's the booker that overpushes himself. That's not the case here. But they want him to do what most promoters wanted an active wrestler that's their booker to do, and that's de-emphasize themselves. But Flair didn't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, and, and Flair and Flair was the booker, but he wasn't a he wasn't a Dusty Booker. He wasn't a Jerry Jarrett, Eddie Graham, because like Sullivan and Cornette and, and other people are actually laying the TVs out and putting them together. Yeah, where all those other guys did that themselves. Flair um, is like Flair is like what a modern day like uh, NFL head coach is, where he's like the CEO, and the coordinators do all you know do all the work for their sides of the ball. Okay, so I have a question because George Scott is kind of a comparison. He's probably the other major. Booker, who we know of as not necessarily being the idea guy, but as much as managing everything, when George Scott would book, like in Crockett, was he writing the TV or was he delegating that to someone else? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, the way everybody talks about it, that George Scott was the guy that was laying everything out, but he would get ideas from people. So he was probably yeah. writing the TV, but he was getting the ideas from the talent. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Kim Mantel in, t- in World Class. I mean, you listen to you listen to, to Michael and Jimmy talking about Michael and Jimmy were the ones with that were all the idea men. They just yeah. give the Kim Mantel and he put it together. So he Flair is kind of like Lawler booking. He's going to worry about what he's doing the most and whoever's closest to him, and then the rest of the stuff is like okay, it's you know passed on to other people to. Randy put it together, yeah. Put it together and come up with something for Norman the Lunatic to do. Um, but it is—it's still stressful because well, it's oh, still yes. you have to be coming up with stuff every week. And at this time, they've got Saturday night show, Sunday night show, a Friday night show, two syndicated shows. Yeah, you got three. Yeah, you look at you got uh, four hours on TBS. Two hours of syndication. You got six hours of TV. Then you got Every your uh, your your cl- uh, quarterly clashes, and you yep. got your um, pay per views. Yeah. So he's still got a lot on him. And now people that may have liked Flair and that he likes, but he doesn't have something for them. Maybe now they don't like him so much. 
because he's the boss and now he's, I'm not getting pushed. So it's got to be his fault. You know, you've got, you've got to listen to everybody coming to you with your, their complaints, their ideas, their, you get, you don't get a break. And what's Ric Flair known for? Ric Flair was known for, you know, his routine of, you know, working every night, then going out and partying, then, you know, sit down all night, get some rest, go work out the next morning, go to the next town. Yep. Now you're the, when you're booking, you have to add that to your responsibility, and that cuts into that routine that you have. Yeah. And then we get to this whole thing here that Dave gets into about drawing let me, let cards. Me, yeah, ahead, that's what I was getting to bring up. They're talking right. about drawing cards, about Luger's not a draw, Sting's not a draw. With the WCW audience, they were super over. But the office is not doing anything to create new fans. No. The... They do not have the promotional machine to promote the towns Mm -mm. behind them that, that hell, they don't even have what Memphis has, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they don't have somebody to go to the towns and hang posters and put out flyers. They're, they're relying solely on the scroll on the Saturday and Sunday shows. Hey, here's where we're at this week. And the local syndication, two plugs an hour three weeks out telling you here's we're coming to town here's the main events they don't have that machine behind them they're not being featured on crossover media you know like talk shows and and that kind of stuff that the WWF is getting their stars on Arsenio never had a WCW star and that, that was a major issue from day one once Turner's bought it. And we've not got to the worst time period yet. Because, I mean, this is 89. They're still doing some good business some places. But there there's some coming up in the early 90s to where they just say, we can't run towns anymore. Because it's the advertising and promotional end is so bad. If Luger and Sting would have had that machine behind them, how big of stars would they have been? They would have been in a much better position than yeah. uh, what they ended up in doing. And, I mean, just, you know, Bix could tell you this. I don't know how much research Bix has done in, you know, in this era of the newspapers. But you look at the newspapers in this era, WWF has ramped up their newspaper um, coverage heavily. In, in the late eighties, their ad game, you mean? In their ad game, yeah. Good luck trying to find NWA. Right. I mean, you, <laughs> you'll find it, but it's all in the ad. Always ads look shitty. They didn't look professional. I mean, it's just it's it's just not a polished product in any way. They, it means in eighty nine, they had in Johnson City, Flair Sting against. Terry Funk and Muda. And it drew like 500 people. There yeah. was a card with Michael Hayes and Luger on top that drew like 300 people because they were so poorly advertised. 
And yeah. they had two syndicated shows here then. And one of them was on Saturday, one was on Sunday. And only one of the syndicated shows was plugging. They were coming to Freedom Hall Wednesday night. And they, and they moved to Wednesday night where they had been here. They had been here Wednesday night early when Crockett took over, but then it pretty much became a Sunday. And like we were talking about earlier, people got used to, okay, they're coming on Sunday to Freedom Hall. We're going. Then it got to, oh God, it's Wednesday night. You got to go to school tomorrow and you got, we got to go to work and it threw the whole week off. And you know, it, to, oh, you've been on CNN more than any of these guys and they own <laughs> CNN. <laughs> the WF guys were on CNN more than them. <laughs> All right. Yes. They, they, they were embarrassed. To, the, 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 those people were embarrassed to have a wrestling company under their umbrella. Well, also I, at the time, the idea was also that CNN wasn't just a place to promote other Turner stuff. Right. But they should have had a promotional department. They should have had a, a PR that just called Arsenio and said, hey, how would you have like to have Ric Flair? You know, he's a big time. You know, or, 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 I mean, how many other talk shows? I mean, the, the, that was one thing that Bischoff did so much better than anybody else that ever worked there. Well, that was Bruce though. That did all the on on sale date. Well, they, well, who brought him in? Who brought him in though? Bischoff. But yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Eric put together a team to get it done. Heard uh, heard got the ruse and got a couple other great sponsors and the licensing deals and the licensing deals. Here's okay. There's another thing. If Sting, Luger, Flair, Steiners are on talk shows or on other media, then how many more products do they sell? How many more gimmicks do they sell? How many, you know, how much more is that licensing deal worth? Well, they got them on Family Feud, you know, and Repeatedly. multiple times. And multiple yeah. iterations of Family Feud. They were on they were on every different version of Family Feud that was on in this time frame because there was like what network else? and the two different syndicated syndicated versions. But right, but I mean, and that was great. But they were on nothing else. Right. Yeah. I so said there was potential there for stuff to be done, but it wasn't done. Yes. It was never even thought of. I don't think. And uh, on it, the screen share, oh, good. I heard Dusty say this a couple of times over the years, where Dusty said. Wrestling fans knew the NWA. The world knew WWF. That's that, and and that, and that's where we're at today with wrestling now. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, right there. That ad right there. Look at that. You flipping through the news, you can't miss that. And there's a face and a name that you know from movies, television, everything else. Now find it. Find it a a eighty uh, nine NWA Apex. If they even bothered to run one. <laughs> oh, they did. Oh, they sure did. Okay, hold I'll on. I'll limit it to one. December then, because I was limited to December. No, I'll find one. I'll find one real quick. Should I search for World Championship uh, Wrestling or National Wrestling Alliance? No, just uh. Or search for Ric Flair. I mean, I mean you could you could search for any of the name, you know. And see what comes up. I mean, more often than not, you're going to see mainly just like blurbs 
Yeah, but, like in the like in the sports briefs. Yeah, yeah, that's all you'll see. But there, but there were some ads. Uh, is that, this an ad or is this just photos in a in a blurb? This is photos in a blurb. Okay, I got one here. I'm gonna send it to you, Bix, so as, as as the link. Okay. All right. So, so I mean, this is from Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina. All right. Okay. All right. Tr- go go to that and sit. Don't you look, compare? All right. I'm guessing we're gonna get an ad that looks like the newspaper put it together. Oh, right. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> no pictures. It's like a funeral home. <laughs> wow. I mean, there is nothing there that would make you just flipping through that it would jump out to you. Well, let's zoom out. And Green is on this page. And Greenville used to have, you know, good ads for Crockett. Yeah. I mean, they had pictures yeah. of the main guys, you know, ran down every match on the show. Well, they also had two types of ads in Greenville. They'd have the regular full lineup ads, and they also had the ad every week that would mention the TV, the TV. show and also plug the yeah. house show. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it would just say when the show was. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, insane, insane how much that changed just in that one year from eighty eight, eighty nine. And when they what? went, go good. And they went from a mom and pop organization with great ads. To a billion dollar corporation with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, what, Stampede Wrestling had better ads than the NWA. <laughs> yeah. So, with what Bo was saying, though, about PR, did they even have a PR person before they hired Mike Weber? No. A WCW dedicated PR person? I no. don't think they did. No. Yeah, Ed, Ed Whalen's toupee had better ads than uh, <laughs> NWA. I mean, that, right. that's why yeah. Ronnie West was so, when he worked for WCW, he just was so frustrated and disgusted because he couldn't get anything done. Yeah. Not my department, not my job. Well, whose is it? <laughs> well, come to find out, they didn't have anyone for that job. <laughs> So if you wanted to do it, you had to do it on yourself. If you were promoting the town, you actually, you know, you had to do every bit of it. You had to make the ad. You had to put the ad together. You had to deliver it to the newspaper. You had to do everything. Nothing came from the office. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to Dave here. Expect some changes in the booking committee shortly. If those changes are made, there will be a lot to say. Oh, there's changes coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Flair quitting, though. Yeah. Um, also, we did forget. I don't know if he did other PR, but if I search for NWA spokesman, it reminded me we forgot Barry Norman. Yeah, Barry Norman. Um, a lot of the PR work in NWA, I mean, they, a lot of people mainly would talk like Gary Juster. His name would be mentioned at times, but, you know, different places, mainly the places he promoted shows. He'd be NWA representative Gary Truster. Because, because like he was the actual guy promoting and doing yes. doing what's supposed to be done on his own. Yes. Yeah. And, and wondering how long it's going to take to get his investment back from the office. <laughs> yeah. All right. December 14th at Peoria. 
They drew 3,500 fans, but mainly papered for a TV taping, as the house was $11,000. Though the 11-degree temperature outside didn't help any. That's can- nice Canadian weather there in Peoria, Illinois there, O'Connor. <laughs> 11 degrees. Hey, it's uh, minus 14 right now, so don't... Uh, <laughs> well, wait, don't oh, oh, wait, wait, is it minus 14 Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. Jeez. But, uh, no, that's worse. See what that equals out to. Oof. Anything that's negative is is bad. <laughs> oh no no okay no wait okay I forget how it scales. At that point yet it's not worse. It's six point eight degrees Fahrenheit. Six point eight yes. Still, <laughs> it's less. Than well, that's 11. I'm being stupid because it's if once you get above zero it goes quicker with Celsius. When you're below zero because zero is freezing in Celsius, that's only thirty two in Fahrenheit. What if you're saved by zero? This stuff we the first weekend in 1990. Sting wasn't there. He missed everything after Starcade. But, oh, this is not after Starcade, too, by the way. But uh, Ole and Arn did two interviews asking him to come out and become the official enforcement. He never came out. Norman drew a picture of a woman. She threw it down, and Norman and Nitron started fighting. Woman and Nitron both tried to break the portrait over Norman's head, and it didn't break. So Kevin Sullivan had to get the job done, and the red coloring on the painting ran all over Norman's head to make it look like blood. Since no blood's allowed on TV, they're being clever between red mist and running red paint to get a bloody-like appearance without violating the rules. How about that? Ric Flair beat Eddie Gilbert on Worldwide with Gilbert playing heel in a good-but-nothing-special match. Really? Flair beat Eddie Gilbert. Shocking. Well, Flair beat Bobby Eaton in the main event in 17 minutes of an excellent match. This is the rematch, right? That airs just after the new year, I think. Yeah, yes. Which the story with that is that I think it was Flair won by DQ in the first match they had on main event. And Jim heard through a fit because the world champion, quote, couldn't even beat Bobby Eaton. (laughs) <laughs> so they had Flair win by pinning Eaton, but also running off Cornette and Lane with a racket. But the big story of this show involves Jim Cornette. Oh boy. They had a match to fill a hole in the episode of World Championship Wrestling uh, with the air date of December 27th. This is a long story. But the tape is in Greensboro, which will be on the 10th or 11th. Can't remember. They held a match with Shane Douglas and Jim Cornette, where the dudes would trick Cornette to signing a contract. The match will wind up with the Midnight's attacking D- Douglas for DQ, leaving him lame. Douglas was booed during the match against Cornette, even though Cornette did everything to turn the crowd, including throwing powder. Anyway, Douglas went to Jim Hurd and complained that he couldn't even beat a manager on television and wanted to quit. Hurd told the booking committee that the Greensboro match will never air on television. And then he wants another match between the two tape with Douglas beating Cornette. So the match was supposed to be tape, but Cornette came out with his arm in a sling and had a note from his doctor saying he couldn't wrestle for another eight months. So Douglas wrestled Stan Lane and wound up with Cornette in the ring and getting pinned. The way it turned out may not have been so bad, but it would have been stupid this early for Cornette to get beat up so soon after turning, and certainly not on free television. That should be for the arena or pay-per-view. Okay. <laughs> I just watched this days ago again in my rotation of watching shit. 
they exp- I love how Ross and Sully explained that we had to go to Peoria, Illinois for this special match when all the rest of the matches were from Greensboro. <laughs> and it, it, it just came off as like, what the hell? What, 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 you know, you knew something was up, but go ahead, Bix. Go ahead. This is a pro Shane Douglas podcast. That's it. <laughs> I like Shane. Yes. This is a sign of how immature he is in the wrestling business at this point. So let me get this straight. You are going to go over the head of the only guy on the booking committee that cares about doing anything with you, who is the driving force in the program you are in on and off screen because you didn't understand how a basic angle worked and thought it made it look like you couldn't even beat a manager. And so you go over his head and turn him against you behind the scenes, and so he just washes his hands of the feet. Bo, your thoughts on, on this? Yeah, he was... <clears throat> he's young, he's worried about his spot, he's worried about getting over, he's worried about looking bad, and he cut his own throat. But this is like... Wouldn't this be something somebody, somebody should say, get over yourself? Yeah. In, you know... Get over yourself. But, is it that mean? I mean, this is. I mean, this is wrestling. <laughs> you know, they have a boss that has no understanding of professional wrestling. So, just like he said, well, Bobby Eaton couldn't win a match. So Shane tells him, "Well, how's it going to make me look?" Herd doesn't understand. This is a storytelling business. They're telling the story episodically, weekly by week to keep you turning in to get the people see you get even or buy a ticket when it comes to the local town. That's if they bother to promote the local town. <laughs> it, it's, it, it all falls under the umbrella of management. But even then, on Douglas's side, yeah, he's greenish, but it's also just weird that he thought that finish made him look bad. They didn't do, like, the wrestlers interfere and the, put the manager over the babyface wrestler thing. They had the Midnights run in when Shane was beating him up. Yeah. Why would he think that makes him look like he can't even beat the manager? And, and, and I would tell you this, I would imagine this, too. Somebody's in Shane's ear. Oh, they're burying you. They're making you look bad. You got to do this. You be, ooh. Oh, I'm sure they're that's killing you all. Yeah. O'Connor, how do you think this would have played out if uh, one of the, the boys went to Stu Hart with that type of complaint? <laughs> Ooh, I think uh, someone someone would be getting a sugar hold. <laughs> in, in the kitchen, probably. Yeah. Wouldn't but, even uh, bother to go to the dungeon. <laughs> I'm not doing a job for Drago Shivago. <laughs> Well, that that reminds me. Did you guys see the sad clip of the dynamic dude Shane Douglas uh, performing a run-in on an Impact show recently? Yes. Those uh, <laughs> those cheap fucks couldn't even find the man a skateboard to carry out. <laughs> oh, they had him as dynamic dude Shane Douglas on the like their version of Southpaw wrestling. Yes, yeah. that that was it. Yeah, but they do a like a a quasi uh, territorial tribute type show 
where everybody's well, doing I gimmicks. I don't know if I'd call it a tribute per se. Well, I mean, yes, parody, it is the show perhaps. where Sam parody. Callahan plays a Jim Cornette knockoff. So it's a parody show, but the, but there it, but it's paying homage to uh, '80s wrestling, basically. And uh, yeah, they had Shane Douglas come out as a dynamic dude. <laughs> Lord, I was, uh, I was listening to a. Teddy Hart clip lately. Uh, oh no! Oh boy! Yes, he's he's still he's still around, but uh, yeah, he he talked about uh, Sammy Callahan allegedly uh, wanting to beat up Jim Cornette uh, at an MLW taping, and also also alleged that Jim Cornette traveled with sex toys. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I mean, is that, is that a surprise? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, that's breaking news? <laughs> that could be uh, what the burger towels were really for. Oh, God. Now you're going to get me heat. <laughs> more heat. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, also, Ole and Arn Anderson beat the New Zealand militia, who now have Beef Eater Gen outfits with Lord Littlebrook. <laughs> uh, Tom Zink and Brian Pillman beat the Freebirds. Pillman beat Kendall Wyndham, and the dudes beat the militia. Fans are pretty upset since Warriors and Skyscrapers advertised the main event. Skyscrapers weren't there. Warriors, while there, did one interview, but never even did a squash match. While Doom and the Steiners also build never took place because Steiners were no-shows for no apparent reason. Sting and Muda also didn't appear. God. <laughs> All the top NWA stars that were not there. Amazing. What was the matches they were advertising? The uh, Warriors and Skyscrapers. Uh, Doom and the Steiners, and so none of those matches took place. Steve wasn't there. Muda wasn't there. December third, eighty nine. So the week before this week, Bristol Viking Hall TV taping. Steiners against Doom, Sting and Luger, Road Warriors skyscrapers. So that that's the dark matches they're advertising. Steiners and Doom everywhere then. And Road Warriors skyscrapers. Yep. And Kendall Wyndham, of course, literally has just come back a few weeks earlier and then gets arrested for counterfeiting. Yes, he did. And, of course, the right. famous story of uh, Heard getting angry that he's going to be missing his dates because he's in federal lockup. Well, I mean, and, here's the thing. They well, were, no, and they let were... me finish, though. And then taking it out on Cornette as if it's his problem and Cornette being like, what, do you want me to bake a cake with a file in it? Well, my <laughs> big thing is, is the NWA was so desperate looking for people to draw money, they hired Kendall Wyndham. <laughs> I don't think he literally draws the money, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He definitely made the... money. <laughs> that would be easy money. Easy money. <laughs> December 15th in St. Louis drew 1,300 fans and a $14,000 gate. Ooh. As uh, a... <laughs> All right, we got, I got to find this because Dave even talks about it. Or, Bix, you find it. Any game went to double count out with Kevin Sullivan in 215. Are you Militia talking about Tommy coming up relating the to St. Louis? The newspaper ads. Oh, the newspaper uh, ads, okay. Midnight over Dynamic Dudes, Rory Hawk over Danny Spivey by DQ when Teddy Long interfered. Flair beat Luger clean in 21 minutes with Flair juicing like crazy. Zink and Pillman beat the Freebirds and Steiners beat Doom. 
They canceled their next day in St. Louis since they took out two quarter-page ads and headlined with Flivers of Luger and didn't draw any fans. Tom Rich broke two ribs when the militia stomped him with their new boots that weren't broken in. <laughs> Boy, you'd, you'd, yeah, you'd think the New Zealanders would have been uh, sufficiently broken in after serving <laughs> as flag bearers for the sheep herders. <laughs> <laughs> Their, their boots, I mean, of course. So it was <laughs> it's a very demanding job. You had to uh, do a lot of standing around. You had to keep both hands on the pole at all times. Remain a full mass for hours at a time. Uh, plus, sometimes they made you carry the flag around. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Wait, is the post dispatch on newspapers.com? Yeah. I'm I don't searching. See, yeah, I'm not seeing anything. Yeah, I don't see it either. So maybe it wasn't in that St. Louis paper, but because only St. Louis Post Dispatch hit I get for Flair is something two days later. But also, about, if, uh, but not even about the show. But when you try to put St. Louis in the drop down, it gives you two different St. Louis Missouri's. Let me see if I can narrow it down to just <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> okay, no. maybe you tried November. I tried December. Yeah, I'll try November too, just in case. But no hits. But anyway, yeah. Hey, so not good. No, not good. Yeah, Thirteen hundred fans. Not good. Who knows if the ads even ran? They didn't have anybody. <laughs> it's possible they didn't even run. I mean, God Almighty. I mean, that, Barnett had people in the Georgia office. Their first job Monday morning was to call every TV station to make sure that the tape aired and if there was any audio or video trouble or any news break-ins during the programming. That was the first thing Monday morning that was done in the office. Then they called the newspapers to make sure the ads ran, and then they were in there. And they would they would ask the people at the paper, hey, read, read them back to us. So they made sure the stuff was right. There's nobody yeah. doing this when they're running towns outside of where any of them live. Yeah. So, just so poorly managed. Mm-hmm. De- Detroit on the 16th through 2500 and a $30,000 gate. As Kevin Sullivan beat Eddie Gilbert in two minutes, Sullivan accidentally stepped on Gilbert's ankle, and he suffered a hairline fracture of the ankle, then fell out the ring, landed on his shoulder, and messed up his rotator cuff. He was hospitalized that night, but he'll be back by Christmas anyway. Jesus. Jeff Richter over Ranger Ross, one star. Tommy Rich didn't work because of his broken ribs. Midnight's over Dynamic Dudes, three stars. Midnight's cheered by most of the crowd, and Dudes heavily booed. When Stan Pid Jotty, after Bobby used the racket, Hawk over Spivey by DQ and Teddy Long interfere, two stars. Flair of a Luger, 22-30, win inside cradle. Four-star four match. Flair juiced like crazy, and Luger's chest was ref in the chops. Anderson's over the Samoans when Arn pinned Samoan Savage, two and a half stars. And Steiner's over Doom, three stars, with Nitron and Woman teasing a split up afterwards. But as you can see with these house shows doing so well, there's this announcement. Apparently, the promotion will cut back the four shows per week early next year. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Speaking of St. Louis, Jim Hurd offers Sam Mushnick five grand into a series of television interviews endorsing NWA today, but Mushnick turned it down because he wouldn't endorse the current product. Oof. 
<laughs> Keep in mind, this is also someone who he's having lunch with every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for Russell Torch makes their debut here. Don't look for Chris Cruz, Lance Russell, or Bob Cottle to ever be on TBS. And don't look for Jim Ross on a syndicated show. Because the stations that carry NWA syndicated shows are competitors with TBS, and they frown on having the same host. Terry Funk and Gordon Soley cross the line, but they're more or less characters and not hosts. However, you're healer, you'll hear a crossover of voices calling matches, just not on-camera appearances. That's what Wade's saying. You may have these guys announce, but they're not the host right. of set shows. That's your difference. Yeah. Um... I did, by the way, I found Knoxville did have an ad. I found an ad from December 89 that has the matches listed. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Well, Knoxville always did pretty good. But. What, what date was on that? <laughs> what was the date of Knoxville Bix? 26th. Yeah, day after Christmas. Day after Christmas. What was that lineup? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, I got it. I was mute. I had to mute for a second. Uh, Flair Luger, Sting and Andersons versus Sawyer, Dragonmaster, and Muda, Steiners and Road Warriors versus Doom and Samoans, Dudes Midnight, Gilbert Sullivan, of course, Gilbert and Sullivan, plus two more matches. They're still advertising the skyscrapers. Uh, not on this show. Oh, I thought you said skyscrapers. No, uh, Doom and Samoans. I didn't, I don't know what that one drew. But Knoxville was still good at this time. For WCW, absolutely. Yeah. All right, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the results. All right, you had the militia going over Tommy Rich and Ranger Ross. Kevin Selma over Eddie Gilbert. Midnight's over the Dynamic Dudes. Pillman over Michael Hayes by DQ. Road Warriors and the Steiners over Doom and the Samoans. Hey, somebody took my Starcade match. Ole Arn and Sting over Buzz, Dragon Master Muda. And Flair retained the title over Luger. Any so. attendance? No attendance. Yeah. What? They were probably offered the, the Christmas night spot in Knoxville and didn't take it. Took the day after. No, it was Charlotte. They ran Charlotte Christmas night. Did they run? Because uh, yeah. Fuller, their Continental's out of business. Yes, they, they were in Charlotte. Closed down a month before. Yeah, they were in Charlotte the, on Christmas night, Greenville that afternoon. All right, uh, Terry Funk will take over as executive producer of the Syndicate TV show starting in January. There you go, Bix. All right, on World Championship for us on the 16th, we have an interesting uh, confrontation with Ric Flair and Lex Luger. So uh, let's go to that clip, shall we? One second. I want to make sure I actually have the screen share back up because I switched windows. Uh, there we go. That's what I wanted the YouTube focused on. As I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be talking here now with the United States Heavyweight Champion, the total package, Lex Luger. A lot of what big a shirt. happenings, a lot of outstanding things are going on right now, and I know you're involved in many of them. I am always the center of attention because I am the premier wrestler in our sport today. Let me tell you a short story. Shut up when I'm talking. to refresh everybody here's memory. Now, wrestler A, and everybody who's I'm talking about, Ric Flair, world champion, wrestles wrestler B, and that's the total package, Lex Luger. One year ago, 
across the country. Wrestle B myself dominates Wrestler A on every single occasion. Now Wrestler A, Slick Rick, decides that he will never wrestle Wrestler B, the total package, again. Well, a long, frustrating year has passed, but the total package Lex Luger has gone on to dominate this sport like no other. A reign of domination that has never been seen in this sport today. So Wrestler A, Nature Boy Ric Flair, finds that his back is to the wall. So who's he bring in? But the old four horsemen. Well, that's old news. I am the new news. I am the champion of the 90s. And I'll tell you what, in my case, the man makes the belt. Whatever belt I wear, makes me the number one belt. Makes that the number one belt. In Flair's case, it's the belt who makes the man. Because Ric Flair, I'll tell you what, why don't you just do it easy way? I know you're in the studio here. Why don't you just stroll out and forfeit it instead of the inevitable getting beat by a total package of sugar? Do it the easy way. Why don't you just relinquish it right here on national TV? Well, here he is. You asked him to come out here. I'm not surprised. Well, well, well. It's been a long, long year, and you finally muster and dredge up the guts to come out and face the total package right here on national TV. You know, Luger, I've heard many times through my career that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. But if you are imitating what the next world champion is going to be like, then my friend, let me give you another phrase. I glad I saved my money because I will be on my yacht in the Bahamas if I have to depend on you to feed me, pal. <laughs> <laughs> to the point. No, no. And let's sit this down. The bottom line is we've already been instructed by Jim Hurd and Turner and everybody else. We're not going to come out here. We're not going to punch. We're not going to fight. We're going to make it known that the match is signed. You're the number one contender in the world. And as I've said so many times before, in a great moment of honesty you're probably the most gifted athlete in our sport but as i've also said a million times in my career and you remember this as you make your move to be the man what you have to do first pal is beat the man the match has been signed Lex Luger and Ric Flair for the heavyweight championship of the world. Fans, we'll be right back. There you go. <laughs> See, Flair knew Luger going to draw. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean... It is a shame that we didn't get a Flair, babyface Flair, heel Luger feud that we could have gotten. Because that has some legs. Yeah. Definitely has some legs. I mean, 
the thing I wonder watching that, though, is what was the plan of how Luger fit into everything? Well, it was, I mean, it was obvious that probably what was going to happen was Sting beats Flair for the title. Then Luger is the one that beats Flair to set up Sting and Luger for Great American Bash. That's what I got to think. That's what I got to think how everything plays. Because they don't go to Sting and Luger, you know, automatically. So that's probably what happens. But I don't know. So who would Sting wrestle at Capital Combat? I mean, that that could be where they had the first one, but I kind of, I don't know. They may do some type of other type of match, you know, find somebody else to stick in there. I don't know. Unless they just sting Luger there and then do a blow off at grip or do some type of big match bash, gimmick match or something. I don't know. That's something that we don't we, we don't have any idea on is what was the plans for Sting and Luger and Flair pre injury. Which is also weird when every newsletter was talking to basically the whole booking committee. Yeah, exactly. Well, this show drew a three point one rating. Uh, Tom Zink and Samoa Savage main event. There's your draw, O'Connor. Tom Zink in his in his tights, <laughs> the cut of his jib through the, through the, through the house. Uh, main event on the 17th with uh, the Andersons against the Freebirds drew a 2.7. There's no power hour that week because of Gone with the Wind on TBS. Instead. <laughs> the 50th anniversary. Yes. Did uh, did good old Ted have it recolorized for the occasion? <laughs> yes. By that point in time, it was... <laughs> of course he did. So, uh, strong ratings here, but can't draw houses. So, Yeah, I mean, th- this booking team has rebuilt the ratings. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're still getting better, but... I mean, that's the thing with me, though. You're doing such good ratings... You start to make these licensing deals around this time, and not all of them did great. It's like, I don't remember, I mean, you and I had a different experience on this. I don't remember seeing the Galoob figures ever piling up once they come out. It's like, oh, I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting given the the relative locations, too, but I really think there is something. you you, You could find the Galoob figures. And like a toy liquidators, like in 1995. Okay, well, we didn't have those here. I five think. years after the, five years later. Interesting. The only thing I think we ever had that was anything like that, I think at the mall there was a KB outlet along with the regular KB. Let's see, that's what I said. Toy liquidators was like a uh, outlet store for KB. Oh, it was? it was affiliated with KB? Yeah. yeah. Okay. George South is still selling them. <laughs> Just go up to the table and say, hey, I'm looking for a figure of anybody on the show that night. <laughs> yes. He will go digging through the box until he finds one that looks similar to somebody. He goes, oh, here it is. Yeah, and if you need a uh, Ray Mysterio hood, he'll find a Patriot mask or a mask superstar. There <laughs> you go, kid. But the thing is, Bo, is, like I said, we got that strong TV ratings here, but it's not getting people to the shows. But, I mean, they're because not they're not the promoting the towns. Yeah. They're not promoting the towns. They just, they do a scroll, they do a mention, but they're not promoting. They're not doing the stand-up interviews for each town anymore. Nope. That's gone. Stop doing that in 88. 
They're doing the generic stand-ups, though, right? Still, aren't they? You even have what? Well, no. Here's what oh. you have. Like in the Flair Funk feud, we have Ric Flair saying these words, and I quote, "I'm coming to your town." That's how he says it. Your town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like what? <laughs> we weren't even. We weren't even getting that. We were just getting like a minute commercial, just graphics and. Action in the yeah. background and the voice. Yeah, they would do like those uh, generic promos, like in the Joe Pettacino nose segments and all that type of stuff. Well, we, well, yeah, yeah, we were total in... mess. Total mess. All right, update on Sid. He's dropped twenty five pounds, so now he's on only two hundred eighty pounds since being out of action. He's supposed to be back sometime in January. January. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> bit longer. Till May, June ish. May first. May first. Is that his first match back though, or just his return? To That's game? his first appearance back. When yeah. does he actually wrestle? Uh, he's wrestling at June Clash. So he wrestled before then. So, hmm. give him give him credit though. Usually, softball players gain weight during the off season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, here's the one that sticks out. Tommy Young's spending back in a month. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Um, first match back is the Clash. Okay, well there we go. Rock and Roll Express will return in January. Well, Captain Chet Manson also starts then on the road. He's been on TV. Cactus was in an auto accident in New York on December 14th in the back seat on the passenger side and had 120 stitches taken in his face. The gash was so large he could stick his tongue out through his chin. So the first time Ooh. that happened. <laughs> no. That said, when uh, Brickhouse Brown heard about this, he demanded he be allowed to watch <laughs> how large the gas was. Um, <laughs> what I was trying to say was uh, when, when you see him looking like he's smiling with the tooth in his nose in Hell in a Cell, that's mm-hmm. him trying to stick his tongue through a similar hole. Um, and as far as starting on the road versus on TV the deal was was that Cornette and Sullivan could not get anyone hired but they booked the enhancement guys so that's why you start seeing Cactus you start seeing uh, the Galaxians etc and with Cactus the whole reason he gets this storyline where he's a job guy who's turning on his partners was to backdoor him into a contract. That was the goal, and it worked. Yeah. All right, back to Steve Beverly. Jack Petrie told us at Starcade that Jorge Gonzalez, Elegante, is progressing nicely in his training with Hero Matsuda in Florida, but the decision has not been made if Gonzalez will start at Russell War in February. Meanwhile, negotiations also continue with Big Fan Vader for that show. Hmm. I, I assume uh, progressing nicely in this context meant he successfully tied his boots for the first time. <laughs> I mean, probably I not, he, because it's Elegante. Someone else is tying the boots for him. Yeah, imagine Hiro Masuda trying to train this guy. <laughs> he ain't breaking his leg. <laughs> trying, to, trying to reenact the Luger video with him. He <laughs> probably figured this guy's going to break his own leg. I <laughs> yes. don't have to do anything. Uh, speaking of Luger, Matt Watch says Luger has signed a three year extension on his NWA deal, assuring his services until late 1992. So, wait a second. If this is true, then 
he was completely clear to start wrestling on WWF TV um, before Flair started leaving. Yeah. Well, I guess there goes that trade theory, among other things. But I'm trying to remember, when was it said originally that his deal was... Th- I mean, not originally, because this is originally. But, like, when it becomes a story in, like, 92, when is it said that his... He had a year, left, a, a year left on the deal. So those two things contradict each other. Is it late 92 or early 93? Either or. Okay. So. Bet Dave. NWA will probably be viewing tapes of Jushin Riger and Flair will get to see him live in Tokyo in February, but it's premature to say that there's much of a chance right now of them bringing him in. Well, it takes a while, but he was on the radar, I guess, on some For people's list. Here. two years. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you think things have changed, and then 33 years later, we have Gleet. <laughs> <laughs> where Where do you Jeff? think Jim Hurd got his tapes from? You think he was a, a <laughs> Jeff Lynch guy? Uh, maybe he was good from Steve Minari. There, I mean, they they're local. <laughs> well, also, <laughs> Cornet's getting the Japanese TV. I think it's still at this point. Okay. Yeah, Japanese girl wrestlers Toshio Yamada and Minami Toyota will come in to work a series against Bull Nakano and Kamiko Iwamoto in February. Even though these girls all work hard, Bull, the heel, is going to wind up being cheered by the NWA fans, Dave would bet, unless they all just go to the concession stands don't care about the match. And this does not happen. No, it does sadly, not. Sadly, sadly, no. That would have been no. something. They come a year later. Yeah, the all trans women show up a year later. No, no, they don't. DWP. JWP, excuse me, JWP. Yeah. You're right, but women. Yeah. Japanese women wrestlers. But I wonder what was going on here, especially since... Do we think All Japan Women is still clinging to the idea they have a relationship with the WWF, or are they being realistic at this point? I don't know. Maybe some money felt, you know, money differences here or something. It, also, just an interesting foursome to bring over, too. Like, Bull Mixon, she's... You know, she's more experienced than most, and she's getting her singles push, and it has the new look and all that, new newer look. But I mean, bringing in Yamada and Toyota this interest that this early would be in, is interesting too. Yeah, uh, Bob Segar, and this is how it's spelled by Dave S E E G A R. <laughs> people complaining about the theme music for woman, so we won't be watching her strut to that song anymore. Maybe they're not playing uh. then. <laughs> All right, but here's the deal, though. What do they replace that song with? Goodness gracious, Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> Doom comes out to Great Balls of Fire from then on, as long as they're hooked up with woman. And, and But Which here's the all. thing. Bob Seger's people came after the over Dusty a few years before. Oh. That's the reason rock and roll. Boogie's music changed. Mm, yeah, and that's really when Crockett decided to go to his tracks, too. It was because of that. Right. That was Bob Seger's people. Yeah. Interesting. And, and how, how does Bob Seger know? His brother lives in Salisbury, North Carolina, and watches <laughs> wrestling every week. <laughs> so, hmm. I mean, I guess I suppose it's possible, especially because it was on the home videos. I suppose it's possible they're paying... 
but it's one of those things where someone separate owns the publishing or whatever, and it's it's it like I think sometimes they do pay anyway. Like when people when certain artists complain about certain politicians using their songs, I wonder if it's more like that. A lot as far of as I remember, but, but here's the thing though: as far as I remember, no, as far as I remember, they never played any of the music on their home videos. They cut out the entrances completely. Mm-hmm. Watch Starkid '85. You never hear any theme songs. Okay, Bye. no, 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 no. Right. Okay, well, I, there's one I can definitely tell you that they use on on the Bash. Steamboat definitely has Sirius on the home video. That's a different era. I'm talking about '85, '86, '87. Oh no, no, I'm talking about '80. I'm talking about '89. I'm talking about '85, '86, '87. We're talking about Seeger. Right. The right, beginning right. of where Crockett goes into his own music. It's <laughs> never used on home videos. But in Never. 89, yeah. when they show entrances, and it's a commercial song, they do use the commercial song. Yeah, but until that changes yes. in, in 1990. Well, personally, I feel uh, Bob sent a cease and desist to the wrong wrestling personality. Uh, let me introduce you to Buck Zumhoff. <laughs> <laughs> might might want to check on that guy. <laughs> At this time, I've been in jail. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, you know, yeah, he definitely doesn't mean he's in his song. All right, uh, back to Matt Watch. The Atlanta Constitution did a full blown feature a la the New York Times on Ted Turner's wrestling efforts, and Chris Cruz was quoted as saying, Who cares if outcomes are scripted in advance? Quoting Cruz, Do we have to have disclaimers on movies that say in the movie that you see isn't real? Jim Hurd, WST Planamena, and Herb Mushnick are all so quoted in the two-page report in the December 19th edition. Huh. I was, I was going to suggest the difference is Chris has probably never phoned the Motion Picture Association of America to stooge on an objectionable <laughs> film scene. But uh, on, on second thought, I imagine he probably has. Seems like, <laughs> yeah, he uh, probably has. Seems like the guy that would inform the usher that... Uh, he saw you sneaking your own melt duds into the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and no, Bix, this isn't online because it's the Constitution, not the Atlanta Journal. Oh, and because before the Atlanta the Journal. Before, the year before the merger, yes. And they, they can and get the publicity in the paper if the story is negative. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and so the pre-merger Constitution is not online anyway. No, just a oh. journal. Okay. Yeah. Although I could check ProQuest, but I was looking at, at for something else while we were recording, and then I found out that my New York City library card just expired because you have to get it renewed every three years, so I have to go get it, that done. Oops. <laughs> and to close out, and this is a perfect close for this section, they were still airing Starcade commercials on ESPN four days after the event took place during basketball games, and also on TBS during the wrestling show on Saturday after the event. Now, the Starcade promos on December 16th ran because they're doing a Starcade rerun on pay-per-view on the 23rd as an experiment to see how the Saturday afternoon pay-per-view rerun would do. Of course, whatever the results of that experiment were meant nothing because nobody, and Dave Meltzer means nobody, <laughs> not even most people within the promotion of the wrestlers, even knew they were doing the rerun, nor was it ever plugged on any television show directly. WCW, everybody. <laughs> so, wait, 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 wait. The promos he's talking about here, these were these all had the replay date, or were some of these the wrong one? Um, 
they were plugging it as, as a rerun, but I don't think it had the rerun date. Right. <laughs> but they, they common thing though earlier they would you would still see ads for the pay per view after it had already aired. Hmm. I, I can remember that. That that was a common thing in eighty nine and ninety. Lord have mercy. Yeah, it happened way too much. So Quality wait, so, control. So, okay, so LincolnNewspapers.com, they have a listing that they says, say is Atlanta Constitution. But What's it includes dates after the merger, too. I, I thought they had both under Atlanta, under Atlanta Journal Constitution. Oh, it's incomplete, well, if you try to though. So, maybe there you go. It's it's not, it's yeah, that's what I, yeah, it's incomplete. I know, wait, it says it as December, so was the 19th it said? It's not in the paper. Uh, at least okay, on is, a, is the Constitution, or it's not coming up in search, at least. Okay, yeah, it is. I got it. Okay. I did, guys, so I was wrong. I mean, I was searching All for right. part of the quote and was searching for Chris Cruz and stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's basically just it's just your normal thing. Okay, here's the thing you'll like on it, Bo. The fans include foul-mouthed octogenarians, uh, bad old boys in packs and a healthy <laughs> smattering of parents with their children. Wrestling has always attracted um, a very special group of fans, wrote Sports Illustrated, many of whom may eventually be eligible for parole. <laughs> what page is this on? It's on page four. I miss, I miss those fans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just talks about, you know, just, it's just different things. There's a Chris Cruz line. I mean, it's just, it's basically, it's going through a Ric Flair Lex Luger match and then it adds um, quotes. Yeah. yeah. So not you much know. beyond that. Okay. James Heard, not Jim Heard, James Heard. Oh, it's Christian. James Heard, Executive Vice President of World Championship Wrestling, says This year we rebuilt two knees, two jawbones, and one eye socket. Talk about the major injuries. Terry Phone talks about five knee operations, several busted teeth, broke broke back. The memories are my aspirin, he says sweetly. It's, oh, they were at Starcade. That's what they're doing. They were at Starcade. We do have this at the end, though. In fact, Steve Planamenta, media coordinator for Titan Sports, which rare newspaper article that uses what at the time was the correct spelling of Titan Sports. No space. Titan Sports, one word with a capital S is, quote, a producer of family sports entertainment. His competition, he says, isn't the NWA, but Disneyland and Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Some wrestlers wonder uh, how much Turner will try to emulate the gimmickry uh, action, excuse me, gimmicky action, in Mr. McMahon's matches in order to repeat his success. Mr. Hurd says that hardline fans of the NWA aren't worried. I think they will, excuse me, I think they believe we will preserve the wrestling end of this thing as we delve into the fantasy and soap opera issues that Titan Sports has made popular. Mm-hmm. That's where the hunchbacks come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, Irv Muchnick, uh, they also quote, and it says, California freelancer, this is the actual ending, Irvin Muchnick, who writes fr- uh, frequently on wrestling, says wrestling offers all the violence of professional boxing without the concomitant brain damage. (laughs) What more can you say about it, he adds. 
it's not really a fake sport. It's real theater. All right. Do you guys want to know the uh, the lineup for wrestling on Channel 69 for our week here? Well, of course. You're ending up in yes. a paper, so let's do it. All right. So Wrestling Challenge let off at 8 o'clock. Georgia All-Star Wrestling followed up at 9. Worldwide Wrestling followed up at 10. NWA Pro followed up at 11. All right, as I go back here, right, so let's go to the next page. Then we have, uh, let's scroll down. Then we have, uh, late night, we got USWA Wrestling at midnight. This is Texas. Memphis at 1 a.m. And Continental at 2 a.m., Bo. Yes, Continental was the... Uh, was the, the the end of the night for so me as a wrestling fan? Airing reruns at this point. Yes, we'll talk about that as we get to the continental section. But yes. uh, oh, and then we'll also get to the consortium, then, won't we? Yes, but this is taking up half the show. This one segment. So well, it's, half well, it's half the notes too. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's <laughs> halftime. So that's some great 1989 commercials. We'll come back with halftime where we will talk about Patreon. Hit the plugs. And we'll get back here with the rest of the show. We'll go international with a very, very slim Japanese session because they're off may, may, majorly. We got a long TV taping in Club Taboo in Winnipeg. <laughs> yes. And the end of Stampede Wrestling. No. So for all you folks that love uh, Robert O'Connor, he will be raring to go on this section. And we'll have Lucha and little Puerto Rico and all that and more. After the break. Booker is brought to you by Revlon Cosmetics, Hair Care, and Fragrances. The most unforgettable women in the world wear Revlon. Siasiyan. To travel forward to the past. Siasiyan. To allow. What is forbidden? Siasiyan. To obtain that which is elusive. Siasiyan. The fragrance of the imagination. Free samples, really? Well, it's a real country store. Fresh baked bread? Mmm, homemade muffins. And shed spread country crock. Right at home. Hey, I gotta try some. One country taste deserves another. Mmm, country crock. In the country. <laughs> where do you think rich, buttery taste came from? Well, I know where it's going. <laughs> shed spread country crock. Rich, buttery taste. Fewer calories and no cholesterol. Taste country good. Country fresh. Country crock. Boy, this country store feels like home to me. Well, you're just a country boy at heart. A country crock boy at heart. <laughs> For those with a talent for brightening up the holidays, McDonald's has something special just for you. For a short time, we're serving holiday chicken McNuggets with a festive orange sauce. There are also thick, rich eggnog milkshakes and cool peppermint sundaes. They're just our way of lighting up the season. Your holiday place, McDonald's. Are you sure it's going to work, Grandpa? Trust me, kiddo. Will you show me what it's all about? i got a good feeling about Tell this one. story that can't live without. You mean like the time we took Grandma water skiing? Oh, now, silver shuttle. Is there magic I, I should know? Grandma's fruitcake. 
Contact first made news in 1961. In 1976, the news was too suited Today, there's new Co-Advil. Co-Advil has what no other cold product has. The pain reliever in Advil plus a proven decongestant. A combination never available before in just one tablet. Co-Advil is so effective it can relieve nasal congestion, sinus pressure, and the aches and pains of your cold. All without drowsiness. Read label before using. New Co-Advil. Advanced formula for cold and sinus relief. Get into the holiday spirit. Jingle bells, Batman snows, Robin waves. With the Simpsons Christmas Special. Tonight on Fox. Where on your FM dial can you find a variety of favorites of the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? And those wise guys, Harder and Holman mornings. More music, more fun. 98 Kiss FM. Yo, Fox 28. I've had it. Come up with some darn good westerns or I make this boy eat quiche. Eddie Ratman do it too. You wanted westerns, Fox has the best. Throughout November, don't you dare miss out. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1989 commercials as we pivot to a condensed halftime segment of the show because uh, it's a long show this week, folks. So we want to make sure that we have enough time to get all our stuff in. So uh, we're going to do it quickly this time. Of course, Patreon. You all know about that. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Um, we're recording the new show now. In fact, we're recording some after uh, this segment. So everybody go check that out when it drops at the end of the month. And, of course, uh, we're in the 25 Years of Montreal series. This is the last part of it. So listen to the first two parts and listen to all the other stuff that we've done. In our full uh, six years of the Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Everybody go check that out. You can do that for $5 a month. Dollar a month gives you access to the Discord and thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a second. 25 allows you to uh, pick a show for the week if you want to. Um, you know all that stuff. $50 allows you to pick a you know segment of the show you want to do and 100 for the whole show if you want to do it. So uh, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Also the annual tier. Can't forget that. $50.40 gets you uh, the Patreon annually without having to pay every month. So quite a few people are doing that, and it seems like a good way to go for them. So if you want to try that, then go right ahead. All right, Bix, who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? Well, hit in the middle of the month. We just got one. Yeah, it's, it's, hey, it's Christmas time, too. People are doing their Christmas shopping, but yes. Actually, wait, I just realized. I think I switched around the last two last week, so I think actually we don't have any, because did we have Francis Lane last week? I think we may have, yes. That's, that's what threw me for a second, because I, I, I forgot that I switched them around to end on a cheeky sports shop employee. But anyway, it happens, especially middle of the month, especially this season, so <laughs> it's all good. Montreal Part 3 coming before the end of the month, and then... Uh, we move on to our next adventure that'll do uh, excuse me, that'll be January and February. Yes. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Alright, IWTV, anything going on there of importance? Pretty bare week as far as live streams go, um, other than wrestling open. Uh only thing that's going on is a contender series show from New Texas Pro. So I guess a developmental show for New Texas Pro. So, yeah, we have a weekend without any ICW No Holds Barred or H2O or anything like that. That's very rare. Yes. Um, or even anything H2O adjacent, you know. 
Is the new Texas Pro bringing class back to Texas wrestling? <laughs> I mean, that's asking. New Texas Pro World <clears throat> Federation Championship class wrestling. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, uh, use code BTSPOD and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a subscriber. Of course, you know, the Restival is coming up at the end of the month. Uh, what else is coming up? The Life of for uh, January is going to be friend of the show, Kevin Koo. I don't think I got to mention that last week. Yes, yeah, first time uh, you mentioned it here. Yeah, looking forward to how that goes. I'm assuming there will be various uh, cameos from Dominic Greeny, of course. Well, I would hope so. Yes, if not more than cameos. Also starring. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, everyone uh, check that out. Looking forward to that. So, uh, independentwrestling.tv, code BTS. Pond. Um, are we just going to skip the usual other plugs and just close out? What are we, no, what are we doing? Oh, no. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data many times, even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geo-block content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps, browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go through that, shall we? We have three uh, plans we offer for you. Get a monthly plan of $11.95 a month. Get a yearly plan of $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year, or the best plan, three years plus four free months, $1.98 a month, $79 over three years, 83% off. Amazing bargain for all of you. Why is that? Because they're so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, you're at the end of the show. So we're just going to cut time there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you have anything go up on Wrestling Inc. this week? Yeah, the uh, video game kickbacks feature, uh, all that stuff. That went up uh, by the time people hear this. People should check that out. Um, I don't think it's out yet, but I know it's getting uh, plugged in Stephen Totillo's uh, video game news newsletter at Axios. So that's fun. And uh, I should also have a roundup of the uh, all of the Vince allegations today, not just from this year news either. Um, so everyone check that out. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to a different type of international section now. As we only have one little thing from Japan since they're uh, off tour at this point in time. Everybody's off. New Japan had one little live card at Cork and Hall on December 19th with mainly the young guys wrestling. The highlight was said to be an incredible match with Akira Nagami against Takuki Yuzuka. 
Didn't know the finish, but Azuka reversed Nagami's superplex, and they both tumbled over backwards onto the floor. Nagami did a flying cross by the top rope to the floor with Azuka th- three-fourths of the way to the next side. And Nagami did a drop kick off top rope onto the floor. And the uh, four matches on this show featured uh, the feature of Samurai, Asama Matsuda over Hirokozu Hata. Nokisana over Hiroshi Dari, who uh, would be one of these young lions that just fell by the wayside. Jujutan Liger beat Takeshi Misawa by referee stoppage in 92 seconds. Misawa would, would go on to become uh, the doctor for New Japan, their, their ringside doctor. And Akira Nagami beat Izuka to win the main event. And, uh, yeah, the future J.J. Jacks here, Bix. And uh, yeah, these two guys, I mean, I'm getting into 89 now in, in my New Japan watching, and I just watched Izuka, actually. Um, team up with Anoki, losing to uh, Vader and Italian Stallion, one of uh, O'Connor's favorites. And... Uh, <laughs> Azuka was a young guy who, I mean, was just starting to get out there. And, you know, he, he, he looked good. Nagami looked good. I mean, these two guys looked like they were going to be two big future stars in the business. But they did very well. But they didn't get to that next level that maybe some people thought they could have. No. And, I mean, I've wondered why. And, you know, in 89 in particular, like, there's that tag we talked about a few months ago with, the, with that other crazy dive, too. Like, they... Of all the guys on the roster, they are the ones you can tell are trying most to get noticed and maybe yeah. get on TV above their push. But I don't know. I mean, you know, Azuka would have injuries and stuff later. Nagami has the acting career later. But um, I mean, Nagami, I think the big thing I've wondered about is when he's more of a full-time active wrestler... Why did he get shifted into like this Heisei Ishingun heavyweight role where it's not like he was bad, but it wasn't the best use of him? Yeah, that was a weird one. Like, who who did he piss off? You know, <laughs> did he, I mean, how, how bad did he piss off Choshu or something? You know, that he ended up getting stuck in Heisei Ishingun as one of the lower ranked guys in the in, in the group when he was. You know, the gimmick he had, you know, that he was doing that Kabuki-style gimmick earlier, you know, he was having, you know, main event-type matches in that deal. And, yeah, it's so, I don't know, something happened. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I always like these little New Japan shows they would do at, uh, in between uh, the end of the year, December and the end of the year, where they would have, like, a young, the young guys get spotlighted. I always thought that was a cool concept. So, there you go there. All right, let's go to... Lovely Canada, Robert O'Connor's homeland. And we start with the West 4 Wrestling Association Alliance, whatever they were. And uh, they ran a TV taping at Club Taboo <laughs> in Winnipeg on December the 12th. Club Taboo. Yeah, we'll talk about that. You better, <laughs> you better take a deep breath before this one, Chris. There's a lot to get through. Yes, so let's start with our opening match. Baron Von Ransky over the natural Don Callis. <laughs> and then we continue. Charlie Norris over Beef Burton. Tom Burton. Was Burton Oleo? also a uh, Eddie Sharkey guy? He was Minneapolis. He was from Minnesota, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ole Olsen over Buddy Wayne, father of Nick Wayne. Sheik Adnan LKC over Mike Lazansky. <laughs> 
Aaron Von Ranch giver Johnny Starr. Charlie Norris over the natural Don Callis. Eddie Watts over Brett Como. Chris Markoff over Titan. That's is that Bogner? Uh, Rick Titan, yeah, yeah rookie yeah. year. There you go. Uh, Ken Patera. Well, at least he wasn't shitting and pissing himself here. <laughs> Be Noli Olson. Uh, Baron Von Raschke over Sheikad Nine LKC. B. Burton over Titan. Mike Lazansky over Johnny Starr. Bulldog Bob Brown and Psycho. <laughs> Texas Hangman Psycho? I guess. I, I don't think so. Okay. Over Bill Cody and the French Mad Dog. Chris Markoff and Kip Patera went to no contest. Oof. Baron Von Rescue over Andy Watts. Ole Olsen over the Natural Don Callis. French Mad Dog over Johnny Starr. Buddy Wayne over Eddie Watts. Adnan and Markoff over Mike Lazansky and Bill Cody. Kip Patera over Titan. Chris Markoff over Bill Cody. Adnan over the Baron. Bulldog Bob and Psycho over Mike Lazansky and Brett Como. And then our final match, Sheik Adnan and Markoff over Buddy Wayne and Bill Cody. O'Connor, the floor is yours. Well, (laughs) got a few comments here, as you might imagine. Uh, First of all, with all the AWA retreads on the show, I was worried uh, Buck Zumhoff would turn up. But uh, I guess some things are too taboo even for club taboo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of which, I mean, there's, uh, I'm guessing talk. he just wasn't able to get into Canada by this uh, point. <laughs> Actually, wait a second, it's late '89. He's in jail. That would explain <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, uh, well, let's talk about Club Taboo, uh, located in lovely North Winnipeg. It was a bar slash gentleman's club. <laughs> Uh, located in the Garden City Inn, which was a fine hotel, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of the kind of hotel where uh, Mr. Hughes leaves one of his towels. <laughs> that was but uh, apparently, I've done my research. Uh, one of the gimmicks at Club Taboo was something called the Bladder Buster Special. <laughs> and no, this this is not a segue to a Ken Patera joke. <laughs> even though he was on the show. (laughs) Where, commencing at 7 p.m., draft beers were priced at 25 cents until, that's 25 cents Canadian, so uh, hell of a deal, until the first patron went to the bathroom, (laughs) at which point the price doubled, so... Basically, you had a bunch of hosers on the verge of pissing their acid-washed jeans to save a quarter. <laughs> Actively discouraging each other to use the bathroom, which sounds like uh, Velveteen Dream's worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, it's a hell of a way to get water poisoning. <laughs> I, perhaps you had to sign a liability waiver. I don't know, but... Uh, that that sets the scene. That is the the tableau for this uh, <laughs> this lengthy taping for uh, yeah the WFWA it was a Tony Condello production. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, and this uh, kind of segues into our our Stampede segment. This is the company that would eventually briefly take over the Stampede Wrestling time slot on TSN. 
Okay, so and, I've wondered about that though. What was the timeline? When did they take over for WFWA? I mean, not the, uh, for CNWA. Um, my so my recollection, Stampede went into reruns for a while. That I remember. Then we had yeah the the CNWA turned up. Uh, that was the. The Fred May, Ed Whalen co-production from the Silver Dollar Casino, the Silver Dollar Casino and Action Center in mm-hmm. Southeast Calgary. So that was, yeah, kind of the the heir to Stampede Wrestling, uh, smaller building, lower budget. Um, yeah, and then I don't, it, I'm pretty sure it was the following year at some point that... Uh, WFWA took over, and I, I think they had slightly better production values than uh, the CNWA, but it was, yeah, it was uh, no replacement for Stampede, that's for sure. And the, the well, name itself was the, the West Four Wrestling Alliance, purportedly spanning the four western provinces of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia, <coughs> though to my knowledge, they never ran shows outside of Manitoba, which would uh, kind of be like starting a promotion called Tri-State Wrestling and only running in Delaware. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, yeah, so let's, uh, let's dissect this lineup. Uh, 24 matches. So if mm-hmm. you thought... Uh, AEW dart tapings were soul crushing. <laughs> yes, but there's a difference. So, it's in a it's in a, strip, it's in a quasi strip club, though. So there's <laughs> other entertainment going on, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Dart dark taping of a different kind. But uh, <laughs> I, I did some math here. Yes. These poor people watched Baron von Raschke. And Adnan Al Casey combined ten times in one night in 1989. <laughs> yes, so no wonder they had to bribe their customers not to head for the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously, some notable names you mentioned: uh, Don Callis. That was the first year of his career, I believe. Probably one of his first matches. Yeah, we had. Uh, of course, a few Calgary guys, Brett Como, who we've talked about many times, uh, Big Titan, Rick Bogner, Mike Lizanski, the Canadian Tiger. Um, yeah, we got uh, Beef Burden, you mentioned, was, of course, Tom Burden out of Minnesota. Now, of course, if they'd had Burden Cummings on the show. <laughs> oh, I know. God. <laughs> Stand back. Of the guess who? This place would have been packed to the gill. <laughs> I, should, I actually saw, Daniel Maccabe will enjoy this, but uh, I saw uh, Burden Cummings is playing a New Year's Eve show at the Burden Cummings Theater in Winnipeg. So you know you're over when you're on the marquee twice. <laughs> Stand tall, I'm sure we'll be playing more than once. <laughs> yes. What a, what a shame we never got uh, Beef Burden versus Beef Wellington. Can you imagine? Oh, God. Uh, so, yeah. By this point, though. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, matter. I, know, I don't know. I know Bruce Hart came up with uh, Beef Wellington originally, and I think at some point they decided that was uh, 
too stupid <laughs> even for Stampede Wrestling. But. Wow, that's really stupid then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not long before Callus starts getting a push. What have you heard about the lore that he either found a money mark who helped out uh, Condello or started paying Condello or whatever it was that there was some other reason behind his push that was monetary in nature um I mean I kind of I think I heard the money mark version which uh, knowing Don Callis I I could see him uh, procuring a money mark I mean he was, you know, as a worker, he never impressed me much. Uh, obviously, as a promo, uh, he wasn't quite as polished at this time. But uh, you could, you could definitely see the potential. But yeah, I, I don't know if he paid Contello directly, but I could, I could see the the money mark thing being true. And for what it's worth, looking on YouTube at stuff that's WFWA from TSN, it looks like it's from 90, and it's definitely from TSN because it has the same kind of graphics that Stampede had at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so when did TNWA stop? Uh, I mean, I feel like it... I thought it, it only lasted, but... I, I, I think it lasted a few months. I, okay. I don't know when the switchover happened, but... Yeah, there's I think definitely yeah, there's there's more CNWA out there than than uh, West Four on TSN, but they had television in Winnipeg too. Right, so they were probably just airing older WFWA. Yeah, okay. the last uh, the last TV tape being it was April twelfth, nineteen ninety one. Okay. And yeah, where the last match being Bulldog Bob Brown and Les Thornton beat Muck and Singh and Ron Ritchie. <laughs> well, that'll do it. <laughs> uh, that'll uh, kill the territory. And you had a um, uh, early match on the show of Chris Jericho beating Lenny St. Clair. Ah, that would be so, uh, Japanese future death, death match, match legend, legend. Yeah, Luther, the original yeah. death dealer. Have you have you seen? I know you're a. Uh, a regular AEW dark viewer, Bix. Have you seen Luther lately? I have not seen Luther <laughs> lately in action, but I saw a photograph of uh, his new supplementation regiment. Yeah, he's, he's looking buff. Taking the shirt off. He's looking like B, a guy named Beat Burton would look, huh? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I imagine that uh, a young Chris Irvine was probably in attendance at this taping. I'm sure he probably was. Probably covering it for the Winnipeg Free Press, which was his gig around this time. Yes. But, Bo, could you get to Bo real quick? Bo, could you imagine running a taping like this in a strip club? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've probably been on one or two. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it, and the Nobody comes for the wrestling, and they're mad because you're holding up the other entertainment. <laughs> and the thing is, this was December in Winnipeg, too. So I hope that place was well heated for those poor strippers. <laughs> I'm sure. But the, See, that AEW's making their Winnipeg debut in March. Yes, they are. 
Yes, they are. I'm sure that would be uh, quite the evening for one Kenneth Omega. <laughs> one of my friends asked if I was going, and I was like, yeah, I'll probably pass on the 10-hour drive to watch <laughs> Dynamite, but uh, it's nice to see. Yeah. Okay, so wait, so this is December 12th, <laughs> this, that, if I'm looking up the weather? Okay, let's see. So 1989. Let's see what Weather Underground, which is quite the name to use for a website given the history. Uh, they do not have a Winnipeg weather archive. I guess I would have to look up a newspaper or something. Well, <clears throat> this is the 80s, so at least the women were uh, – they had a little protection downstairs. <laughs> yes. I'm sure there was no uh, nobody like Baron von Raschke on that day. <laughs> there was no taboo against that. <laughs> All right, let's go to Stampede now and sad news. By the way, I, I feel bad yeah. for Baron von Raschke that we keep talking about him in this this rogues gallery of Western Canadian wrestlers. <laughs> hey, come on! Now. Like such well, a this nice, normal guy, and like we're talking about him with all these fuckers. Well, he's working with him. <laughs> all right, Stampede Wrestling closed down December eighteenth. Oh, while the promotional, well, the promotional, this is promotional, but the promotion has had found financial difficulty in recent months, and reports of the boys not getting paid or getting paid several weeks late were rampant. After closing the group was apparently the result of long-time problems between Bruce Hart, the booker, and Fred May, producer of the television show and longtime ally of Ed Whalen. The two sides have been at odds on and off for years in regards to the content of the shows themselves. Over the last week's sort of promotion, many interviews and most every angle that occurred to tapings never made their way to television. Fred May said directives that he wouldn't air any racial remarks. Any violence, of which anything that occurs in a pro wrestling ring can fall into this category. Any run-ins, foreign objects, or blood. In one of the last weeks of the promotion, problems were so bad that instead of airing the regular show, Fred May aired a repeat of show from several months earlier. May, who has gotten his promoter's license and since he owns the television contracts, may open up, open, open up in opposition to the hearts. If the hearts reopen, which isn't definite, but it's probable in February, once Owen... Owen Hart, Dynamite Kid, and David Wood Smith are all through their current Japan commitments. Whalen himself missed six of the last eight tapings, apparently over a pay cut. <sighs> and uh, Matt Watch noted that uh, the main reason why Mondo Guerrero didn't make his stampede bookings in December was because people not getting paid. Uh, didn't uh, didn't now, stop him from working <clears throat> for Vern. <laughs> now, real quick before we get into more into this, is, they said it's been sort of a catch-22 situation that's led to everything. With anything that could translate into wrestling heat, meaning take it off television, angles, strong interviews put over heels, it made it harder and harder to draw. The absence of local promos were another factor. Nearly the talent and wrestling itself wasn't nearly the caliber of it was a few years back. When the promotion was fortunate to have the likes of Owen Hart, Hiroshi Hase, Keiichi Yamada, Brian Pillman, Chris Wan, and others, all started out about the same time and developed into entertaining workers. Of that crew, only Owen and Benoit remain, and Owen was only working part-time while Benoit quit just for the closure. Ah, uh, so... Now, it's not all Ed Whalen's fault, because they're having some no. severe money problems, but that said... <laughs> well, Fred, it's time to kill the fucking territory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no run-ins, no foreign objects, blood, no packy chants. Might as well just... Uh, Shut the door at that point. 
Well, wait a minute. Now, do you think the racial stuff in this era would apply to Larry Cameron? <laughs> I mean, made but comments made by him I or can't. About him? I, I I can't say there wasn't, but I don't. Uh, you think it's all still gone? How, how can I frame that? this in a? Uh, a you think it's all still gone? Well, you think you still think it's more gamma and the, the Karachi Five stuff? Yes, because okay. well, let's put it this way: there, there is a very sizable East Indian population in Calgary. I mean, it's much bigger now, but even in in the late '80s, there's a very big East Indian population. There is not a big Black population in Calgary. Never has been. And, yeah, there's not that there's a, a particular animus against East Indians, but if you grew up in 1980s Calgary, you were more likely to encounter East Indians than a black person, for sure. So I d d just don't think there were many uh, racial epithets being thrown at Larry Cameron, per se, but with... Gamma Singh, the Karachi Vice, they definitely played that up. And oh God, yeah, yeah. So, so who knows? But uh, I, I do remember the sadly aborted angle that uh, they were <laughs> another Bruce Hart uh, idea that never came to fruition. But uh, T. Joe Khan was uh, going to come in as Larry Cameron's white slave. Yes, we talked about that on the show. <laughs> May may have saved the territory. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was going to say was, and of course, one of the stories coming out of this is Stampede closing up. Um, you know, all the Canadian citizens who can't go work in the States, they want to go work for... So, I mean, the story is they wanted to go work for Emile Dupree, but was he running outside of the summer at the time? I don't think so, and there's there wasn't a, a whole lot of money out east either. Right, but the the story that's been told, and I think I've heard in a few places, and we've talked about it before, was that before any of them could try to get a start date, maybe it was somewhere other than the Maritimes then, but I'm, I always remember hearing it as the Maritimes, uh, was that when maybe maybe oh you know what it is, it probably wasn't the closure, it was probably the money issues. Because is Jonathan mm -hmm. Holiday here at this point, or is he already gone? He's gone to Portland. Yeah, okay. we'll talk about him later. After the the uh, British Bulldogs repeatedly beat the shit out of him and <laughs> poured hot coffee on his face, <laughs> Davy Boy Smith banged the back of his head against a wall until he bled. <laughs> That's good nature fun. <laughs> a Calgary rib. Yeah, um... Oh, so what I was going to say, though, the story was, though, that, I guess, so whatever it was, I'm guessing it's when the pay issue started then. Jonathan Holliday kind of stooged it off to Emile Dupree, who knew he could get all these guys and just and offered to pay them less than he would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I, I think that was uh, part of the heat. I, uh, Jonathan Holliday had a lot of heat in general, but so that was... Something that got back to the Bulldogs and uh, paid the price for. So he well, do you finished think up. That... Oh, go ahead. Well, you go ahead because you were playing off that. I had some else, yeah. you know, to go. 
he finished up at the end of September, so I mean the Maritimes would have been closed by then, though. So or or were about would have been about to close. So it seems like the story is true. We've heard it from enough people, but it seems like there's something missing. Hmm. I. It may have been uh, something he said everywhere he went and and got back to the Calgary crew. I don't know, but uh, yeah, but this, I know. The way uh, I heard it, and I think it was from Buddy Wayne, was that like specifically they were pissed off because all the Canadian wrestlers who didn't really have anywhere else to work full time were getting caught were cost money as a result mm-hmm. because the the payoffs were lowered. Mm-hmm. You get well, my <clears throat> my thing is here. How different is this? Is if the Bulldogs and Owen are here and not in Japan? Does this happen like this at this point in time? Mm-hmm. Um, they probably keep on chugging along for a while longer. I think. Uh, I mean, Ed Whalen had his favorites for sure, and he he loved the Bulldogs. He loved Owen. So, yeah. I mean, I could. I could see them chugging along a little while longer, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the lineups in a minute. But uh, it rather so, so Waylon is pulling, like he's the guy pulling the string on Fred May. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They were he was uh, Ed Waylon's Kevin Dunn, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, at least, at least I hope he wasn't. Uh sexually harassing anybody like Kevin Dunn was, but that's a whole nother story. Bo, if you, hey, the talent ain't getting paid, that, that's never a good sign, that's for sure. All right. They're not going to stick around long. No, sir. Not at but, all. By this time, there's not many places for them to go. Yep. Yeah, they're dwindling. Fast and furious. Especially I mean, they're, they're holding on. Yeah. 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 They're holding on to whatever they can yeah well hey the uh the top feud at the time in stampede was uh bob emery and larry cameron (laughs) (laughs) so we have a larry cameron promo yes we have a promo from tv where larry is with uh, one of our all-time favorites diamond jim davies so let's go to the clip Weird close-up of uh, Strangler Steve DeSalvo. <laughs> With his haircut. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, <laughs> not in the, not the best look for him. No. This is not the TSN show that we have here. This is the uh, syndicated show. North American heavyweight champ. He's having a running argument with some of the fans right now. It's a different kind of boat that, that he's going to face tonight. And I'm talking about he's going up against... A man who bills himself as the world's strongest man, Strangler Steve DeSalvo. And he also has some very unkind words for you, Lethal Larry. He says, you're all talk and no action. Well, let me tell you something, J.D. There's an old saying that goes like this. Loose lips sing ships. Well, I've been accused of loose lips, J.D., but no one been able to sink my ship yet. And Steve DeSalvo, it sure won't start with you. Yes, Steve DeSalvo, somewhere in your time, you were the legend. And somewhere in your mind, you still might be a legend. But Steve DeSalvo, this is my time. And this territory is not big enough for two legends. And let me tell you something else, J.D. If you take Steve DeSalvo's brain and put it inside a woodpecker, it will bounce around like a BB in an empty box car. 
You know something else, J.D.? I also heard that Steven Sauer was so scared that I wouldn't be surprised if he, too, was a no-show tonight. Leads to Larry Cameron. He doesn't just beat his opponents, he destroys them. We'll be right back with more wrestling action right after this. Oh, this is TSN. I guess it's an hour at this point. Larry Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, what else would a woodpecker do in a boxcar but bounce around when you really think about it? But... Uh, <laughs> You <laughs> loved uh, Larry Cameron and, of course, good old Jim Davies. He sadly passed away last year. I believe yes. COVID got him. Quite a Shame. character. Yes, and he, he was. A, him and Ed were, were fantastic together. Yeah, he had a, a daily Calgary Sun column. He did some radio stuff. Currently, I was told he, uh, he liked to get zonked on tequila before every Stampede show. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've grown to love Diamond Jim Davies. I mean, he did, <laughs> they would say some of the funniest stuff out of nowhere, you know, <laughs> yeah. him and Ed. They did get in these little side conversations. Like, I can't remember what all was, but when Diamond Jim came back from his honeymoon and <laughs> Ed was giving him shit. Oh, <laughs> hilarious. They do. I mean, they knew they could get away with it. They could uh, basically say anything they wanted at that point. Ah, doing a lot of fronting, huh, Jim? <laughs> there was a, a story about uh, Abu Wizal, the uh, legendary stampede manager of Karachi Vice fame. I forget the particulars, but he was uh, accused of stealing. So this was during the actual Calgary Stampede in July. And on the Stampede Fairgrounds on the Midway, uh, I guess he was accused of stealing a giant teddy bear of some description, <laughs> and he was actually banned. He actually got a a lifetime ban from the Stampede grounds, which was problematic because, uh, of course, his uh, day job was Stampede Wrestling heel manager. And uh, supposedly he showed up to the pavilion and was summarily removed from the Stampede grounds. Uh, as per the terms of the ban, and it was good old Jim Davies who he used his stroke with the <laughs> the stampede people and uh, <laughs> had it uh, rescinded so that Abu Wizal could show up back to work. <laughs> Amazing. All right, here's the crew that was in Stampede at the time as we close out. Angel Death makes his return. Bad timing on his part. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and he, got their right time. Yeah. <laughs> beating uh, Jason Anderson. KC Houston beat Desiree Peterson in a women's match. Bob Emery over Skull Mason. Bruce Hart get the British Commonwealth title beating Johnny Smith. Archangel, Curtis Thompson under a mask and wearing his white tights beat Conan the Great. Conan from Mexico. That Conan. <laughs> Wearing his mask. And he just got to the territory at the beginning of the month, didn't he? Yeah, very. He wasn't there long. So, yeah, wasn't here long. And then Larry the Cameron. Territory. Yeah, Larry Cameron retained the American title, beating Steve DeSalvo, who's, who's here because it's holiday season, because he's been in Puerto Rico as Steve Strong. Mm hmm. All year. So he went from worshiping the devil to uh, working with uh, Stampede again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, Edmonton, the next night, they had Jason Anderson over Conan, Angel Duff over Chris Benoit, Skull Mason and Casey Houston over Biff Wellington and Desiree Peterson, Bruce Hart over Great Gamma, Owen over Archangel, and Larry Cameron over Bob Emery. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the end of Stampede Wrestling, O'Connor. A rather ignominious end for our beloved Stampede Wrestling. I mean, Bob Emery, Curtis Thompson, those, <laughs> those guys may be YouTube favorites now. But, uh, <laughs> at the time, they, they evoked bad memories of the Ted Arcidi Bill Kazmaier experiment. Oh, that man. Is, uh, as Bruce Hart liked to call them, abortion dinosaurs. <laughs> Probably the only time those two words have ever been phrased I, I in conjunction with each other. I can't think of the Ted Arcidi Bill Kazmaier feud without thinking of the match they had on TV where the bumper was a graphic crudely made on like an Apple II or an Amiga or something of a poorly drawn like anthropomorphic potato. That said, hey, cow potatoes, you better not miss this. <laughs> I mean, that era stampede there was rough. And they even survived that era. Yeah. You know? I, think, how, I mean, they still had some, some good talent mixed in. But yeah, that was... Uh, that was a tough that, one. That was bad. How did but, Bob Emery end up in Knoxville for one week? <laughs> Bob Emery, I mean, obviously, it would be Curtis Thompson, Bob Emery. Okay, must have been a package deal, no pun intended. That uh, Bob Nelson's. Did he what? Did he train at Nelson Royal? Yes, he's one. I, I think he's one of Nelson's guys. Yeah, okay. all those guys were kind of so associated okay. there. That's that's how he got to Knoxville the one week that he worked for Fuller, and Archie was there, so Archie may have been the one that got him booked in Calgary. Hmm. Well, Curtis was there first. I think Curtis may have been there first. Because Curtis is, well, Curtis is Puerto Rico, so there's your connection. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always that, that pipeline from San Juan to Calgary. <laughs> yes. Uh, and <laughs> Curtis, Curtis worked for some, too, when Archie yeah. was there. So. Yeah. Um, Smith Hart's wife came on that pipeline. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Maria. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at the article from the Calgary Herald on January 14th, which is about a week after Stu announced in the local media that they were definitely done. Here's a paragraph that reads differently uh, almost 33 years later that I'm sure O'Connor's going to love. Hart, Stu, has met a number of dignitaries and influential people. The Hearts once lunched with Prince Charles and Prince Andrew – <laughs> While Stu has rubbed shoulders with Donald Trump, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, and Pierre Jujot, to name a few. <laughs> so get, poor, poor Bob Hope being linked with that crew. <laughs> I know, but we got like two Jeffrey Epstein connections. <laughs> and Bing Crosby beating his kids under the Christmas tree. Yeah. And, and Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I mean, who knew, Bing? <laughs> Well, you know, they should have done. They should they had Bob Emery and Curtis Thompson. Just go all in. They should have brought in Red Tyler. Ass. They should have got they should have got Stephen Dane. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh Chaz Taylor would have been too young, but uh I mean <laughs> just, just search him out, you know. Uh, Teddy it, Trouble. It, it, <laughs> Throw him into this mix. 
<laughs> I mean, just go all out and build the whole customs territory. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you mentioned Conan. Uh, Conan the Great. Yes. A, yeah, novelty to have him in the territory at the very end. And uh, yeah, he's always credited uh, Jason Anderson uh, for helping him a lot uh, when he was up here. Jason Anderson would later become Jason Neidhart, the cousin of the Anvil in the Lance von Erich sense. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he always uh, speaks fondly of Jason Anderson, unlike Owen Hart, who allegedly tried to bar Conan from using all of his lucha spots, which was uh, <laughs> a little silly. But uh, granted, Owen could do them without blowing up after 30 seconds. So uh, <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I mean... It... Conan back in the day was literally the only person you ever heard say a bad word about Owen Hart. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, just think you let's watch Conan cut a promo or be interviewed. Uh, and wait, wait till you see who interviews him here, Bex. So let's go to the uh, cliff here. It's not Diamond Jim Davies. It's the other guy who was hosting when Waylon wasn't there. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't remember who that was, though, so I'm curious. Conan no, just wait, Gate, you'll see. A brilliant display of speed. Oh, that would be uh, uh, Ross, Ross Lindsay. Ross, Ross Hart. Yeah, yes. Ross Lindsay Hart, yeah. Wait, right, so is, 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 wait, so is that his middle name? And that's where the... It is, yeah. yeah. So wait, so yeah. did... Wait, Lindsay is... The current Lindsay Hart, whose daughter is that? Uh, ben Bassarat. Ben and Allison. Alice, yeah. Yes. Okay. So is she named after Ross? Uh, I mean, I think they're all named after Luther. 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 Yeah, yeah, one, that, that one, one, one way or another. Yes. Yeah. Joey yeah. and aerial maneuvers. But unfortunately, the question of who the better masked man wasn't settled tonight because of outside interference by the angel of death. I don't know what business he had coming in to the ring. I love how he's the interviewer here, and he still cuts the most stampede promo possible. <laughs> like uh, a lot of illegal tactics and great top rope maneuvers there. <laughs> That's the most Stu Hart imitation without doing a <laughs> Yeah, Ross did start turning into Stu sooner than uh, his siblings did. Ever since I got here, ever since I got here, every town I go to, somebody jumps in my match. Dark Angel, I think he's a fugitive on the run. I'm going to rename him the Ark Fugitive. Shellhead that just got in the ring, I'd, I've never even wrestled the man, so I don't know what he's doing in here. I think it was a conspiracy between the gang of three, and that includes Lethal Sherry Cameron. That's right, Sherry, because you got a hairdo like a woman, huh? Why can't you <laughs> he has no hair. Well, I can be one-on-one -on -one with no outside interference. I had him down twice. The referee late counted me. I, you're, you're as good as gone. You're finishing the fans' eyes. And let me tell you something, Angel of Death. I got a Christmas present for you, brother. You ain't never gonna forget. He's six foot six, 320 pounds. How will you cope with the size and weight advantage he has? I'm not gonna get into cliches. You know what they say, the bigger they are. That's all I gotta say, brother. That's right. Certainly. Conan the Great. For all my fans in Mexico, in Miami, Arriba, Mexico. Huh? Thank you very much. A brilliant display. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. So are they billing him as Mexican, or...? Um, I think so, yeah. I think California, Mexico. But he's clearly, I mean, besides it even mentions Miami, he clearly has a South Florida accent. 
decided you try telling that to a Calgarian in 1989, Bix. Yeah. yeah. If if Southern <laughs> Americans can't tell a French Canadian from a Russian, then we cannot uh, <laughs> well, a French discern the difference doing, between uh, a Cuban and a Mexican. In fairness, he's a French Canadian doing Mad Dog Vachon as Boris Badenov. <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, all right. I, I'm going to see you another one. You got to listen to this. Cause, I mean, uh, I should have put this in the notes. But all right, listen, we're going to get Angel of Death reuniting with Steve DeSalvo. Ooh. Of course, they had been together uh, in 1986 as heels, but Steve DeSalvo is a babyface here. Let's go to the clip. Didn't they also both have uh, power team connections, too? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are we going to see uh, Ross Hart here, too? No, it's Diamond Jim. Uh-oh. Fans' complaints going to change this victory around, and the deciding victory goes to KC Houston. Now, let's go up to ringside for an interview with Jim Davies. Strangler Steve DeSalvo, I was talking a little earlier on with the man you're going to face on this card, Lethal Larry Cameron, the North American heavyweight champ, and he was extremely insulting. I guess that shouldn't surprise you. He said when he was through with you, your brain would be bouncing around inside your head like a BB inside a boxcar. Well, isn't that clever? Well, Mr. Cameron, if you want to trade barbs, I'll give you a little one. I believe it's an old one, an old proverb. They talked about when they transplanted Larry Cameron's brain into a bird, and the only way the bird flew was backwards. Well, Mr. What's this? This is the angel of death. What are you doing in here? Hey, this is my old buddy, Strangler Steve DeSalvo. How you doing, buddy? Hey, what a great Hey, what a great Christmas present this is. Me and my old buddy Strangler. You don't look too excited, Steve. What? Of course he's excited. This guy loves me like a brother. Man, we were closer than any teammate could ever be. <laughs> well, Angel, one time we were, but I've heard some things that kind of upset me. I mean, you still are a great wrestler. You still are a man that many people look up to. But Angel, I don't need a partner now. Steve, I don't care what you heard, and I don't care what these people say. If you remember back about four years ago, when you and I broke in here together, we were the most feared tag team this territory has ever seen. And I know that if you and I get back together again, we can rule this place like no two people ever have in the history of Stampede Wrestling. Come on, buddy. Don't worry about what these people are saying. You got your own mind. You're a man of means. Nobody has to tell you anything. Hey, baby, it's you and me, just like it always has, right? I hate to interject something, but I think I rule now. I think after tonight, I'll be the permanent ruler. Now, why? Now, why in the grace of God would I need you? I have with me right now the great... just cut it off? <laughs> yeah, just cut it off. Okay. It's probably got, probably got worse from there. <laughs> <laughs> Steve DeSalvo was, was always an interesting promo to me. <laughs> interesting would be the right word for it. I mean, he 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 was very verbose. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he had his moments. He could be funny. He was, I mean, he, he kind of, I don't know where he got his style from. Who would he have, 
like learned his promo stylings from. I mean, he's uh, like he's trying to be like a Nick Botwinkle type oh. guy, but it just wasn't. I mean, it was just it was his own type of dude. It was it, <laughs> he was he was something. I, I'm a Steve DeSalvo fan. Well, I mean, <laughs> who ran the training camp that he broke in through? Well, Red Bastine. Red Bastine. I can see Red Bastine in him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'll, I'll never forget uh, being outside a bar with uh, Jack Evans, who was uh, having a smoke break, and uh, a wrestler by the name of Australian Suicide, an Australian. Oh kid. yes, yeah, worked yeah. in in Mexico, trained with Lance Storm here in Calgary. So they just done a uh, a Heart Legacy show. And uh, yeah, I was just hanging out uh, on a uh, a cool winter's evening here in Calgary with uh, Jack Evans and Australian Suicide, and this older gentleman bar patron maybe uh, had a had a few Molsons in him, but <laughs> it got to talking and found out that they were wrestlers, and uh, proceeded to wax nostalgic about Steve DeSalvo for about five minutes uh, to the <laughs> utter confusion of Jack Evans and Australian suicide. who had absolutely no clue who he was talking about. A damn shame. A damn shame. <laughs> How dare they? All right, well, let's move on to Mexico. Now we go to arena Coliseo on December 15th, 6,000 fans in the building. Cause we have a Rocco Valente over Pegaso, super Gallo and Toro jr. Over El Mestizo and Zorro de Oro. Commando Russo, Panico, and Sankara over Los Estrellas Blancas 1 and 2, and Estrellas Blanca Jr. Américo Roca, Mascara Sagrada, and Moguer over Blue Panther, Hakimate, and MS1. And Pedro Aguayo, Rega Mendoza, and Satanico over Io de Gladiator, Herodes, and Parata Morgan. So there is your EMLL card for the evening. Then we have a couple of interesting lineups from Arena Nakapan. Uh, which is Promotiones Moreno at this time. Arraya de Plata went up against Universitario. Super Cayo and Taro Jr. went up against Alemania and Tarasco number three. Felino, Pantera 2 and Pantera 3 went up against Danny Boy, Lasser, and, and Robin Hood. And our main event, what a team this is. What a match. Asai, it's your Asai, Ultimo Dragon, Gran Hamada, and Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger. We're against Los Brazos. Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo. That sounds like a hell of a fucking match. And then a week later, we have uh, the same building. Mr. Seed and Arraya de Plata over Pedro Sosa and Perverso. Should he have been working at Club Taboo in Winnipeg? Perverso? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he would fit right with uh, in Kansas City as well. Uh, <laughs> Felino, Pantera 1 and Pantera 2 beat Danny Boy, Lasser, and Robin Hood. Blue Panther and Rambo beat Black Man and Gran Hamada. And then there's this match. This 12th anniversary show at the building, too, by the way. Yoshiro Sai, Mil Mascaris, and Viana Testera over those Brazos. So, uh, God, I wish I had some of this stuff. This, this sounds amazing to see, uh, see some of these matches here, but never see the light of day. Just like this uh, show we got here, UWA, at uh, Palacio de los Deportes de Isatacalco. We have Commando Russo, Tony Arce, and Volcano up against Estrellas Blancas 1, 2, and 3. El Faraon, Kung Fu, and Super Astro against Brazo de Plata, El Brazo, and Herodes. Lola Gonzalez retained the UWA women's title over Tania. 
Elantis, Ilha de Santo in Peru, Aguayo, one of the Fuerza Carrera, Tequila, and Sangre Chicana. And then Ringo Mendoza retained the UWA Junior Lightweight title, beating Brasa de Oro. Same night, uh, Lucha Libre uh, International, the UWA type uh, sanctioning body, their promoters, ran Pista Arena Revolution. We have a right up at Tio number one, and Roy Reyes going against Demante Blanco and Negro Parata. La Mascara and Solar number two going against Cuchillo and Super Razo. Mono Negro, Solar number one, and Ultraman against Espanto Jr., Luis Mariscal, and Scorpio. And then a Super Libre match featuring Asai, Gran Hamada, and Liger against uh, Black Power, El Signo, and Negro Navarro. Missionarios. Then a reason the next night. The reason why I'm including these, some of these spot shows is because these lineups are killer. Roy Reyes against Ano Negro, Arcaro number one, Danny Boy and Lasser against Gallego, Raquetita and Ramon Garcia. Black Man and Super Astro against Dr. Pano Jr. and Lobo Rubio. Pianos, one, four, and five against Signo, Killer, and Rambo. And in this main event, Connect and the Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and Steve <laughs> Armstrong, wearing masks, <laughs> going against Dos Caras, Granamada, and Viano Tercero. Bo, did anyone. In in your neck of the woods, know that these guys are were in Mexico wearing masks. Oh, I didn't know it for years until Tracy started talking about it one night. I mean, he I just said, watched them. Yeah, I, I just watched them in New Japan recently, and they were killing it over there too. That same year. Yeah. They uh, Tracy loved Mexico. Steve, not so much. <laughs> um, Tracy said the first night there, they said if the lights go out, get under the ring. Because <laughs> they'll they'll start throwing stuff, <laughs> and I'm pretty he sure their mask probably their their mask had to be Confederate flag based. Oh yeah, yes. I've uh, he still had one several years ago that I saw it was, um, which he don't he didn't think anybody in Mexico knew what it meant. Well, no, <laughs> you know, but well, you know, I was, like I've seen a photo and. Uh... Yeah, they had the the matching Confederate flag mask, but uh, they also still wore their boots with each of their initials on them, which uh, <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. But hey, well, it's not like uh, you know the fans then ever knew who they were. I'm sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, he. I think Tracy went two or three times to make. Yeah, they went. They went multiple yeah, times. Yeah. yeah. He he liked it a lot. He yeah, said, I mean, yeah. Through every night, and the people were hot, and you know, just took some time to get used to the style and dealing with the people. He, there was one guy on the crew that they were on that spoke perfect English, and I, I can't remember who it was. Well, some and, of these guys have been in and out. You know, United States at a, a yeah, they all they all gave you that they can speak oh, English. It was. Guy that would actually speak to him the whole time. Of course. Well, we have one more lineup from the, from this uh, week. We we got here the 17th at El Torreo, Cuatro de Caminos, and Nacapan. Acero and Black Man went up against Jose Luis Feliciano and Shua Guerrero. Chaos, Rambo, and Zandacan went up against Anibal, Yoshiro Sai, and Super Astro. Dos Caras and Enrique Vera and Tejano went up against Black Power, El Signo Negro Navarro. Lasser, Won a Caballero Contra Caballero match over Black Terry. 
And then Connect and the Southern Boys, Mass Southern Boys, went up against Los Brazos, Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo. <laughs> Who who is Southern Boy Uno and who is Southern Boy Dolce? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Willing to bet that Tracy was Southern Boy One. <laughs> Just a hunch. I, I not if you ask Steve. Okay. I said not if you ask Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Bix. What were you gonna say? I wish they had like weird individual names like the Can Ams got when they came into UWI under masks three years later. <laughs> When the, what was it, uh, Phil? Like, even though they were the before they ever lost their masks, they had like variations of being Phil Lassen and DNS Funas, <laughs> whatever that. And, and and UWA, I mean, you the Southern Boys were there. Like you big said, the Can Ams came in. You had Danny Davis and Dirty White Boy there as a tag team, mass tag team. I mean, Martin it was Eagles. A, yeah, yeah, it was an interesting time, you know. With, some random ass Americans just showing up. Andre the Giant shitting himself. I mean, you know, all kinds <laughs> of diff- different foreigners that was coming in. Samoans. Yeah. Bad yeah. news. Kachina. Yeah. Bad news. Bam, bam. Now, at this point, though, I would think Southern Boys would have been booked through New Japan, right? Well, they were working New Japan off and on more, yes. And, and, and they had somewhere they needed somewhere to go. Continental's closed. Yeah. Because this would have been, I mean, this would have been, a, you know, the week before Christmas. So I'm pretty sure Bo, the Continental probably has some dates on the calendar, possibly, that they would have been working on if they hadn't closed. They would have had, they would have had uh, the weekly towns. Yeah. So, yeah, you need somewhere to go. You can go anywhere to get paid. Hmm. Sucks that we don't have this stuff. Though. I would love seeing, seeing them here in, this, uh, in the mask. Well, it's not just that we don't have it. It's especially at this era, probably nobody does. Well, yeah. nobody, nobody does. Yeah, because by this point, there's not even World Pro Wrestling or anything like other than like maybe occasional Toreo shows that a Japanese crew would be shooting. Yeah, and then we close the international with double double C as Carlos Colon lost his Universal Title to Leo Burke on December 17th in Mayaguez, which is a sure sign just how desperate that promotion is. Burke is kind of like Dino Bravo, but with less charisma. Hey. I know some what? of you think that is impossible. Dave says, I know some of you don't think doesn't think that's po- that is impossible, but those of you who have seen Burke know it's true. How would you get <laughs> to hit that about his style from 1989 Dino Bravo? Yeah, I I wanted to take issue with this, Bix. So maybe Go ahead, maybe O'Connor. I, I should tweet Dave about this. Start a beef, maybe. <laughs> a beef <laughs> Burke. Yeah. Can Finally talk about something other than CM Punk and the Young Bucks. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, Dave. Like, I mean, first of all, Leo Berg could work circles around Dino Bravo. I mean, just ask Bret Hart who he'd rather work with, Leo Berg or Dino Bravo. <laughs> now, yeah, they were both French-Canadian. I mean, English was not their first language, which didn't help their promos. But, uh, come on, like, Leo... He had some charisma. He was a solid worker. Plus, he, he booked RoboCop in Puerto Rico. Yes. Uh, if if Dino had booked RoboCop, he might still be alive today. <laughs> about it. <laughs> Dino, intruders. <laughs> well, actually, no, wait a second. He, no, they, he knew the people who killed him because they didn't break in. So. 
<laughs> well. Dino ended up like the dad from that 70s show. Mm. What? You know. In the, in the movie. Oh, 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 in RoboCop. Okay, yes. Cur- yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the sitcom. No, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's the guy, Red. He was uh, one of the goons in the, the first RoboCop film for Dick Jones. That's right. One of my favorite uh, villain names of all time, Dick Jones. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Dave's well, basically. Leo Burt was awesome. Mm-hmm. Fantastic worker. Yes, or as uh, Bret Hart would refer to him in his book, a great French-Canadian wrestler from the Maritime. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to Dino Bravo, who you'd refer to as a lesser worker. (laughs) Specifically in the context of, I always hated losing to lesser workers, especially in Canada. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's get back to the U.S., and now let's go to the territories or indies at the time we got a little mixture of both here and let's start with well how fitting we just talked about dino bravo and his uh ties icw and the civilities probably dangerously got into an altercation at gleason's <laughs> probably dangerously got into an altercation at gleason's gym in new york on december 12th on an icw card dangerously was doing a danger zone in the ring when the mic went out so he started shouting the danger zone if they're fans of the show, and threw down the ring mic, and the owner of the gym got the mic and started saying, started saying, testing, one, two, three, on the mic, while Paul E. was shouting his thing in the ring. Afterwards, the owner wanted $200 from Dangerously to fix the broken mic, and said he was going to have to take it, had to have it taken from Dangerously's hide. It wound up a standoff between security force at Gleason's, a bunch of semi-pro boxers, and the wrestlers. And Tony Atlas collared two of the guys where everyone cooled down. <laughs> I would love to see this. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if the Gleason's in 89 is the same one I would have been to in 2016. I was, I was going to ask you are, you, are you still living in that office in Gleason's gym? Bit? <laughs> <laughs> the one from the, the Netflix documentary. <laughs> No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I'm no longer, you know, surrounded by uh, Johnny Rods' old uh, commission <laughs> licenses and photos of him as one of uh, Los Supermedicos and all that. And, we, like, piles of VHS tapes everywhere and in a non-air-conditioned room in the middle of the summer. Um, if it was the same, if that was the same Gleason's, there's no way they could fit. 300 people around the wrestling ring. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the same Gleason's, though. I'm not sure. Because they're not at that location anymore, either. But I'm not sure if the one that existed in 89 is the one that would have been in 2016. Hmm. I mean, it looked it's like, like it had been there for decades upon decades on the inside. The outside of the building like was nice. Madison Square Garden. They just uh, build a new one every few years. Pretty much, yeah. But my thing is, what, uh, Paul D, uh, the mic going out, so he decides to scream his uh, antics at <laughs> the fans. <laughs> well, I guess you got to do what you got to do, huh? I mean, if you're doing that type of segment in the ring and the mic doesn't work, you don't just don't go away. You do what you got to do, you know? He, I, I got. I think the the thing is he threw the mic down, but I think that the owner of the gym's kind of being a dick. Hmm. He's going to have it taken from Daniel, so he's hide. He'll beat his ass. 
I don't know. What do you what do you think about that, Bo? I mean, the situation here going on. A lot of times you are in these buildings and all they see is people and think, well, they're making all kinds of money. I gotta figure out a way to get it. You know. But yeah, don't don't throw the mics and the other equipment around either, but what are you gonna do? Have you ever broken a mic, Bo? Oh, I have. <laughs> Only that mine. Was, that's the same. I was about to say, was it yours? <laughs> yeah. I'm mad at myself because now I got to go buy another one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can get good vocal microphones cheap these days. These days, yeah, you can. Yeah. 30 years ago, not so much. No. No. Well, ICW ran a, a show in Brooklyn on the 15th with Street 200 fans. And they ran a show in Meriden, Connecticut on December 16th for 400 fans, TV taping, which included Dr. Tom Pritchard, Tony Atlas, Mr. Pogo, Phil Apollo, and Vic Steamboat. Do we think that uh, Paul and Tom had a piper off? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Matt Watch had notes. Of course, they had notes. Uh, it was on the 16th. Was called by Matt Watcher Dan Riley a show which contained the worst match of all time, a midgets match, and the worst 15 man battle royal of all time. <laughs> well, I I would like to uh, take issue with this as well, Dan. Uh, <laughs> Because is there really such a thing as a bad midget match? Yes. <laughs> I, I contend that uh, midget matches are like pizza or sex. Or sex with midgets if you're Antonio Pena. But <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Still pretty good. Oh, well, he just won a little head. Um, get, oh, Jesus. I know we didn't believe that story, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't name any names, Bex. <laughs> oh, Connor, surely in your time in North Carolina, you had to see Bad Boy Buck and uh, <laughs> Joe Kidd at least once. Yeah, I, I remember them, yeah. I, said, I don't even know who's in this 1989 match, but I can guarantee you they did not touch Joe Kidd and Bad Boy Buck. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and so we have more. Still unclear as whether Paulie Dangerous was booking the taping. We've been told the differences he had with Savoldi's the night before had been settled. But insiders there say Paul was not in sight. And Steve hasn't been able to confirm anything. This is one group said to be part of Paul's consortium. Dennis Condry and Doug Gilbert scheduled in did not show, but Condry's father died. Bob Orton Jr. featured on the program cover also no-showed. Dr. Tom Pritchard was there doing his Roddy Piper impression, impression to a T, <laughs> and he was one that Paulie had recruited. So there you go, Biggs. I'm sure they probably were doing their their Roddy off. Yes. <laughs> if only Bruce was there, too. <laughs> or Matt Warren, as well. <laughs> oh, man. You ought to ask Dr. Tom about this, uh, Bo. Since he was on that show with the supposed worst midget match of all time. Well, I this would put him right in the middle of the consortium, too. I can guarantee you he has no memory of it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Dr. Tom and uh, 
not Tom, Dennis Condry and Doug Gilbert are the weapons here and a good tag team. So uh, ICW was at least interesting in this time. I will say that. Yes. Tom was working all over the place after Continental shut down. I mean, he was just bouncing around because he was out for Burt in Kansas, and then he was up for the Savoldi some. Um, he did he was just good heart. Wherever, yeah, just whatever he could get. Hey, do what you got to do. Yep. Got to do what you got to do. All right, Bam Bam Bigelow's attorney made a $10,000 settlement offer to Larry Sharp over a $21,000 judgment Sharp gained in a breach of contract suit against Bigelow. Sharp had trained Bigelow for free for a percentage of Bigelow's earnings, and since the two had their split, Sharp hadn't got his percentage. Bigelow's attorney told Sharp that Bigelow would work off of the remaining 11000 by working a series of independent bookings for Sharp's WWA, but Sharp refused the offer, and they're going back to court. Could have had the, the Bam Bam Bigelow settlement series. <laughs> Imagine <Yes>. that. <laughs> Okay, so if I remember right, the split was because Bam Bam found out that when he was working New Japan with Larry as his manager, or he realized that Larry was still taking the percentage of his earnings, even though Larry was also getting a honestly inflated sum to work the tour as his manager, too. <laughs> well, that's the way it went, though. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it was right. But that's the way shit like that went. I'm sure Bo had heard stuff like that happening, you know, and like that. Oh, the Monster Factory was the first well-known wrestling school, and that was one of their deals. I mean, they I don't remember what it was they charged, but then they got, you know, the cut of your earnings if you ever made it and for life. But that was for everyone? That wasn't just for Bigelow or other people who trained for free? Everybody. Okay. Yeah. And then Roland did the same thing in California. I don't think anyone ever actually paid Roland the percentage, though. Yeah, I don't either. Um, but. Did anyone pay Vern the percentage? For any real period? I'm sure there were probably some suckers that did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never really heard anybody talk about that. I'm sure there were some suckers that did. I'm pretty sure there were. Flair did. Speaking on Larry, Larry and Dennis Cornelizzo drew a $10,000 house on December 16th in Camden, New Jersey for junkyard dog against Samu. Hey, there's Samu. Working in these days. Uh, Iron Mike Sharp against Jules Stromba plus Jungle Jim McPherson won the WWE Junior title from Johnny Hotbody. So $10,000 house for Larry and Dennis. Not bad. Yeah. And show in 89. That's great. Yeah. I forget. Was there ever a third Jewel Strongbow, or are they only no, this, the original this one, Frank is, Hill? This, this is Frankie Hill. Yes, okay. this is still him. Because he was getting all kinds of dates in the Northeast in this era. Yep. Heavy. Yep. All right, that's close to Tully Blanchard saying he's ready to call it quits on wrestling. Although some speculate he may be in, the, may be in negotiating ploy. Tully is telling friends he has a firm job offer from Coca-Cola to work at marketing. Some speculate whether after all these years of being a wrestling star, whether Blanchard, still one of the better workers around, can settle down to a 9-to-5 job. Tully has to make a decision one way or another by January 1st as to whether he's going to set the job or not. Now, he worked as an independent, he worked an independent show. His a- says asking price was $1,500, which price about the market for most indie shows. All right, Bo, you, were, you promoted shows in 1989. 
Uh, what, what, how does $1,500 rate on the uh, scale oh. of uh, prices? It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Even for a guy like Tony Blanchard. Well, let's go to the inflation calculator, too. Most tickets at the time were like four, five, six dollars, seven dollars. Uh, Ivan was two fifty. Handsome was two fifty. Wahoo was three fifty. Tommy Rich was three fifty. Uh, most everybody off TV was around three hundred fifty bucks. Right. The only exception, uh, like in that era, would be Slaughter when he still had drawing power as on Indies, Slaughter, and he was charging Slaughter, like. What twenty five hundred in that era? Um, yeah, something crazy. <clears throat> what about Karen Von Eric? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he was getting. Um, I'm trying to think. I know of totally working some deals for for half of that in eighty nine and ninety. Well, as we'll uh, get to in a second, this one seems like it's probably a brother rate. Yeah, Nikita yeah. was getting, Nikita was getting five. Garvin yeah. was getting five. Yeah, uh, rock and roll were getting five apiece. But so there you go. So that, that's your scale right there. So tell, yeah, yeah. tell these asking way too much. But anyway, um, he weren't done. North Carolina on December nineteenth, promoted by Chris Love, Apprentice. Some of you may recall back in nineteen eighty three that Love managed Tully and Southwest Championship Wrestling. Show drew a $7,000 house. Dale Wilkes, a trooper in AWA team with Eric Fontaine uh, as the ass. Untouchables. <laughs> the Untouchables. <laughs> not the name for that group, that's for sure. And Ali Bay, the Turk, a veteran whose name Dave hadn't heard in years, is there as the North American champion. Uh, shouldn't any team that Bo- involves Eric Fontaine on a Chris Love show be the Touchables? <laughs> <laughs> but what do you what, what do you know about all about this here? Bert's living in Greensboro, and he's r- trying to open up a territory. Of course, he is. Is is Nelson Royal running it at this point? <laughs> yeah, he, he, well, he's done yeah. by this point. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah but he, now he's done. South Atlantic's getting ready to start in ninety. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bert. Is in Greensboro. Greg for, Price is still running, right? Yeah, yeah. Bobby Fulton's running a lot. Johnny Hunter's uh, still going. Um, Johnny had just passed away the year before, I believe. That's right. That's right. That's or right. maybe this, maybe eighty nine, eighty eight or eighty nine. Okay, but you're right. His son's running, and other people running. There's a lot of independent wrestling in North Carolina. At uh, this time. What about uh, the chief? Is he running? Uh, Jay Eagle. Jay Eagle. Yes. Oh God, Jay's been running since the seventies. So, so you got Jay Eagle going. <laughs> yeah. Um. Plus, there's a group down at the beach running. Uh, there's a group out of Roanoke, just you know, north of that's running. Um. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people running. Everybody's trying to open up a territory at this time. And I don't think Bert ever got TV, which this would be the only place that he never accomplished that. Um, and he's he's only there maybe six eight months before he goes to Kansas, and then he's off to Kansas with with Aaron Fontaine. Yeah, <laughs> yes, which of course reminds us from of 
one of the greatest lines of, in Observer history, which we've talked about on the global shows, and I think we covered the actual <laughs> week at one point. Christopher Love has left, and he took Eric Fontaine with him. <laughs> From South Dakota to Greensboro to Kansas to Dallas to – I don't know if he went to Arkansas or not. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I forgot about City. that. Yeah. That was a for Arkansas. Yeah. Um, Bird, is, Bird had – I don't know how many promotions. I Run, mean, and, and in between those, runs in Memphis, long runs in yeah, Memphis as a manager. Yep. Um, I don't know if he ever ran in Texas. He worked in the office in Texas, but I don't know if he actually had anything to do with running there. He was part of the office in, in yes, Big D, right? <laughs> yeah, he sure was. <laughs> so he had a piece of Big D, is what you're saying. He sure did. <laughs> he, uh, I'm trying to uh, think where else he may, may have ran. And then, of course, you know, he settled down in you know Tennessee and all that stuff, and stayed there pretty much the rest of his life. So he yeah. came to Nashville in '97 and was here till the end yeah so okay so if we're making a rough list it's first dakotas and when was the dakotas 84 84 85 there's got because he'd been working he was working with Blanch, joe blanchard in 83 yeah there's got to yeah. be more we know he's part we just talked about a few weeks uh, ago he's part of the office in some form in wow in 87 oh i forgot about wow uh <laughs> Yeah. He is in Iowa with Dale Edwards at one point. The 85? Maybe. Because there's a, a uh, startup that starts in Iowa in early 85, after the Dakotas. This guy like Jerry Brown, Jules Strombo. They don't have like the Burt guys, but I mean, but that's a startup in Iowa that I remember. That's, that's, he's probably a part of that with, with probably Dale Edwards. Um, he was in Arkansas and moved into Jonesboro, opened up there off of Channel 8, and grew it from Jonesboro, Arkansas, all the way to Evansville, Indiana. Had yeah. a six-night-a-week territory at one time running there. Yeah. Um, talked a guy in Jonesboro that owned a fish restaurant into building him a building in the parking lot that they could run it every week. <laughs> so he didn't have to pay rent on the armory. So the guy built the Jonesboro Sportatorium. Um, he had a rent-to-own sponsor. And what I've heard, this happened everywhere he went. That was the that first picture. place he, the first <laughs> place he went and got was the rent-to-owns. And when he was ready to leave the territory, he would sell all the furniture and everything that he was renting to own to use that money to get out of town. Yes, uh, I, I searched for Eric Fontaine in WrestlingOnNewspapers.com, and we found a uh, found an article with a photo from the Indianapolis run where uh, you have in front of the Tyndall Armory, you've got the Lumberjack. I have no idea who that is. That with, picture of Bert, that was classic. With Bert with the wind <laughs> in his hair behind him, uh, holding his shoulders. With, in it, with his own face. 
Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and Jeff Cohen standing behind uh, Eric Fonte. He's looking, like looking like Mike Myers. <laughs> the uh, Burke was always good to me. He always treated me well. I worked for him on and off. Burke was Burke, you know. Yeah. If you were a wrestling guy, you got. If you were an old carny wrestling guy, you couldn't help but have a special place for Burke. You just loved him because he's a guy uh, who, for all for his faults and his hustles and whatever else. He's a guy who's constantly hustling to make it in wrestling because he loves wrestling, and people get that. Yeah, yes. And, and I'll say this about Burt, too. He helped a lot of people along the way. He really did. He helped a lot of wrestling fans that were good to him, that would fall on hard times. He would do stuff for them and give them money and Christmas presents, and, and he did the same things for the boys that worked for him. He helped their families. So, I mean, he did a lot of good stuff. But, oh, was he a carny all the way through? <laughs> and he was proud of that and wouldn't tell you that. And, you know, he just, uh, there'll never be another guy like that ever in the business, ever, that could just roll into a town in the middle of the night with seven, eight dollars in his pocket. And end up on television and people building arenas for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, got, he got that job with the city of Jackson in like 2015. Yeah. He, to basically do a for that. Yeah. Become the local celebrity, the local sports guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's the, I, anybody listening that promotes, I dare you right now, go get somebody to build you a 400-seat arena. Go get it done. <laughs> see see how that works out for you. And, well, that's, that's I mean, kind of like uh, Teddy Hart, maybe on a bigger scale. But, uh, <laughs> Teddy can move to a new city with uh, $5 in his pocket. And <laughs> a week later, he has a hot girlfriend and uh, a Jaguar. <laughs> Living in a house, got a he's ring set up in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, they're talented hustlers. But the main thing we main thing we want to talk about here is uh, O'Connor Tully Blanchard working for Coke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> burying the lead here. That, uh, Tully working for Coke. Uh, the the jokes write themselves, but uh, I bet you guys didn't know that uh, he was not the only wrestling personality that flirted with a career in soft drink marketing. Really? Would you Would you like to hear a couple of the others? Sure, uh, absolutely. I'm intrigued. So, that uh, even Bo didn't know this. Oh. Former Kansas City announcer Rick Stewart. Oh, Jesus. Tried his hand at marketing for a time, because let's face it, anything was easier to sell than Central States wrestling. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> Rick Stewart got a gig. <laughs> Rick got a gig with Stewart's Cream Soda, appropriately enough, <laughs> pitching the rather wistful slogan of "Nothing takes you back to childhood like a mouthful of Stewart's Cream." <laughs> uh, next up, our old friend Victor Quinones. What are the odds? Good night, was everybody. a shrewd marketer, <laughs> a shrewd marketer of wrestling talent, 
but had a similarly rocky transition to the soft drink business after being hired to promote squirt. (laughs) Don't get ahead of me. His suggested tagline as follows. A good time with the guys may start with a beer, but it always ends with a squirt. And finally, what's next? You're going to say that Jose Gonzalez promoted Diet Slice? (laughs) (laughs) That's good, Bix. But uh, (laughs) in fact, Buck Zumhoff, prominent Midwesterner that he is, was was tapped to revitalize the venerable Dad's Root Beer brand and really target that elusive teen demographic. No. It It turned out... Buck did not quite have his finger on the pulse of America's youth. (laughs) His rejected slogan was, go ahead, try the others. At the end of the day, I'm sure you'll agree, nothing tastes quite like dad's. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Oh, my goodness. Um... Yeah, and and here I'm waiting to unleash my joke about how there used to be a time where WWE was leaking cocaine death <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there really was a famous former Crockett wrestler working in marketing for coke at this time <laughs> 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 I'm Rogers <laughs> so did he get him the job that t- I don't know I don't know Oh my God! Would oh. he? But would he have gotten the Dick Murdoch deal? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, he just where is he? Oh, instead of going to bars and asking people if they've tried Clores, he's just like he's going into Burger Kings and just. <laughs> Hi, I'm fan- I'm Tommy Rogers of the Fantastics. Have you tried Coca-Cola? <laughs> have you tried the leading brand already? Oh man. There's another carny job. How did Murdoch get a truck? <laughs> Where they give him a truck and money just to drive around the Rockies and get smashed all day? I mean, it was literally just he goes to the bar, slaps a dude on the back, and says, "Hey, have you tried cores?" Right? <laughs> Let me buy you. I mean, his job is being Dick Murdoch. That's his job. Yeah. Who hasn't tried Coors in Colorado is what I want to know. Oh, oh, I just found something interesting from the Wichita Eagle uh, about a year after this. Eric Fontaine was the co-owner of Universal Wrestling with the old Bert. I'm shocked. Shocking. Shocking. Is that community property? (laughs) Oh, my God. And here we go. He's got a theater being refurbished for him. Love said $15,000 had been spent to get the building up and running again. doesn't say he spent it. Uh, no. Spend it? He didn't spend a dime. Uh, he took his uh, little photo book into town and went to... And got to oh, talk. we're just saying that now, huh? <laughs> he had talent that he could show off. That, yes, and to the right people, to investors who would find them marketable. Investors, yeah. this is who yeah. I would bring right here to this town. Got ten grand. He was he was marketing his way. Yes, yes. Okay, I don't think that these uh, clippings I'm seeing in the sports <laughs> section that talk about an Eric Fontaine involved in boys doubles is the right one, but who knows? Oh, 
But anyway, let's move on to another If you keep setting O'Connor up, he's not going to stop. <laughs> well, we, we got well, we're, wait, we're going to the next section. What, what, uh, do you think that, what do you think that Chris Love and Eric Fontaine were referring to if they said that they were wanting to bring in the Turk? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It sounded funny. Well, you know what? Well, I think they were... <laughs> More likely to go Greek than uh, go Turk. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go. To, uh... <laughs> let's go to let's go to this other topic. Yes, yeah, so let's go to a much uh... a, a much more uh, sedate story. <laughs> let's talk about Randall Brown pretending to be kidnapped. <laughs> Matt, watch. No report is this in Riverdale, Georgia Police Department. And the mission continues concerning the self-alleged kidnapping of Atlanta TV wrestling personality Randall Brown. But a number of insiders believe the whole story was concocted by Brown, who denies the hoax. Last week's Matt Watch included the report on the made by Brown who that he was abducted, beaten, bound, and kidnapped after the December 10th Slamorama wrestling show at the Cobb County Civic Center in Marietta. Brown alleges he was held hostage for two days and deposited by a waste dump on December 12th. But, I thought Riverdale, Georgia was a waste dump. But police in Riverdale, where a complaint was said to have been filed, report no investigation. If you've been to Riverdale, you know what I mean. At least three insiders close to the Southern Championship Wrestling Promotion believe that Randall Brown is making the claim as a publicity stunt. An anonymous caller to Matt Watch on December 19th said, It's real funny that his wrists were shaped perfectly. Where the ropes were supposed to have burned the hair from the, his arms and his face was bruised. Possibly carpet burns. Please spell the name right. Randall. R-A-N-D-A-L-L Brown. Oh, I wonder who left that answering machine message uh, <laughs> for old Steve there. Um, okay, wait. Three insiders close to Southern Championship Wrestling promotion. Those would be uh, JP, BB, <laughs> And, uh, is, and also is JB still part of it too? I mean, it's possible, but uh, Randall Brown, we talked about this story on, on that week that we, we covered that week uh, a while back. Um, he was a guy that <clears throat> he was part of Blackwell's group. He got pissed off, left the group, he was with Bonnie on Channel 36. This is while Joe's in the NWA. Was with Bonnie as a co-host. Got fired. They decided that he was going to start up his own wrestling block on a rival station to go against Joe head-to-head, or Bonnie head-to-head, and got heat that way. So this all happens. Nothing really comes out of this, but here's one thing I did not know when I put the notes together. Bo and O'Connor knew Randall Brown and in eras <laughs> after this. And they have heard this story or version, different versions of this story. So, Bo, I'll throw to you first. What, what do you remember hearing about with this story? I've heard seven or eight versions of this story. <laughs> I had never heard it until one year, the Mobile Reunion. And Gulf Coast Reunion, yeah. Yeah, the Gulf Coast Reunion, and it's me and Charlie Smith and uh, Jimmy Powell and Bobby Simmons and some other people in a room, 
And Randall comes in and sits down on the uh, sits down there on the the dresser, and Charlie Smith starts giving him all kinds of grief about you been kidnapped lately. What? <laughs> 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 Never find out who did it, sir. So <laughs> he goes into the story, and we're all sitting in there looking at each other, like, what in the world? I never had heard it. So after Randall tells it and goes out of the room, everybody else goes, You notice he added this this year, and he took this away, and he added that, and they, you know, <laughs> they're dissecting it. After he gets, after he finished telling the story, Charlie Smith said, Sir. You're full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) But he held to his guns till the end that he was kidnapped and, you know, all all this stuff happened to him. But there was no ransom. There was no, there's no outcome of it. There's nothing. They held two days and then they threw him out by the dumpsters down in the county. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's. And he never filed a police report. There's yeah. no band. There's nothing. So you had to see who the people were. So I don't know. Well, well Connor, you, you knew him a different way. <laughs> yeah. So and I, I'll say this. Uh, apparently there was uh, an alternate version in which he was dropped out of a helicopter. <laughs> which, uh, Michael Michael Bikikio of High Spots reminded me of. But uh, so, yeah, so I I didn't know he was kidnapped by uh, oh god what's the guy's name Pinochet? <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, Randall was DB Cooper uh, all along. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I I knew Randall through High Spots. Uh, if you bought a ring from High Spots before, I think it was 2016, Randall passed away. Uh, but if you bought a High Spots ring before that, it was probably built and delivered by Randall Brown. And uh, we got Rob Bahari and I, and uh, Bahari <laughs> made me promise to uh, to share this with you. So uh, keep that in mind. But uh we we spent quite a bit of time with Randall. Um, I even actually wrestled on a show that he promoted in North oh. Carolina, then hung out in a bar that he claimed to own. Which I cannot <laughs> speak to the uh, the veracity of that, but uh, that, being in that bar was uh, perhaps as close to deliverance as I've ever come. And, uh, I mean that in the cinematic sense, not what? the biblical sense. What what happened? What town? Oh my God! It was, uh, it was out on the coast. I know that. I can probably look it up, but uh, it was uh, out on the coast of North Carolina. But uh-huh. uh, <laughs> Randall, he he was like a character out of a Southern Gothic novel. He, at least when I knew him, he walked with a cane. He carried a gun everywhere he went. Uh, except when he had to check it at the Canadian border to deliver a ring from Matt Rats, which was uh, <laughs> the thing that happened. But uh, yeah, he was a, a first-class raconteur. <clears throat> you can't take that away from him. Um, as uh, Jason Isbell said, a southern man tells better jokes, which I'll probably <laughs> yes. prove in a second when I attempt to, <laughs> to retell 
Randall's favorite joke, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say Randall was a lot like uh, George South. Uh, perhaps if George had never been saved by the Lord. <laughs> but uh, George, as as we talked about before we went on the air, George uh, hated the fact that Randall always claimed to have been one of the assassins. Which... <laughs> and one of the interns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any heavy set man in a mask that uh, wrestled anywhere in the Southeast. Uh, Randall, perhaps, was one of them. But, uh, <laughs> yes, as, as Bo noted, there's no documented evidence that Randall ever wrestled anywhere, but uh, he claimed to have had a career in the business. But, uh, as I alluded to, Randall loved to tell jokes, or uh, what I hope were jokes, because he always sold them to us as real-life occurrences. And uh, our friend Rob Bahari, Rob Viper, he insisted I retell Randall's favorite joke that he shared with us. So uh, bear with me. Bahari remembered this one better than I did. And uh, Bo may or may not have heard this before. Uh, so yes, blame, blame Rob Bahari for this. <laughs> the, the gist of it was Randall had a friend that talked him into going on a double date. Oh, the, no. friend, <laughs> the, friend, the friend really wanted to get with this attractive girl, and the girl had a friend that was in need of some male attention. So Randall's job was to take one for the team, show interest in this other girl. So they all meet up at the beach, and Randall's friend has this beautiful date. And Randall's date isn't bad-looking either, but there is one catch his friend hadn't mentioned uh, the girl is in a wheelchair as she has no arms and no legs. Oh, my goodness. So they're, they're all hanging out on the <laughs> beach. Things are going all right. But by the end of the night, Randall's friend and his date slip away to have a little alone time, leaving poor Randall to his own devices with this girl he just met with no arms and no legs. So things are a little awkward. Randall's having to push her around in her chair. But then Randall notices a swing set on the beach facing the ocean, very romantic. So Randall, being a gentleman, offers to lift the girl out of her chair and place her on the swing. How? Of course, one, one wonders joke, how Nick. she <laughs> one wonders how she stayed on the swing without any arms. But uh, <laughs> hey, it's not my joke. It's a joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's very elaborate too for what's supposed to be a joke, but yes. Yes. So so this breaks the ice a little bit. They get to talking and the girl confides in Randall that she's had a hard life because of her handicap. She hasn't really dated much, and most importantly, she's never had sex with a man. And to be quite frank, she really just wants to get fucked. Just once. And of course, Randall finds himself moved by this. So he thinks it over, sidles up to the swing, scoops the girl up in his arms, then carries her over to the water, drops her in and says, now you're fucked. <laughs> oh, God. That's oh, very... Man. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Took a turn. He hit, hit, hit you right over the head. 
There's two versions to that story. I'll tell the other one <laughs> off the air. <laughs> I've heard a, a version similar to that for, but not like that. But I've heard of a version similar to that. You're saying the it's same not punch a true line. story, Chris. No, same, <laughs> the same the same punchline. Yes. Oh my God! Wow. That's why they. That's why they dropped him off down by the dumpsters. They'd heard enough of his story. <laughs> yeah, now you see why he was kidnapped. <laughs> Mr. Donnie had enough of his shit in the Sunday He was the catalyst for Mr. Donnie getting sober. <laughs> he was sick of this shit. <laughs> All right, well, let's get some some good news here. Let's get in some heartwarming news as we stay with Matt Watch and stay in the lovely Peach State of Georgia. Bob Eubanks or Chuck Woolery would call it a love match, and it even involves a ring. NW com- commentator Joe Pedicino and Atlanta TV host Bonnie Blackstone became engaged on December the 20th. The former Pro Wrestling This Week host, prior to a WBEU TV Superstars of Wrestling Christmas party in the Georgia capital, tentative plans uh, call for a fall 1990 wedding. Early reports that Michael Hayes will sing at the ceremony are exaggerated. <laughs> I mean, if he's invited no. anyway, he'll probably still do that. <laughs> but, hey. but yes, Michael sung Tom's wedding. <laughs> he's singing anybody's wedding if he's, yeah. if he's there. But uh, he, he may not have performed at the ceremony, but uh, he did. He did give Bonnie a hell of a shower, from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> you think uh, Olu Oliami sent a uh, crockpot or something? <laughs> well, when they got married, I mean that's the time where Joe is really starting to. Get going on this yeah. stuff, on the on the global stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's what Ololiemi is still a thing. Because they get married in 1990. Honeymoon in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, perhaps. But <laughs> I think that I, <laughs> I think though, here's the thing. I think that Joe and Bonnie actually getting married kind of killed the whole show. You know, in a way, because <clears throat> nobody knew. On that, if you watch television, you didn't know that they were an item. Hmm. You just didn't know. I mean, because they had the chemistry on the air and stuff, and they played off each other. <coughs> Excuse me, but you didn't know. You really couldn't gather that. Now Joe's not there at this time. He's in working for Turner, so he's off TV. He comes back, and everybody knows it by then that what's going on. They're engaged, and then they're going to get married. So that kind of changed dynamic, and Joe would not host all the time on there after that. I think he knew that that he couldn't do that anymore. So Uncle Sammy became more of a uh, regular-type host with Bonnie in that era, and Joe would do stuff, but it was mainly Uncle Sammy and Bonnie that were the hosts. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. To say the least, to see that, you know, they hear them get engaged and going to be married and stuff and then get married because, I mean, Bonnie was was pretty young, you know, and Joe was old, <laughs> older than her and, and pretty, pretty. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it, Joe it, was Joe. <laughs> I mean, Joe was a you know, big dude and stuff. But 
That's the thing, you know, it's like the, the joke was that Joe booked his own marriage, basically, in a way, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because Bonnie won the contest to be the guest host, would be the, the, the co-host of the thing, and uh, because they had a contest, it would be Joe's co-host in 86, and Bonnie won it, and you, see, you saw why she would win it, mm-hmm. and um, then, of course, they eventually get together, you know, it's like Joe had, had you know, Worked on it and built it up. I mean, I mean, she was Bonnie was of legal age. She was not underage by any means. So, I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about no type of grooming or anything. But uh, <laughs> it is funny how everything ended up. But uh, <clears throat> and they stayed married for uh, up until Joe's death a couple years ago, and uh, which was, you know, they had a you know great marriage and got into all kind of business ventures together and everything and. So yeah, I mean, it worked out in the end. So it was a, it was a great love story, absolutely. And wrestling brought them together. <laughs> See, Bo, wrestling marriages can work. It can. So, <laughs> I mean, you have to be kind of normal by wrestling standards for it to work. <clears throat> yeah. Would you say she was the the Dolly Parton to his Porter Wagner, Bo? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that kind of <laughs> well, in a way, I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's continue. Let's go to Florida, to the PWF, and stay with Matt Watch. <clears throat> this sounds like we're pulling up the Kleenex. The PWF has lost its time period in two key cities because of terrible November ratings. The Orlando cards have again been indefinitely canceled, while the Florida group tries to get on a couple of community cable channels meaning the kiss of death. Yeah, I mean, public access and community access are as good as not having TV. <clears throat> yeah, not good. Although the promotion still ran for another year, year plus. <laughs> Hard to believe Bugsy McGraw and Jumbo Beretta weren't pulling in the rating. <laughs> well, yeah, they lost all their stars by that time. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big deal. So, yeah. All right, well, let's get to the Bo James section of the show. <clears throat> Some breaks on the Continental Wrestling Federation front. This is Dave. Eddie Gilbert wound up acquiring TV rights for the dozen stations that David Woods had his CWF in. How? This gets, conf- this gets confusing. Since Gilbert is still in the contract to the NWA, and he's not going to walk on this contract. Even more confusing is that Missy Hyatt will start as a co-host of the Sunday main event show on TBS starting with the January 2nd taping in Gainesville, Georgia, for airing on January 14th. For a long time, everyone assumed that Gilbert's NWA contract wouldn't be renewed since he's been buried there ever since Ric Flair took over as the booker. However, the NWA didn't give Gilbert a 90-day termination notice this month, which means, in theory, his contract, by the wording, should be automatically renewed for another year. Still, it appears Gilbert will the NWA to get a chance to run his own territory based in Alabama. Polly Dangerously is flying down to Alabama this week to tape wraparounds of a series of 8 to 10 old CWF shows. Shows from last year when Gilbert was booking to build up to a return of the CWF with some of the guys that was there when it, when the thing was planned for February. Uh, when, the, when it was hot, planned for February, excuse me. Uh, Dangerously is trying to put together investors in New York, and we all thought that was a gimmick, to fund the group. <clears throat> if it gets started, Tom Pritchard would be the CWF champion. Dennis Conjure was the last CWF champion. 
and there will be a phantom title change. Austin Idol, Kim Wayne, and Danny Davis also return. <clears throat> there will be negotiations with Rob Russin to sell shows for this group, similar to what Russin did with the AWA, and have the group promote either some or very few shows on its own, depending upon what gets worked out. Gilbert will try to put together a working relationship with other independents and maybe even try to put together a booking agency for independent talent such as Bam Bam Bigelow. But this is all very much still in the formative stages. But Gilbert and Dangerously seem to be looking to this as a challenge to be able to repeat the work they did last year. Let's continue to Matt Watch. Inside sources have told Matt Watch a consortium headed by former CWF and NBA star Paulie Dangerously has gained control of Continental's TV outlets. CWF is still seen on at least seven commercial stations, including the top 50 markets of Birmingham and on the Sunshine Network of Florida. Dangerously met with CWF owner David Woods, who shut down the group after Thanksgiving because of money woes. He said the potential involvement of the former CWF booker, Eddie Gilbert, on the contract in the NWA through February is not known. The TV deal is expected to be the first step of a plan to unite as many as five independent promotions in a new competitive effort. Dangerously was scheduled to be in Montgomery to tape a series of six best of CWF wraparound shows, which will keep, feature key storylines from the Dangerously Gilbert angles of the summer of 88. And Matt Watch also notes that several groups were interested in the CWF territory, including Jerry Jarrett, the NWA, and at least one other independent promoter. And they still could be contenders for the TV slots if the Dangerously deal falters. Uh, all right, Bo, the floor is yours. We'll talk about this. Well, <clears throat> well if you remember the. I believe it was a Patreon that we did talking about David Woods' interview. David Woods thought he was only on eight television stations. <laughs> they say yeah. a dozen here, and we came up with 16 or 17 that we knew of. Yeah. The TV stations that would have the contracts, I would say Jackson, Mississippi, New Orleans, um, Biloxi, those would have been the TV stations that Eddie added when he got the book. Yep. So the contract was probably in his name. The same way the contracts for most of the TV stations under Continental were in Ron West's name because that was Ronnie West's job to go out and get the TVs for Ron Fuller. But there's no way Eddie's got 12 TVs because now Ronnie West is running the North American wrestling in Chattanooga, Birmingham, Huntsville, Tri-Cities, and Knoxville. So that's at least five TV stations right there. So I, who knows how many actual TVs they did have. Where are they getting the ring? Where are they getting the production from? Where are they getting the money from? Where, you know, they're okay, they're trying to get investors, but they're talking about shooting these wraparounds and starting right away. It's all a bluff. <laughs> They're going to go back to 1980, what they did the year early. We know what they did the year early. They heavily papered the towns. <laughs> the houses didn't go up. I mean, they went up in attendance, but they didn't go up in dollars. So they're either looking for a sucker or it's a bluff to get Eddie's contract renewed. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. Because, okay, you got the TV station contracts. You don't own the name. You don't own the the, uh, the tapes. You don't 
David Woods owns all of that still to this day. Well, I guess the idea is Woods would be working with them, but yeah, David Woods is done with wrestling completely at this time. When he shut it down, he was done. Um, and, and in fact, Woods still owes money to Fuller's Golden and Bullets. So the sale never technically was ever finalized or ever went through. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's such a mess. It's such a it's such a mess, and. Who knows what the real story is on all that, other than it's a bluff. Now, what was the list of names that were wanted the territory? <clears throat> were what? Wanted, oh, uh, that Jarrett, wanted at least the TV, yeah. Jarrett, NWA, and one other independent promoter. Jerry Jarrett only wanted Knoxville. Um, he didn't want the territory. He may have been, you know, if he was getting a syndication deal or whatever, he'd have put his TV on there but he wasn't going to run. Jarrett wanted to run Knoxville for years and never could make it happen. Um, so that's the only thing he wanted out there other than maybe the TV time to, um, if they were going to pay him to use it or he could put it on for free and, you know, show it for his syndication sponsorship. Uh, NWA already has TV in all these markets. Yeah. So they don't give a, they don't care. And one other independent promoter, any independent promoter, Burt Prentice is in Greensboro trying to get TV. Anybody would have took that TV if they could have got it. You think it's Ron West? Ronnie's already got it. I know, but it's about going down there. No. To- nope. Because he, he was there in the front office when it died. He knew anything Birmingham and Blow is deader than Kelsey's nuts. Don't touch it. <laughs> Yeah. We'll go Huntsville, uh, Birmingham, just because that was the big town, and that's where the production company was out of, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Tri-Cities, and then try to get Hazard and spot shows in Kentucky and Virginia. No, nobody wanted Montgomery. Nobody wanted Pensacola. Nobody wanted um, Mobile or anything in the southern end. Is it was it was not it was not worth the effort or the time or the money, so it's just the internet. So you, you think it's just a bluff? You think everything's a bluff here, basically? All a bluff to make sure we can't let Eddie, we can't let Eddie get this territory going because he may take some guys that we want to keep that are not happy here. So we renew his contract and we save six. Eight, ten, whatever. What about Paul? What, what, what's Paul's hook then? Trying to get back in there with Eddie. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that being trying to get, being, trying to get a national TV job with Eddie. Um, Continental in 1988, and all of the internet or not internet, but all the sheet coverage that was to get Eddie a booking job for WCW, <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, work work these guys better than anybody (laughs) ever. They'll never. Okay, we'll never see another Randall Brown. We will never see another Burt Prentice. We will never see another duo like Eddie Gilbert and Paul Lee ever again. You mean Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're I mean, you're right. I mean, Paul and Eddie 
I mean, good lord, how many shows have we done and continue to do feature? I mean, these two guys being complete puppet masters for Steve Beverly, Wade Keller, and Dave Meltzer. I just and to this day, I don't think they realize it. Period. I don't think they realize. My God, thirty three, four years ago, we. <laughs> We were spun every which way, and we jumped at our typewriters and typed out every word they told us, and they made a killing off of it. Yeah, I, I just realized something though. One more in the when we're in these uh, consortium stories for a month and a half, aren't is any promotion named other than ICW and the CWFTVs? No. So we're talking about the promotion that Paul is booking and the one and the dead promotion where we know Paul and Eddie can manipulate the owner. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Man, that that is when you work people who think they're smart, it is so easy because they think, well, I'm not a mark. He can't work me. He's actually my friend. He's not working me. Those are the easiest marks to work because they're being told something they think they're not supposed to hear. If you if you were to go out, Chris, what's the show that runs there? Dennis Gale runs Wrestle America. Wrestle America. You go to a Wrestle America show and you hang around near the dressing room entrance, and as the biggest fan comes walking by, go, hey buddy, come here. I ain't supposed to tell you this, but I heard what's going to happen tonight. And you tell him six different finishes that you make up <laughs> out of your head. He's going to believe every word of it, and he's going to go tell other people at ringside. I'm walking tonight, so yeah. People think they're in on it, and then something happens, and they're like, well, damn, they changed it. No, <laughs> that was never the plan to begin with, but they can't see that because they have been told something. They couldn't possibly change it because the guy in the know told me. No, he just lied to you. But you went and reported it to 16 other people sitting over there. Now they're all excited. Now, now, now because stuff changes, they think it changed because of them. They found out we knew, so they changed stuff around. Yet you knew nothing before you went and sat in your seat. <laughs> You've manipulated dozens of people before you ever got your popcorn and sat down. <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing right here they're manipulating a corporate boss jim hurd who knows nothing about the wrestling business who is getting his information from the sheets now he's put a gag order on the people talking to the sheets because he's going to control what's said you think Eddie Gilbert don't know he's not supposed to talk to anybody? Yeah. Jim Hurd has laid down the law. No one's allowed to talk to us. Reported right in Matt Watch in the first segment of this program. The gag order's on. Nobody would talk to us. He's bitching and moaning and complaining because none of the boys are allowed to talk to him. Well, guess what? Eddie said, hey, Steve, come here. They can't know we talk. We can't know it's me and you talking, but here's what's happening in Alabama. Steve runs with it. Now they've worked. They've manipulated the sheets. They've manipulated the front office, and they've also manipulated some of the boys that are calling around going, hey, you heard Eddie and Paul's opening Alabama up. You got their number? 
Hang up the phone, telegraph, telephone, telewrestler. That guy calls. Hey, you got Eddie's number? He's going to start running. So now there's a buzz. So if anybody that's Wade, Dave, Steve connected were to talk to Jerry Stubbs, which I'm I'm just picking their name out because I know Jerry didn't talk to nobody. I'm just saying, whoever. They talked to somebody. Well, what can you tell me about Alabama? Well, Eddie and Paul's got all the contracts on the TV stations, and they got this, this, and this, and they got towns, and they're going to run. They're getting ready to take off. Now they report it again. Now Jim Hurd looks at it again. He's even more manipulated. Holy shit, I got to get him signed to this. Just put him on the road so he ain't got time to talk to us. At the first day of January, we still own him for another year. We can put a plan together to combat what they're doing here. And when is Paul brought back? To NWA? Yeah. Yeah, when in May the May the first was he I mean, he was brought back around the same time Sid came back from injury. So May like May first. In Dothan, Alabama. <laughs> we gotta clear up some space to get Paul a job again. We gotta cut some money. Because if, if these oh, two Rain, left, excuse me, Rainsville, Alabama. Yeah. Even worse. Uh if if these two are left to do what they're planning to do. They can hurt us. Our attendance is already bad. That They had great success last year in towns that we can't draw in. They're going to take over Alabama and Knoxville. We can't, and we're doing good in Knoxville. They're going to kill us deader than Kelsey's doodads. Hire Paul, too. Right now, get it done. They manipulated everybody to get a job. Well, see, the thing with Paul is Paul doesn't get back in until Flair's gone as the booker. As long as Ray Flair was the booker, I mean, right. the chance of Paul coming in was going to be slim and none. But Oli gets think, back in, and Paul's back. Do you think Eddie's not in their ear the whole time? You know, well, Paul, well, Flair and Eddie definitely don't get along. So Eddie is definitely in the ear of Cornette and Jim you know, Sullivan, Jim Hurd. Yeah, playing that game the whole time. Well, Jim, I heard that Flair has resigned. Call Paul. He's waiting to hear from you. He's in Dothan meeting with sponsors right now. <laughs> it's all a game. It's like that whole deal, that, that, that whole fake suspension in 91 that we've gone over. Yes, you know, the Halloween yes. Havoc shit. This, this is why wrestling will never be the same now because everybody has to tell what they know because they can't stand not they want to say it. They want to be the first one to say it. They want to be the first one to put it on social media. They want to be the first one. So they go, you know, who broke that story where they did it in private where their hand prints are not on it. They're free and clear, but they're cashing a check every two weeks guaranteed. Yeah. And now, and now that flares out of as the booker, they're in Jim Hurd's ear of, because Eddie always wanted to be the booker. You need to put me and Paul on that committee. You need to put us in charge of it. Look what we did in Alabama with no money. Look what we did in Alabama with no TV. We grew that territory. Here, you don't believe me? Go back and read. Ask Dave Meltzer. Ask Wade Keller. Ask Steve Beverly. They'll tell you how great success we had. Yeah. I've always wondered, um, you know, if Eddie was still – alive he was alive when the internet was really getting started yes and he had uh soft puppet accounts then 
Yes. Yeah, he was. Well, him, he was in the damn uh, the chats. <laughs> he was in the fucking new, the, the news groups. It was right. CompuServe, apparently, on their. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie was a fu- Eddie was always ahead of the game. If Eddie Gilbert still li- is still alive in '95, when rest of the internet really starts get going heavy and going yeah. to '96, Eddie Eddie would have had a job in one of the big, big promotions. Yeah. He would have gone he to would, rehab. He, he would have gotten out clean. He would. He would have. Yep. He would. He would have had a similar move to like Jeff or Road Dog. Yeah, he sure would. He would have created a buzz online through all the puppet accounts, all the Zabada. He would have made it. You know what they need? Whoever gets Eddie Gilbert's going to win this Monday Night War. Well, don't think don't think that Eddie would have would not have been involved in that USWA Smoky Mountain feud. Oh, well, right. he would I just thought of something too if Eddie was like you know around today or also just like as far as like influence the type of thing he do. We can think of multiple people who got themselves over as creative geniuses by doing every podcast possible and talking about oh. their limited booking experience. Oh my god! <laughs> From Court Bauer to he who shall not be named, who threatened to sue me, and may or may not have been the executive producer of the NWA. But Eddie, Eddie Gilbert, I mean, I mean, we are in awe of him. I was say, I mean, yeah. yes. How can you not be? I mean, he is. He hey, he knew I'm how to ready. maneuver better than just about anybody in the business. I would tell you this. I heard. In 1992 or 1993, I heard Eddie saying Eddie Denny's, saying, just a bunch of people sitting there talking wrestling, and he started talking about the future is this information highway. That's what he called it, the information highway, which I think that was the terminology back then. Yes, information information superhighway. Information superhighway. We all have to worry about that because it's coming. It's coming. You'll be able to get 500 TV channels at your house. And people are sitting there laughing. <laughs> going, what? Is, take another Soma. You know, <laughs> but he was dead on with everything. He saw it coming. Something well, going to, I mean, who was one of Eddie's idols in wrestling? Terry Funk. Yeah. What did Terry Funk say 15 years earlier? Cable television. You know, yeah. Eddie was a genius. He really was. And Paul yeah. and, and, and Paul is too. I yeah. mean, good lord. Look up look look what what he's done his whole career. He's and had his ups a, and downs, but he he's a fucking survivor. Who was a big influence on Jeff Jarrett? Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert. And look how Jeff keeps a check. Coming in, surviving. Yep, he's always yeah. got something. If I finds, he finds a way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the differences though is that Jeff actually does come off as unusually honest for wrestling. Though. He is right. Yeah, he he don't have the paranoia and all the other stuff. But 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 he watched him work. But Jeff's also Jeff was never a guy to work. I mean, to be the newsletter type. You know, guy either that the work the work the and see, but that's Eddie. Though that's where Eddie grew up in, as we said before. Eddie was a a fan fan sheet guy when he was in his early teens. He took yeah. pictures. These are the guys that he grew up with. Paul was part of that. You know, yeah. Dave. You know, all these guys was around back then. You know, you you go back and look at some of those fan fan sheets and just look at the names listed. 
I mean, these are people that would grow up into becoming the influential wrestling fans of the era. I mean, you know? it, like I've said before, because they had the membership list. Just look at the membership list that's at the beginning of those TNT Power Eddie Gilbert fan club newsletters. Yeah, Randy Hales is part of that whole. I mean, there's a bunch of people on there that would become players in wrestling both in and out of the ring. And they knew each other for all those years. That's why I said, you know, I mean, guys like Ken Jugan, even guys like him. I mean, yeah, he had a popular, you know, sheet before, and he become a wrestler like Eddie, you know? And, and here's the thing. Everybody they worked said they 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 cannot possibly be blind to us. They can't be working us because we knew them when they were just like us. Yeah. Guess what? They're not like you anymore. <laughs> they do this for a living. Yeah. Mind manipulation. They have gypsy souls and carnal minds. Yeah. They'll never be people like this ever again. I miss it so much. This was what, this is what was so great about the business. You're on the inside and you're still having to figure out who's working who and how are they doing. <laughs> yep. You That's still right. had to sit there with your back against the wall and watch. And to yep. watch people work. This is why so many people got worked. In the 90s and 2000s, because the people that let them in the business, who ran these wrestling schools, who did let them buy their way into the business, said, come in, be a part of the family. We'll take care of you. Well, their goal in taking care of you was to continue to get every single dollar they could take away from you. <laughs> yeah. Because they sold you your dream. Well, yeah. maybe the WWF would look at you if you had just a little bit better boots and tights. <laughs> Luckily, I know somebody that can get you that stuff. <laughs> make. Yeah. Let me make a phone call to help you out because you're one of mine. Then they come back. I got you on the family deal. Give me four hundred dollars. <laughs> I'll get it taken care of. Oh yes. Okay. Before we move on, I pulled up. This is the latest issue of TNT Power that has a membership roster. This is as of September first, seventy nine. So as I'm scrolling through this, names on here that look familiar include uh, Jeff Berkowitz was what? Just a longtime newsletter reader. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Burke. Yeah. Um. David Chappelle from Nova Scotia would not be the North Carolina fan, right? No, I don't think so. Not the same guy. Jim Cornette. Gary no, Cubetta. Gary Cubetta, yes. Roger Deem. Diane Devine. Norm Dooley. Janie Engel. Janie Engel, who becomes one of the most underrated, powerful people in wrestling in the 90s. Yes. Um, Dr. Jerry Graham, for some reason. <laughs> Randy Hales, Brian Hildebrand, Fred Hornby, Ken Jugan, Donnie Leibel, Pete Lutterberg. Uh, I mean, she's not the same, but still is, is a bulletin correspondent. Eloise Mascoro, uh, Jim Melby, uh, as I scroll down here more, Mark Nolte, Mike O'Hara. Uh, who else do we have here? 
The promoter who Eddie broke in with, Henry Rogers of Malden, Missouri. <laughs> Barry Rose. Uh, George Shire. Almost done here. Lou Thez of Newport News, Virginia. Uh, are we just about done here? Walt Lansky, longtime tape trader. Haruo Yamaguchi of Japan. Uh, Elio Zarlinga, who would work for the Tunnies. And... Uh, a man responsible for things you've heard on Between the Sheets, especially on the Patreon shows, because of his newsletter collection that he traded to Dave Prazak, that Prazak's gotten scanned, Jeff Singer. Yeah, I mean, it, it got a lot of the wrestling influencers of the 80s on that list right there. Right there, right there is the super information highway to the wrestling business in the 80s and 90s, because all of those people are connected to Wade Dave, Steve, somehow. Plan yeah. Put it in one of them's ear, and it's going to get printed. Because they're going to come and they're going to go, Eddie and Paul can't talk to you directly, but they told me, and this is what they said to tell you. But the thing, the thing is, Eddie and Paul, <laughs> it's that deal where they were us. They were like us. That's exactly right. We've known them all their lives. They cannot be working us. That's, 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 the art of working is forever gone because it's not just in the ring. It's in going to the bathroom. It's going to the grocery store. You're working everybody at every step of your day, your life. Everything is a work, and everybody in it is trying to work you, so you have to outwork them. That is not taught anymore. That is not shown anymore. That's not true anymore. So nobody speaks wrestler. Nobody lives wrestler nobody lives carny and not carnival carny wrestling carny and when the word carny is said now it is said kind of with disgust well he's an old carny whereas we're most of us my age and older he's a carny and some bitch i ever met in my life i just love him every bit of it <laughs> because we all are we all survived making a living at this on different levels, because we know how to work people. They don't know how to work now because they just tell everything they know from the front office all the way down. Well, we just we just got to put it out there. We're not, we're this and that. No, you feed them. It's your job to work them. They don't tell you what to do. And you better get smart. Because they're still playing the games. They're still trying to get to positions. They just ain't smart enough to do it now. Because if you're smart, you see it coming. And you can say, hey, bud, hey, old Connor, you better watch Chris. I've seen him and Bix over at Zabadon. They're getting ready to stick it to you, man. <laughs> Not now. Nobody sees it coming. I go in these dressing rooms with these young kids. I, I feel like I can walk up to them go, hey, I'm the wallet inspector. Hand me your wallet. And they'll do it. <laughs> Because they just assume he's got to be telling the truth. He's been around a long time. He's a wrestler like us, just like us. No, we ain't just like you. In the in the mid-2000s, when I was selling more gimmicks in the dressing room than I was selling at the table to the supposed wrestlers, <laughs> I knew we're all in trouble. Yep. Yep. Um I mean, just, and then we'll move on. Just like, think about, like, just really, like, specifically, 
just from that list, if you just go by the people who went into the business, you have people who end up working in the office for WWF, WCW, Smokey, and Jared. Yeah. Yep. So, crazy. Jared Jarrett wants his narrative put out there. He has different ways. And I'll say this. Randy never talked to anybody. Randy Hales is the most secretive cave-faving guy there ever was, still is to this day. But Jerry knew who to get word to. Everybody knew yeah. who to get, how to, hey, I need this to get leaked. Yeah. But, that, but that, by 1990, guys were getting hired, fired, pushes, and everything else by the sheets. Yeah. At least in Atlanta. Because you've got corporate people that ain't smart. They're trying to learn the business by reading what they assume is the Wall Street Journal of Pro Wrestling. Well, that's the Jim. I mean, Jim Hurd and Jack Petra, like we said, are in, in active communications with Steve Beverly. And the reason yeah. why is because and the reason why they're mainly with Steve Beverly is he's legitimate because he actually writes for the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. He's legitimate right. media. And he's a like news director or whatever at the TV station too. Yeah, yeah. So he's legitimate. So yeah, I mean it, it, it's wild. All right, well let's get back. All right, so let's go to Jarrett Promotions, the promotion in some jeopardy is CWA. Jerry Jarrett continues to mainly be concerned about the USWA, which isn't drawing, but Jarrett can make money of selling ads because of his 100 plus station syndication lineup. The gate this past Monday in Memphis of three thousand dollars. Was one of the lowest ever. The CWA show this week contained a lot of USWA clips and Memphis card this week with Jerry Law versus Dustin Rhodes on top. It's practically designed to not draw any fans. When Jarrett met with David Woods about acquiring the rights to the dozen or so TV markets of Woods is now the Funk Continental Wrestling Federation, Jarrett told Woods that he was going to operate everything out of Dallas and would run a big loop with shows in Tennessee and Alabama with a Dallas-based crew. That doesn't bode well for the CWA. Dave's been concerned about the CWA ever since Jeff Jarrett went full-time in Dallas because it's obvious when Jeff quit working CWA shows, that's where his father's priorities were. So here we go, Bo. This is what's supposed to happen in the Jerry Jarrett David Woods meeting. Right, but that ain't true either. (laughs) Jeff was sent to Dallas because that was the priority because that had the syndicated TV. Well, I feel like Jeff a bigger star. I feel like though it was the made Jeff a bigger star. But I feel like that dovetails with what Dave said, in fairness. But yeah. it's, to, it's to make Jeff a bigger star. Yeah. That's the, that's no, the reason. It's, it's to make Jerry more money. Well, that too, but to make Jeff, yeah, but to raise Jeff's name value. Because now Jeff is on nationwide television instead of just working the local Memphis Territory television. But also, like we talked about last week, and you know, what's but, alluded to here... But, just the one of the reasons that their syndicated shows are making so much money for them is that they use the same ad sales company as WCW and they're bundling with WCW a lot of the time. Yes. Go ahead, Bo. It's to make Jerry Jarrett more money. Okay, make Jeff a star. Make him a bigger star. But he ain't letting Jeff leave. No. So it's the it's it's to have a star to make more money for Jerry Jarrett. No, that's the yeah, the end game is definitely more money. 
I mean, obviously, yeah. that that is the end game. <laughs> Jim is not getting more money. Barnett comes to Dallas to sign Jeff for WCW. Jerry Jarrett tells him, no, he's not ready. Go home. It's all about Jerry. There, I have never, I had never really truly understood Jeff and Jerry's relationship until the episode on Jeff's podcast where Jeff explained the story of finding out about Jerry turning down his WCW offer for him as they were riding back on one of the bus rides from Dallas. Right. Business first. Yeah. B- business first. Everything else falls behind. Yeah. Well, let's, so, talk about that show that, let's talk about that show that did $3,500. <laughs> this is from Matt Watch. The, the CWA showed Mr. Coliseum December 11th did $3,500 worth of business for Lawler versus Ricky Morton, believed to be the lowest in Memphis history. Jared has already openly stated he's ready to shut the city down, but Lawler's trying to vainly hold it together. Steve can't help but believe the end is near. Well, here's what drew $3,500. Mike Davis over Frankie the Thumper Lancaster, not Frankie the Thumper O'Connor. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Morton and Todd Morton over GQ Stratus and Mike Sampson, being all babies. Yeah, you know the babies. Bill Dundee over Primetime Brian Lee. 31 over Chris Champion. Master of Pain and the Soul Taker. That's right, Undertaker and uh, uh, Godfather. Over Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantel and Jerry Lawler over Ricky Moore. $3,500 gate. Pro Wrestling History has the uh, co-main tag as Dundee and Tony Anthony. Which, that can't happen because one's a face and one's a heel. That's a weird it's Dundee, one. It's, it's Dundee and Dutch. Yeah, okay. But, the, good, good lord, Bo. $3,500 gate in the Mid-South Coliseum. Jesus. It's, and it's, it's bad. what, 5 and $7 tickets? Yeah. And they're just uh, now really getting the, the, the Lawler heel turn going at this time, too. Four, four, five, and seven. But what's the rent on the building? That Probably, does come uh, out in, during the 91 dispute, eight, doesn't it? Eight percent of the house. Yeah. A flat eight percent of the house. So less than $350 to rent the Mid-South Coliseum because they... Signed that agreement years earlier when they agreed to run their 52 weeks a year. 280 bucks in 1989. $280 to run the Coliseum. They ain't losing no money. Boys ain't making no money. Hell, we ain't even on food, Jerry. (laughs) The Nashville Fairgrounds was, I used to know what the rent was there. It It was next to nothing. Couple hundred bucks, hundred dollars, something like that, and the, and the fairgrounds got the concessions. How much do you think Conrad paid for it over the summer? <laughs> oh, I'd say quite a bit. <laughs> and for the last, record, even adjusted time. for inflation, that two eighty is six hundred sixty one dollars and change. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you know what the rent on the Evansville Coliseum was? Oh, I'm guessing no that idea. was a per ticket deal. No. It was a flat rent signed in 1970. I will run this building 52 weeks a year for life. If you will run, if you will sign this contract, Teeny had a lifetime contract on the building for twenty five dollars. Wow! <laughs> wow! They were still paying twenty five dollars to rent the Evansville Coliseum in the nineties because they had a legal and binding lifetime contract. So what was twenty five dollars and seventy money? 
let's see. 19. So, okay, so 25. What? So put like end of you. When do they stop running Evansville? 96? Yeah, 90, yeah. 96 because yeah. Bert, Bert's in there in 96. Yeah. 90, late 95, actually. Oh, so late 95. Okay, so let's go with, let's just say September 1995. So it, over the course of 25 years, that still only turns into $101 and change. Right. <laughs> what they would have originally made the deal for. So it's actually gone down. Yeah. They, because they're still they, paying $25. They, they were making money in every single town now okay big cities are down guess what spot shows are still going they're keeping the company running nashville's doing well evansville is what it is 350 people a week or so louisville's still good yeah he ain't shut nothing down why did jerry jarrett say i'll shut it down because he puts a panic into everybody working there to make them think, thank God, at least I have a job for now. At least we have a job for right now. Boys, we have to work harder. We got to cut ourselves deeper. We got to get to the towns earlier. We got to sell more tickets. We got to sell more gimmicks. We got to bust our butts. Or we're going to lose the only wrestling job we got left. It's a well, what work. About, what about the TV, you know, the TV change where the, the other five, uh, $1,500 a week to do that television show. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you now, you, for the first half of 1990, basically, you know, the, the rest of the territory is getting a totally different TV show than, than Memphis was. Yeah. They're getting the, that still, hybrid show. Jared's still getting his money. I know, but I'm saying that kind of also feeds into the whole Memphis thing, too, is that he's doing TV totally different everywhere else but memphis even though he's using some clips from that show on the uh, on that uh syndicated deal but now i mean it's a totally different thing you got the dallas memphis mix it's 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 to put a panic into everybody and the tv in dallas the tv in dallas is syndicated everybody will see it that's where we have to make sure that Jeff is there. We have to make sure that Dundee's there. We got to make sure Lawler's there some. We got to make sure this guy's there. Got to make sure this. So that's the best TV to choose from because they can't be there Saturday morning at Channel 5. So to get the best in the other cities, we have to show the best. Okay. The other cities getting that TV are outdrawing Memphis because they're getting true. the best run show. That is true. And Memphis, he has. I was no to add. He like, has Memphis, Memphis in night. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Memphis is paying him to do a television show that he's sending next to nobody to do. That's what. And he's got mention. a build. Yeah. He's got a building that that he's paying next to nothing for. He ain't shutting nothing down. <laughs> he's putting the fear into everybody. And the one, even the fans that read this sheet in Memphis, and there was some, we better start going again on Monday nights because it's getting ready to end. We better start going back. Well, also, he's gearing up to try to make the Dallas Saturday morning tapings even more special and have more of the talent because he's trying to get off the ground to syndicate that show live. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen, but... You know, if he was able to make that work, he's adding this live show to the syndicated package. Right. 
They're yeah. smart. They're so smart. Yeah. They're out there. It's all mind manipulation. That is the art of working that nobody knows how to do anymore. I'd love to know if it was Max Andrews or who or what that made the connection with action media originally. Cause like, I'm sure it would have done fairly well on its own. It's still the survivor of the world-class indication, you know, uh, network and all that. But like, how different is this if they're not kind of picking backing off of WCW's ad sales though? I don't think they're getting Skittles ads and all that. No, but no. they're making some, they're getting them, they're making some money. Well, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Well, let's go to TV. Chris Champion and Dirty White Boy are having their little deal here. And uh, he decides to get up close and personal with one dirty white girl. <laughs> let's go to here the Here we go. <laughs> that's uh that's what oh look out chris champion out here whoa dirty white boy just seen this and chris champion heads back he kissed her room. whoa hey she likes it like, uh, <laughs> she's not all that upset over there holy shit is it very obvious how young she is here <laughs> <laughs> And oh. this is our third year in the business. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Champion forcing himself on a teenager in a TV angle. Interesting. <laughs> oh my God. Keep it going. Hmm. This could be interesting, fans. Oh, Dirty White Boy hasn't even seen it yet. Or Dirty did he? Yeah, he did. He ran them all. Well, he ran them all. TDC, well, he just body slammed from behind him. He knocks him down, covers... Count of three, and that's it. Dirty white boy gets a win. And look at the dirty white girl. Boy, she's still not over what happened out here. And dirty white boy is not happy, let me tell you. Whoa! This is a bunch of garbage! Well, we don't have anything to do with it. We're here! Hey! Hey! Chris Why don't I just give you the queen of the house so you can come and steal everything I own? This ain't right, man. I don't come to your house. I don't come to his house trying to steal nobody's old lady. But you get some long-haired geek coming out here trying to steal my old lady. Uh-uh, baby. I don't play those games. You understand what I'm talking about? And Chris Tibbins, where's the gutless coward at? Huh? At least when I took this hey. man on, he was standing right there in the ring. Hey. Eyeball to eyeball. All I can say, you might better take care of your homework. Look at the smile on her face. What's the... <laughs> Observation from the king. Well, hey, I don't know. Look like you like it. You ain't changed a bit, Lola. You're just a big loud mouth. Likes to stir stuff up. Shut up, woman. Yeah. Hey. Where's Chris Champion at? What's the matter? Have you got enough guts to come out here and face me? Eyeball, eyeball. I don't think so. But let me tell you something, and all the rest of these idiots out here, it ain't over with by a long shot. Chris Champion will answer to the white boy. Well, we'll see about that. The match is coming up. We'll be back here in a moment. Hello, everybody. I'm Dirty Dust Mantel, and on behalf of myself and Texas Dirt, I want to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> Thanks, Dutch. <laughs> 
Is this the week before? Uh... That bullshit. Uh, it's in the same t- era. Because wasn't because that the was week, part. It's the week after. It's week yeah. after. Okay, there you go. Wait. So the wait. So what was the catalyst for the? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. I'll, uh... No, this is the week before. That's what I thought, because I thought the kiss was what led to the fake domestic violence thing. Because that's the 23rd... See, this has got the the syndicated air date. Oh, the 23rd is there the 16th. So, um... Yeah, that... The the WMC was the 23rd. I'm the one that... I'm the one that uploaded it. Uploaded it. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, that's me. So, hmm. yeah, but yeah, that that's uh, that yeah, that's the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Well, I have uh, two observations. I'm sure you do. I was about to throw to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, why am I not surprised that uh, Jerry Lawler's code word for satisfying a female would be homework? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, not even a joke. That's an observation. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I I have to say, watching that clip uh, was uh, hard to take my eyes off that long, flowing, permed hair, the slim waist, the tight, ripped pants, the eyeliner, and a dirty white girl was looking good as well. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean... uh... Yeah, this is going to be a hot angle for long uh, with Chris Champion. Jim does not look much different now. Really? really? Yeah. Well, good for her. Is she on Facebook? If I looked up a Kim Anthony with mutual friends, would. Uh, you Facebook look stalking her now, Bix? <laughs> Have we got to that level now? Wouldn't be the first time we've done this on the show. <laughs> Okay, well, the one that's on the one that's on Facebook, her Facebook photo is of a pet, I think. So, but anyway, so how old was she here? Oh no, there is a photo of her. Yeah, she had not aged that much. He, how old was um, she here? Actually, yes, nineteen. So she started. I mean, she started when she was sixteen. Hmm. the business. Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's starting eighty-seven. Yeah, all so, of eighty-seven. Lady Mystic. Lady Mystic. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, there's other stuff from this show. Two future stars are uh, spotlighted as well in this, as we have an interview with uh, the Master of Pain and the Soul Taker. Let's go to one uh, feature Undertaker and Godfather. Soul Taker's growing out his... Not Soul Taker. Uh, Undertaker's growing out his hair, I see. Hold it, hold it, hold it. <laughs> Let me just get the smell of where Dundee and them guys were out here, out of here, and then you guys can make your interview. Go ahead there now. Calling them Dundee instead of Dundee. <laughs> and Nate the Rat is their manager. <laughs> I'm sure you fit in great with the BSK. Hey, hey. <laughs> There's an old wrestling phrase, make your interview. They didn't say go do a promo. They said go make an interview back then. Mm-hmm. Come here, I got things to say. Master of Pain. You know, the master plan is just about taking full effect. That's what I tell you, you've always claimed to be a smart man. Well, if you're a smart man, don't show up to that arena. Because, brother, you got a whooping coming, 
you got a whooping coming and I'm the one that's going to give it to you. When all the smoke clears and the flames die down, I'm going to be standing over you. You know, you always say, hey, pain, I taught you everything I know. That I know, man. But I, you didn't teach me everything you know. Well, brother, I'm going to give you some lessons in how to teach somebody how to be mean and nasty. Because you sent me away and I lost a few nights sleep, but I put it all together and now I'm fixing to come down on you like there ain't nothing ever been come down on you before. And after that, we're just going to take our way. We're going to go through every name that ever came through the CWA or anywhere else. Tell them about his soul. <laughs> That's right, brother. Well, let me tell you something. The soul takers been going through people left and right. But the soul takers hearing voices. And these voices are telling the soul taker, you're not mean enough. You're not evil enough. I don't know whose voice this is, but it's driving me crazy. And I will do something about it. Dundee, Lawler, Jarrett, it don't matter. You're all going to feel the wrath of the soul taker. There is no law. Hey, that sounds good. That sounds good there, big brother. Boss, what are you doing? Oh, that boss water. Nathaniel, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten about our Christmas chaos there? Have you forgotten the wager we made? And by the way, Max, Mr. Payne here, glad to meet you, brother. Going to look forward to managing. Yes, yes sir. Going to look forward to managing. Have you forgotten about it? I haven't got a thing about you, boss. I've been working out, and I'm ready for you. I want you to get a good shot at gun right there. <laughs> I'm ready for you, Bob. Just because you got an athlete's foot don't make you no stinking athlete. Just remember here. <laughs> yeah, you might as well pout. You might as well whine. Because come Christmas, old soul will be mine, baby. <laughs> Get out of town, clown. Match coming up. Uh, Nature Red going against God the loves Southern Wrestling. Get the contract of the soul taker. That'll be interesting. Coming up at Christmas Chaos. You know how you know that uh, Jerry Jarrett's de-emphasizing, de-emphasizing this tie to the territory? Uh, that the two best, two worst managers in the history of the territory are feuding. <laughs> How dare you talk about boss winners like that? I, it, honestly, for someone who never got to cut promos, that that was surprisingly decent. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Taker phrased his promo better than Magnum T.A. who said, uh, I'm going to come on you like nobody's ever come on you before. Getting on like t real men should do. Uh, I think it's technically, I'm going to come on you like you've never been come on before. Yeah. Don't make any Victor jokes, please. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Promos in Osceola every Friday night and win Arkansas every Saturday night. See? <laughs> Yeah, good old boss. Yeah. All right. Well, the you know we talked about the woes of the Mid-South Coliseum. Dallas ain't doing much better. Fifteenth for the sports world drew just 130 paid. Well, at least it's a dollar a ticket rent there. For Jerry Lawler against Caravan Eric in the main event for the uh, unified titles and the Texas title D unification match. 130 paid. So Lawler's now also the Texas champion, which makes a lot of sense that a world champ would also hold the Texas title. Terrence Garvin, who's the color commentator on the show, uh, threw a charity in the Lawler, using on carry for the pin. Lawler was on Memphis Television the next day with both belts. Did an interview in Tennessee saying he was going to throw the Texas belt down in an outhouse. That was on the Memphis version, not our version. <laughs> Chris Adams with the WDQ Eric Embrace. They brought all over the building in the co-feature. While the promotion sort of tried to get Adams over as a babyface, 
the babyface. The fans cheered for Embry in this match, and Embry and Adams both tried to get the fan support with Embry succeeding. This is after he's arrested for beating Tony or before? Oh, well after. Okay, well that was after. a bit earlier in the year. Okay. Oh, about eight months earlier. Yeah, April. Uh, Jeff Gaylor beat Johnny Rand. P.Y. Chuhai went to a draw with Chico Torres. Kevin Von Erich over Sheik Braddock. Billy Joe Travis over Jimmy Jack Funk. Dustin Rhodes over Gary Young. Chris Adams going to WQ Embry. Matt Bourne and Jeff Jarrett went to a double count with Brian Lee and Robert Fuller. And then Lawler becoming the double champion, beating Carey. Now, on television the next day in Dallas, not only was Embry not even on television, but his name was never mentioned. Suppose he'll be gone at least until the new year. The other major match that Dave talked about, I mean, we talked about with Fuller and Lee, the, the situation there was PYU High ran in, hit Bourne with a chair. The ref ruled that since Fuller and Lee didn't ask for help, the faces went win by a DQ, which USWA would also been a title change. So that was the rematch the next day we had that finish. Billy Joe Travis dressed up as Santa Claus and hit Jeff Jarrett with a garbage can. Soul Takers <laughs> headed in. And Skandar Atbar's trying to sign up Chico Torres. Let's hope uh, Santa Billy was more punctual with the presents than he was with his <laughs> child support payment. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure uh, Bo can imagine Santa Billy here. <laughs> yes, I can. They've killed Dallas. Yes. Because all the stuff is hit the papers about them arguing back and forth between Kevin and it's and out there. That's only and a the thing, thing is, by this point in public. Anytime yes. Kevin was interviewed or anything in the paper, he would say something about it. Okay. And the thing is, is that I mean, Lawler and Carey should should be a big match. How many times they've run in Dallas by this point in time? Oh yeah, they've already. They've had the pay-per-view. They've had all the other matches. They've had all the returns. Yeah, it's it's time for something else. Yeah, and it's 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 sadly it's time for anybody other than Devon Eric to be on top. Well, I mean, Embry proved that point. Yeah, you know? but yeah, it was it's a total mess. I think there's only one way they could have popped this territory at this time. Uh, How is that? If if they'd brought in Carl Stiles and had Chris Adams super kick his eyeball out. Bix was the fact checker for that uh, Tales from the Territories episode, by the way. <laughs> shame, shame on you, Bix. I wasn't a fact checker on Dark Side either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, speaking of Texas, Killer Tim Brooks is independent. Shockingly sold out the Longhorn Bar. 1,600 fans on December the 12th. And he's moving his show to the larger Bronco Bowl in Dallas. Some feel this is a mistake because the bar atmosphere is part of the reason this group is drawing a steady crowd without television. And we don't have results. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't even know what the show was. But, yeah, I mean, that that was in all the newsletters, this story. Was was killer drawing this house? What do you think the the admission price was for these shows? Beer. Uh, I mean, uh, cover charge, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever the cover charge would be. <laughs> okay, so because, according. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Because it's in a bar, so yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so I haven't tried to narrow it down to Dallas yet. But at least, you know, from what's on wrestling data, this is the 38th Lawler carry singles match. And, I mean, when you look, most of the matches are in Dallas. Yeah. It's too much. Way too much. Way too fucking much. I mean, you killed the total novelty of that and everything. No matter what Lawler does promo-wise, you you can't just keep going back to that well. And here's an outlaw across town drawing 1,600 people. They're looking for something new and different. Wait till you hear what Doe drew in Dallas that same weekend. We'll get in that in a minute. <laughs> I mean, also, it's, so, the, it's the bar show atmosphere. It's gonna bring out a different crowd. It's why certain indies these days sometimes draw people that either don't go to indies or <coughs> don't even follow much other wrestling. Because, you know, it becomes more of a thing to do because it's in the context of being a bar show. And for a big part, for a long time, bar shows didn't draw. No. People wouldn't take their family. You can't take their families. You know, it's just a lot of wrestling fans won't go to bars. But these days, that, that, it's a great way to the, go ahead. That's where the gimmick of uh, you get the beer sales, we get the door come from. And they will run a wrestling show in a bar that goes on for five, six hours. <laughs> it's well, the Jay Eagle specialty. <laughs> <laughs> or what I was going to get at, too, you also have bar minimums, too, where basically there's an amount that's stipulated, and it's the bar minimum. If you do more that or more in bar sales, you don't pay rent. Yeah. And that's become increasingly common. You know, I mean, I went to a GCW show earlier this year here in New York City where uh, it seems like bar sales were a little bit light because they were uh, asking fans to patronize the bar. So they hit the bar minimum after intermission. How many beers did you have, Bix? <laughs> Do you realize how much a beer costs at a wrestling show that actually has a liquor license in New York City? <laughs> Even if I did drink. No, I can only. I mean, I can only imagine. It's like going to probably like a, uh, like a football game or something. <laughs> Twenty bucks. A, a, With... a union beer too has to be poured <laughs> by a teamster. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure one of the days we'll get all of the the New York City WrestleCon uh, union stories and all the fun <laughs> yeah. of having to watch was... uh, the union guys set up the tables. I was in the the freight elevator with them. The, the, only one guy was allowed to push the button. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's literally all he could do too. All right, let's go to the AWA. They should have run run the bar shows at this point in time. <laughs> More sources include some of ESPN continue to say that AWA would be dropped after their contract expires in February. Where it has to that the ESPN isn't even interested in dealing with pro wrestling after that date. With so much time and money invested in baseball starting this spring, they don't even have enough time on the air for fringe programming as they consider wrestling. Without ESPN, there's a good chance AWA may not survive the year, although the obituaries for the AWA have been written on a regular basis for the past few years. If the AWA is to fold, expect Larry Zabisco to drop the title at the Tokyo Dome. Well, that adds some new context to that, doesn't it? Hmm. And when did he lose the title? At the Tokyo Dome. February. Well, February. February the 10th. 
but he loses it at the Tokyo Dome. I know, but, but I'm, yeah. yeah, but just what I'm saying. But but when's the AWA contract expire? February. February. Huh. So kind of makes you wonder if they were thinking, "Oh shit, we're done. Let's go get the title off of Larry and go have it go to New Japan." Then New Japan had to pay us a booking fee for the title. But then they get the deal from ESPN. Oh, shit, we got to get the belt back because we got TV again. You know? Yeah. Makes sense. I never thought of this. Makes yeah. sense. And granted, I know he's family, but Vern's also paid Larry six figures to not too much at the time. Yeah, but still. I mean... If they thought they were losing the deal, as Dave's saying here, and expect Tabisco to drop drop the title, but then they get a reprieve, you know? Yeah. We got to get the belt back. And good Lord, AWA was on TV, I think, more in 1990 than they were just any other time once they got back on ESPN. <laughs> yes, in their weird every other week time slot. I mean, AWA was on a good bit on ESPN in 1990. Well, no, no, no. But here's why. Let me get into it. ESPN replaced World Class Legends Monday through Thursday of this week with current AWA tapes. Yeah, there was that too. But um, what was I going to say? But also, I, wait, I realize it's that they they're committed to twenty six shows, but it's not. It doesn't end up being twenty six throughout the whole twelve months, so they end up being on more frequently than they had been. Yeah, but what were you going to say? Didn't that's why I was. Didn't they take the Monday at four o'clock spot? Yes, yes, they did. Yeah. In 90, yes. Yeah. All right, the last taping was on December 16th in Rochester, Minnesota. John Nord returned as Yukon John Nord using the old Moose Cholag gimmick. And Larry Nelson talked about how Nord used to keep bad company like Bruiser Brody. They really said this on television. <laughs> but now he reads the Bible and has turned over a new leaf and is good to get. And we're, what, four <laughs> months removed from Vern saying in the Torch Talk that Bruiser Brody got, probably got what he deserved? <laughs> yes. How, how many combined DUIs do you think there was between John Nord and Larry Nelson? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> See, Ricky Nord, Rice was in it. Nord had the luxury to keep getting them in different cars, though. Yeah. Car a lot. <laughs> Ricky Rice was in as the Unknown Soldier. Baron Von Raschke beat Wayne the Train Bloom in Amateur Rules Match by DQ, and Baron replacing Brad Rangans. If you may know this, but back at the turn of the century, Baron was one hell of an amateur wrestler <laughs> at the University of Nebraska. It's <laughs> good to defend the title against the Unknown Soldier. And went to a double count up, but this unknown soldier took off his mask as soon as the bout started, revealing Masa Saito. Which, if you say Masa Saito at that time, he was very recognizable from his monstrous physique. Then you have Paul Diamond and the trooper, Dale Wilkes. They beat the Destruction Crew. Mike Enos and Wayne the Train Bloom for the tag titles. But it was reversed as they pinned the wrong man. Of course they did. Reversed, I presume, by uh, Commissioner uh, Joe Blanchard. Possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah the, I heard the Baron actually worked Lincoln in Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> I guess Masa Sayu is the original Nick Gage getting jacked in prison for his wrestling comeback. <laughs> Lincoln was Baron's young boy. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm trying to. I know Wade had a full rundown on the torch. 
Um, let me I see if there's anything. Him. Yeah. Is there anything I missed? Yukon uh, John had his axe named Bertha. So there was that. Uh, Red Tyler made his first appearance since disappearing in Calgary. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was there. <laughs> wow. How about that shit? Yeah, okay, so where do where do we think that Stampede got a TV deal that was particularly uh, interested in muscle jobber wimps? <laughs> oh, you'll love this, Bix. The highlight of the show for me, Wade, was chanting Enoki, Enoki from my seat and getting Saito to stop at his tracks and look at my direction in amazement. The look on his face was a classic. What, did Bruce Grummer tell him to do that? <laughs> Someone next to us chanted something to Wayne Bloom concerning his girlfriend by name, which got him to turn around and give a look that said, I'm pretty mad. <laughs> <laughs> and here you go. Here's what Wade said about the Zabisco thing. There's a lot of talk that when Zabisco defends his AWA title, the Egg Dome, and for New Japan on February 10th, he will lose the title and New Japan will buy and keep the belt. So there you go. So. All right. Um, Elsewhere in Minnesota. Yeah. PWA at George's Bar in Fridley, Minnesota on December 19th. Before Pat Tuss of 350 saw Derek Dukes, Jerry Lynn, and Tommy Jammer beat Ricky Rice, Johnny Love, and Blackheart Tom Nash in an elimination tag match. Charlie Norton, Charlie Norton, Charlie Norris beat Beef Burton. And Kevin Castillo beat Wellington Wheatley by DQ in a UWF style matchup that has to be uh wellington wilkins ah yeah yes now there were other matches on this show let's go back to wade uh the opening match had tino romero go to a double count with randy the all-american the lightning kid who's that beat slick steenerson J.D. the animal trainer beat Ravishing Ronnie when, quote, Greg Gagne, unquote, interfered. Actually, Tom Burton under a mask. Lovely Lisa lost by pinfall to Dangerous Denise. <laughs> Not to be confused with Chris Adams' student Dazzling Denise, who broke in around the same time. <laughs> Matt and Brett Derringer beat the new Long Riders. No. Um, and then he goes to the other the Wait, other are the Derringers uh, Magnum Force? Uh, I, I, think, I think they may have been. And, oh, and the commissioner of the PWA is Ray Webby. Oh, so there you go. I, I did not know there was a new Long Riders. Yes. Yeah, so. well, I wonder who that would be since it's not... Well, since one of the versions of Long Riders, one half of it's dead. Yeah. The, the other's in the NWA. Yeah, and where is Ron Bass at this point? Oh, you talk about oh, you talk about uh, Ron Bass is uh, retired from wrestling. Yeah, and of course Bart Bart's yeah. working here wherever. But we talk about the Irwins running the flower shop. I was saying maybe. both. Yeah. yeah. All right, stay with the Minnesota connection. Another group, which is basically a television promotion as opposed to a wrestling house show promotion, had its first taping on December 18th and 19th in Laughlin, Nevada. Tor Burr's Ladies Professional Wrestling Association taped 13 weeks of television, mainly for cable. The shows have already started airing on the MSG cable in Northeast. It'll be airing before the month is out on many other cable stations, including Pacific Sports Network in Northern California, 
and prime ticket in Southern California. Ken Resnick and Sergeant Slaughter do, do the announcing while Brad Rangans does a Know Your Holds segment. Susan Sexton as a heel is the first champion and appearing on the first tapings included Medusa Michelli, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, Big Mo and Little Mo. Big Mo is Reggie Bennett, little Steam Bennett, a Southern California-based bodybuilder who has done some independent wrestling. Okay, and then, of course, Cat LaRue and Misty Blue. Their crew's in. Magnificent Mimi, Candy Devine, and Adrian and Linda Street are there as the mixed tag champions. Sheik Adnano Casey is a heel manager. He did an angle on the last show tape where Casey beats up one of the women and Slaughter made to save the set of a few between the two of them. Shocking. The wrestlers were all to receive uh, $600 per show and traded putting each other over. Supposedly, uh, the next set of tapings in February and March, they would decide who to push and who not to push because everyone was pushed kind of evenly on the first taping. There we go, Pixel. So PWA. Yep. And, you know, I, okay, granted, I don't think I've ever actually seen any flair, but this, for all intents and purposes, is the first attempt at doing a straight, same as the men's, style women's wrestling show on TV. You know, because like... And I used to watch, I watched it fairly regularly. It was entertaining to me. Me too. Like, when it was on in an hour, I could watch. Like, you know, POW was more serious than GLOW, but it was still... It was just a more serious version of GLOW. This is just wrestling. And it was packaged well, you know, for the time. It makes sense that you try to have the hooks, like... Slaughter on commentary and all that. And it you know, it was a well-produced show. You know, they had characters. Like, it it was well done. It just wasn't the right time for something like that to be a success. But how much LPWA did you see at the time? Uh, quite a bit. What did you think of uh, how it was presented? Um, It was different because, you know, it was... Like, I'd seen Glow, and I hated it. Uh, I'd seen Pal when it was on here for a little while. Uh, but the LPWA, it was, it was serious. And like you said, they were trying to make it as they were on the same level as the men, which people of that time were not going to ex- accept that. Um, I was trying to think where it aired at here. It was on uh, the noon time slot, and I'm trying to remember which station had it. Um, so it had to be a weekend, but it was it was on here for a few months. Yeah, I'm about and to then, see where it aired in Atlanta. Um, we may have had it for like six months, and then just went away. I did. I thought it just had, you know, went out of business or whatever. But then I found out years later it lasted longer and. They had did a pay per view. Well, of course. Why didn't I think about why did I, why did I think about this? Here in the Pedicino block, because who's working with LPWA? Yeah, Joe Pedicino. <laughs> so, yeah. Notice here, the second half in 1989, there was a high demand for Sheik Adnan El Casey and Baron Von Rasky. <laughs> yes. yes, it Minnesota, was. Winnipeg, Nevada. <laughs> All right, so you want to know the CW, uh, the, the Channel 69 block at that point when LPWA is on in September? Oh, we got WWF, Rest, WWF Wrestling Challenge leads off the block. 
Pro Wrestling 90, which is like Pro Wrestling this week, but featuring mainly the the uh, Georgia All-Star crew. Worldwide Wrestling, NWA Pro Wrestling. So, yes, you get both Crockett syndicated shows back-to-back. USWA Challenge at midnight. Then you get a 30-minute CWA wrestling show. Then an LPWA show. Then ICW. LPWA is 30 minutes. And then, yes, ICW. Married at 2, 3 in the morning. The final show. And then the Home Shopping Network came on. Then Home Shopping Network, yes. By the way, thank you to the one person who uh, made a point of tweeting that they got the used 2D joke a few weeks ago. Well, who owned the uh, Home Shop Network owned the station, too, basically. Owned uh, that station. Not surprised. Go ahead, Bo. Some guy went to sleep every Saturday night to Vic Steamboat against Tony Atlas. So. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. <laughs> O'Connor, what about LPWA? What What are your thoughts on how, uh, on their on their programming? Oh, speaking well, of uh, Chris Love, by the way. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, and Bagwell. To be honest, I I don't remember it airing in Canada, at least not in Toronto. Um, I mean, maybe it aired at three in the morning, and I wasn't aware of it. But yeah, it if it aired in Toronto, I'm sure I would have watched it. But yeah, I mean, I I saw it in the magazines. Uh, we got Glow here, but I I do not remember LPWA airing up here. Who was the the manager, the black guy, Boogie Wiggy Brown, or what, what was it? Hollywood. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, oh I god, think it was Boogie Brown or Boogaloo Brown? No, it, Boogaloo Brown. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if it's the same guy from the uh, women's championship wrestling tapings, it's Boogaloo Brown. Boogaloo yeah. Brown, yeah. Yes, who on the women's championship wrestling tapings feuded with uh, the Prince of Wrestling, AKI, AKI, AKA the guy who cuts the most offensive promos of that era. If you've ever seen it, <laughs> yes, I the remember. guy who looks like uh, Larry Sweeney's uh, meth addicted father. <laughs> and that there he when, is. When did they put out the uh, they put out the women pro wrestling? VHS, it was tape. Debbie Combs had something to do with that, and that Prince guy was on there, and and uh, he gaffed himself without permission and had no clue of what he was doing. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't remember it, this one. Just bled buckets. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Huh? Yeah, it was a it was a VHS rental. It was World Women's Pro Wrestling WPW. Donna was on it. Debbie. All the girls of that time, a lot of them, that it kind of was a setup of um, LPWA look. So I always, I never asked Debbie about that, but I've always wondered if that was the same people that shot it that would later shoot the LPWA. Hmm. Well, there's sad news from Mount Watch. Sad talk that Red Bastine is having money woes with his West Coast Lucha Libre shows and may not be able to continue beyond the next two weeks of TV shows. Justice has become a popular tape trading item. WWO. No, win. Win, excuse me, win. Sorry. WWO is uh, Tijuana. Later. Yeah, yes. WIN. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I found it. I'll pull it up. Just for those of you who have never heard it, here is. Uh, let me do the screen share, too. I'm assuming this never aired on television anywhere. I'm assuming this was just for home video, but uh, 
Here is the Prince of Wrestling. Out there, shut up and pay attention because I got a lot to talk about. But first, I want to say to all the women out there, stop crying, stop worrying. The Prince has recovered. I'm still looking good. I'm still pretty, baby. Brooke Shields still ain't got nothing on this, baby. Now, as far as those individuals responsible, Boogaloo Brown, you're nothing but a little jive talking spider monkey yeah, running that. around <laughs> the world because President Boda won't give your idiot race South Africa. Why don't you Jesus. grow up brown and do something you're qualified for like shining shoes? Despina <laughs> Mantagas, the Greek bulldike. The last time she was with a man, she was one. As far as I'm concerned, you got a she-freak over here. You got, you got some idiot over here who thinks he's Desmond Tutu from Harlan. And together, these two cycles viciously and without any reason attack me. They split my head open. They, they attack my bodyguard. They attack my number one lady, Charlie Haynes. And does the WCW do a damn thing about it? Hell no. They pat him on the back, tell him they did good. And then they have the nerve and the audacity to ban my bodyguard. What the hell is the conspiracy all about? About. Is it because we're so much better looking than all these bimbos out there? But you know, it really doesn't matter because I'll tell you why. The payback is coming, baby, and the payback is going to be hell and it's going to be one big surprise. And I'm talking all these bitches. They all can bring it on. And I'm talking about Mantegas, Donkey Face, Candy Divine, the Ace of Space Princess Jasmine, Robin Jill Bait Lane. Y'all can come to me and you're all going to fall. And as far as you're concerned, Debbie Combs, you're a 2-bit 35-cent champion with a body and IQ to match it. And you might as well give it up, sweetie, and go back to the hills and sit moonshine with that Valium-addicted alcoholic mother of yours. Because Charlie Haynes and the Prince are going to take the world championship because I do everything very good, if you know what I mean. I don't know. Uh, who would like to explain what he did as that promo ended? He, uh, he he made the uh, Mickey James uh, yeah v like universal cunnilingus. Oh, Connor, did, did, did you write his material? Did you write no, his material? <laughs> a little blue, even for me. God, I think, I, I think Bo should find this guy and book him against the progressive liberal. If you ask me, <laughs> some money in this. <laughs> We'll get back on broadcast TV over the uh, cable. <laughs> yeah, the, the Germans will do. The Germans will eat that up, Bo. <laughs> Drink moonshine with that Valium addicted alcoholic mother. Of you. <laughs> oh my God! That, that's from Debbie's show. That, it was WCW Women's Championship yeah. Wrestle, not WP. <laughs> and that—that's what he's talking about—is where he gaffed himself. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the worst blade job I have ever seen. It's just disgusting. <laughs> On an oh all-girl show, show with a bunch of high rollers and drunks that just lost every dime they had <laughs> when they're watching free. And they're not even in Reno. They're in Laughlin, if it's the same Well, no, if it was the same place, I mean. I found an ad for one of these tapings once, but I forget exactly where it was. Oh, my God. That was amazing. All right, well, let's continue. Brought, and stay with Matt Watch. Broadway, Danny Wolf and Dan Theron are having to delay their planned January premiere of Hollywood heavyweight wrestling. Building problems exist. Negotiations are underway with Hollywood Live, a club across the street from Man's Chinese Theater for February 18th, a day after the annual Cauliflower Alley Club Hall of Fame ceremonies. Hollywood heavyweight wrestling. Yes, I believe considered most notable because one of their few shows that's on tape is, I believe... 
the earliest footage in circulation of Rimsteria. That's correct. Yes. Colibri. Colibri. That's yeah. Correct. It is correct. The hummingbird. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that kills me about this time period is the territories are closing, who, even with pretty high ratings in some places, because they can't sell tickets to their events and they have known talent and everything else. And there's all these people trying to start up a television program. Well, this isn't television. This is just an indie, but. Oh, yeah, I know, but they're. They're all having plans of trying to TV and take off and this uh, alternative to WCW and WWE. The consortium, LPWA, you know, then eventually South Atlantic, Global, UWF, IWF, the other IWF. Yes, mass hysteria. IWA. All right, let's go to Portland. Bix, I did add the link to the notes. Oh. Nothing special. The big wedding on December 16th in Portland. Lou Brown, who used to be Grizzly Smith's tag partner as Kentuckians in the 1960s, was the preacher. And some of the bay faces and heels were in the ring dressed up. Well, you'll see how dressed up they were in a minute. Steve Dahl brought Ginger down the aisle with the wedding march song, and then they stopped the music and started playing Scotty the Body's music. Instead of going to the ring for the wedding, Scotty took the flowers and gave them to Veronica, his valet, and said the wedding was all a hoax and told Ginger she should be more like Veronica, and Ginger was left crying in the ring. Later in the show, as Scotty was wrestling Billy Francis, Steve Dahl asked Francis to step aside and start pounding on Scotty. After a rep bump, Veronica hit Steve with a loaded purse. Ginger jumped in, knocked Veronica down, and jumped on Scotty's back. Veronica then hit Ginger with the purse, and Scotty picked all up. Or superplex, but it's taking him a power drive off the middle ropes, which is the hottest move in the territory in some time, and left Dahl and Ginger Lang. Well, let's go to the clip of the wedding, shall we? And see how this all turned out. Yes, and since everyone can't see this, just a reminder that uh, Veronica is uh, Veronica Lane, Vivacious Veronica, etc. Yes. All right, we're getting ready now for the wedding. The wedding party is assembling out there. The ceremony is about to begin. Quite the pancake makeup job here on Don Cos. <laughs> That's right. He looks like how, like, okay, am I the only one here that ever watched Ink Master? I never watched it. And, like, whenever they would do the live finales, there was always, like, the r- most ridiculous amount of makeup put on the contestants. That's what he looks like here. I mean, he even <laughs> looks like he has lipstick on. And the preacher for this is going to be none other than Luke Brown. He is a preacher, too. Actually, I, w- I almost forgot to mention. Do you guys know what Luke Brown's connection to the territory is? Well, he basically stayed there and homesteaded there. The, yes, but also he, um, growing up, was one of Dutch Savage's best friends. And he was yeah. the one who convinced Dutch Savage to get into wrestling. Yeah. I mean, but they, they, were, they were close enough they considered each other each other's adopted brother. Yeah. So, anyway. Madrill is having a, a fun time with Luke Brown. <laughs> I was going to say, Luke Brown also looks like he shrunk dramatically over the years. Oh, 
Deep Doll looking very happy. Start <laughs> the wedding attire on uh, Ginger. to Jonathan Holiday to be involved here. All right, there's Ginger, along with her, uh, the best man for the wedding, Scott, or Steve Dahl. Steve Dahl is the best man. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring out the groom. Here comes Scotty the Body, the groom, and our wedding ceremony will be getting underway. The big juicer. Well, he's not the big juicer yet. No, he's the a big juicer. <laughs> Cos, give me that microphone, Cos. He's in the now, crow's look, I got some things to say here. Hey, well, give me a camera. Yeah, get a camera on me. Now, Ginger, I gave you a lot of flowers, baby. Of course, took them from Mr. McDougal's yard, but don't worry about it. I gave you a lot of candy, but some other broad gave me the candy, too, and I sung to you. Of course, I didn't mean it when I was. Am airplane tickets to Cancun? I returned them and got the money back. Uh, I'd have, you think I'm stupid enough to marry you? I'd have to be done with it, Carl Stiles. <laughs> <laughs> you know That's what? on the square. You know what? You know what? If I, you know, I couldn't get married. You know why? Because if I got married, I'd have to deprive all these women out here to services a sky to body. But if I was going to get married, though, I tell you what, I'd marry a girl like this. Come on out, Veronica, baby. Come on out. That's right. I'd marry a girl like her. I wouldn't marry a tree trunk cow woman, ugly hussy like you, girl. You nappy looking. You a nappy looking. <laughs> oh! Look at it. <laughs> I fooled all you people. You thought I'd marry a bimbo like her? She's a tram. She's a bimbo from the word go. I wouldn't marry nothing like her. Like I told you, I wouldn't marry nobody because I'm Scotty the Body, the New Jersey stud. And there's too many women that haven't experienced me yet. Come here, baby. That's right. But if I was going to marry someone, she'd look like this. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe what. Santa Scott. I can't believe what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Scotty running off of her like I, a TBS executive. Ginger has been uh, stood up at the altar. So I to don't speak. think that's true. And uh, there goes. Oh my word! I, this is too much. I'm Jonathan Holiday. We'll, we'll be right back. Doing a high five. I, what is <laughs> going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It kind of destroys the illusion, though, to see him wearing a Santa hat while he's also wearing tights, where you can tell that he's Jewish. <laughs> well, he's got his sack <laughs> and his ties. Anyway, the main event of this show saw Billy Jack Haynes and Rip Oliver beat the Grappler and Brian Adams by DQ, and several heels ran in. Beetlejuice beat Al Madrill by DQ and Jonathan Holiday interfered. Jonathan Holiday beat Carl Styles in a match where if Holiday lost, he'd have to kiss the rear end of a pig. <laughs> while the Styles lost, he had to wear a dress in every city for a week. That's the best stipulation I've heard since Loser rides around the ring on a mule. <laughs> well, Carl Styles got to wear a dress, so there's that. After a rep up, Madrill poked Styles in his good eye, and Holiday gave a DDT for the win. 
Holiday Powder styles his face and put him in a dress while Rex King pinned Jonathan Boyd to keep the TV title. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> Carl Stahl's wearing a dress around Jonathan Boyd, huh? <laughs> That's dangerous. Uh, Boyd will be through oh, uh, did I ever meet Carl Styles? No, unfortunately. No, oh, you're lucky. He's friends <laughs> with me on Facebook. Yeah, he's a Carolina boy. <laughs> yeah, he's friends with me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy would be through by the end of the year while DJ Peterson is headed in, which he wasn't. Uh, Grappler and Adams won the tag toss from Dahl and Rex King in Salem on December 14th. Which we have Beetlejuice going to a draw with Scotty, Madrill over Styles, Jeff Warner, JW Storm, the big juicer over Jonathan Boyd by disqualification, and Grappler and Adams winning the titles from the new Southern Rockers. Crowds for spot shows are generally poor, 50 to 100 most nights, but Portland cars still draw several hundred, often more than 1,000. And closing the section, our bar Beetlejuice will be going to trial in January on his rape charge. In theory, hands up copy and play. Mm hmm. So, well, the the one thing I remember about uh, Carl Styles in Portland was he came out to Louisiana Saturday Night by Mel McDaniel. <laughs> he sure did. Which I will note contained the lyric, "Waiting in the front yard, sitting on a log, a single shot rifle, and a one-eyed dog." <laughs> which, if, if that's not the ideal entrance music for a man in bib overalls with one glass eye, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely fit absolutely all right let's close that with the world wrestling federation of slim pickings for our week uh, they had two tv tapings nashville on the 12th they take no holes barred the match which we're on the, the, december 27th for, as part of the pay-per-view with no holes barred the movie Titan officials are predicting between a 2 and 3% buy rate for this package, which sounds overly optimistic to Dave, but it's been hyped too well to flop. The one-match car with Hulk Hogan and Bruce Beefcake against Zeus and Randy Savage in a cage saw the heels come in first. Beefcake came into his music, then Hogan came into his music, but they slammed the cage door on Hogan's head before he got in the cage. Beefcake got doubled up on for a while until Hulk got in and turned the tables. Sherry climbed the cage to give Savage for an object. Something for the cage door, like a bolt or something. But Beefcake got it, used it on Savage, who did a major league juice job. Somehow Beefcake and Savage ended up going over the cage together, leaving Hogan in it with Zeus. Zeus did some choking inside while Savage and Beefcake tried to take the fans' eyes away from what's going, what's not going on inside the ring by continuing to brawl all around the cage. Somehow Beefcake got back in the cage to help Hogan. Hogan did a Superman comeback, body slam, leg drop, one, two, three, Zeus is history. Meanwhile, in Huntsville, Alabama, on December 13th, Andre the Giant and Haku beat Demolition to win the WF Tag Titles. Also, the tapings, Beefcake used his scissors and chopped up one of Rip Martel's sweaters. They said, how did I know that was going to happen? Because they've been doing the things where he's been modeling clothes each week, so they built it up for him to get cut. But um, here you go, Bix. No holes barred the match the movie yes <laughs> but of course why have a merry christmas when you can have a no, christmas that's right um it was an interesting idea you know we you know we did a whole show that's on the patreon it's maybe one of our mm -hmm. more underrated patreon shows where we went over the whole no holds barred saga so we've talked yes. about this some before but 
I mean, it's a taped match combined with the movie to try to sell the movie at a higher price, but also do kind of a pay-per-view. It's a novel enough idea. It seems like it did. It's a hustle. Well, yeah. You know, it's a hustle. Good for them to, you know, have that work for them. I mean, Savage was great in that match. He was oh, bumping God. like a madman, came off the top of the cage. Well, 80, 89 Savage is just insane. Mm-hmm. He's good. At, he's as good in 89 as he ever was. You know? Yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah. And Sherry with him just adds a oh, whole lot. Oh, God. Yes. Mm-hmm. She worked harder than the boys. Yeah. Absolutely. Primetime Wrestling on December 11th drew a 2.9 rating, while American did a 2.2 the day four, which was the second lowest rating of the year. Once again, in the cable ratings, the NWA clearly outdistanced WF again. Primetime the week later drew a 3.0, while American did a 2.8 the day before. So yeah, I mean, NWA's beat them in TV ratings, but they ain't beating them in the houses. No. So that's the problem. All right, Bo. They went to Johnson City on December 11th. We only have three matches uh, listed here for the the uh, lineup. Bolsheviks against the Bushwhackers, Ted DiBiase against Jake the Snake, and Bossman against Dusty. So, uh, were you in attendance for this show? or No way. <laughs> <laughs> Not even for Dusty and Bossman? No. And I, and I, I sent you the... Uh, yeah, you did. I sent you the... the uh, Newspaper ad. Mm-hmm. They stayed home in groves. <laughs> at the it's end of Smoky, at the end of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the Freedom Hall probably had double what the WWF did for this. This was their debut in Johnson City. <clears throat> they had been doing Bristol since '87. They go to. Um, Johnson City, this is their debut. And what was the date on that? I just lost my... The 11th. The 11th. December 3rd, WCW tapes in Bristol, 20 miles away. They did the morning show and the syndicated shows there, plus Sting and Luger, Steiners and Doom, dark matches, and one of the skyscrapers, one of the road warriors. They do an in-house angle. The only time I ever remember them doing it where Luger beats Sting and Sting gets on the microphone and plugs Johnson City for January the 15th Hmm. and pretty much makes the promise he's going to beat Luger in Johnson City. They did an in-house angle knowing the WWF was coming into Johnson City. And then the Dungeons that, TV drew pretty well. Mm-hmm. Oh, the house. Best house they'd had since 88 in the market. And Luger and Sting was advertised as the main event. Dynamic Dudes against Midnight was advertised. Dr. Death against Murdoch was advertised. Then we get there, get the program. And the insert, Blair Oleorn. Against Muda, Dragon Master, and Buzz Sawyer, which turned into be Flair, Arn, and Sting, which was the Power Hour match that people still talk about. And I say it's the match that saved Johnson City in this market for them. 
And the uh, Bristol, the Bristol taping, I don't know if it was before or after center stage, but it was all of them are that week, probably before because it was a Sunday. So center stage would have been a Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. <clears throat> Monday or Tuesday. It, the return of old Lynn Arn with Flair in Bristol, which got yeah. a huge pop because they were, nobody knew they were there. Nobody. Yeah. And when they came out, that place went nuts. So WWF had trouble drawing here other than the first time in with Savage and Hogan. And then they came back and did a TV that was heavily papered. And then they didn't really successful here in the tri cities until after WCW shut down. Yeah. Well, Edmonton, as we get now O'Connor country through, uh, they didn't have a attendance here, but they ran a Northlands Coliseum on December 15th earthquake, Canadian earthquake at this time. Beat Sam Houston, Jimmy Snuka over Haku, Ronnie Pipe over Ravishing Rick Rude, Coco Beware over Conquistador number one, Bushwhackers over the Bolsheviks, and then for the crown, Hacksaw Jim Duggan beat Macho King Randy Savage by disqualification. Have you ever hmm. seen a WWF house show lineup where it's more obvious what were the pre intermission and popcorn matches? <laughs> <laughs> That Bushwhackers Bolshevik match was hot, man. They were putting it near the top <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, I'd say uh, Edmonton drew the short straw with this lineup, but uh, the the Oilers did win the Stanley Cup that year, so there is that. Well, they also were in Montreal that night, so it was a double Canada here. Now, as a uh, Bad News Brown went over Mark Young, Vincent Young, Martel over Beefcake, Heart Foundation went to a draw of the Rockers, Bayface match. Dino Bravo over Tito Santana, Genius over Paul Roma, Jake over DiBiase by DQ, and Mr. Perfect over Hulk Hogan by Countout. Then that same crew with the Hamilton the night before, same results, except BK went over Martel, Genius and Bad News switched to beating Young and Roma, respectively. Do we think that uh, Bad News had a conversation with Mark Young about his appropriation of black culture? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Bad News ever breakdanced as a kid? No. <laughs> no, I do not think so. I think he was too busy doing judo. Yes. So, they're different parts of Canada. So, there's that. All right. Uh, Philadelphia drew 8126 on the 16th. $83,000 house. Second lowest Hogan gate ever in Philly. As a genius beat Paul Roma. Bad News over Mark Young. Bravo over Tito. BKWQ with Martel. Hart Foundation with 20 minute draw with the Rockers, an excellent match. Jake over DiBiase and Perfect over Hogan by count out. <clears throat> Here, the other weekend, dates were nothing special with nothing over 6,000 people, but a car in Dallas this week drew less than Killer Brooks's card a few days earlier, although way more than USWA did. That card that drew less than Killer Brooks's card had Warrior and Andre and Dusty and Boss Man as a double main event. And you're just 1,800 fans. Mm. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. All right. And Titans Dark until December 26th or on Christmas break. All right. Well, let's go to Superstars of Wrestling, where we have uh, three things to talk about here. First off, we leave with Dusty Rhodes, and he's got a new friend that's joining him in the ring. Let's go to the clip. So these are all just going to be back to back to back in the same video? That's right. Okay. 
right there. And that one, he decides to make the cover and gets the three count. Wait a minute, what's happening here? Oh, uh, now wait a minute. Comes. I don't get paid enough money to put up with this, McMahon. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, give us the Christmas spirit, Jesse. The Morgan Ops are in this year. Sapphire. Exactly, full trainer dance fever, I'll tell you that. Okay, so Sapphire's debut, yes. Yes. Dusty at this point is forty-four. Juanita Wright is fifty-five. And it's noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> The the road had to be hard on her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that age, just starting on the road and doing that schedule. Yeah. So, there you go. All right. So next, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, uh, according to Bad News back in the day in interviews on uh, Observer Live and stuff, he asked Vince McMahon not to name her Sapphire. Well, because of the uh, racial content. You know that. Well, you know how that would go. So there you go. Get down. Yeah, he wasn't going to go along with that. All right. So Rick Martell's been modeling clothes. As of course we're building up to that whole thing with boot beefcake. So let's go to the model here, showing off his nice trench coat. This is a regular trench coat. Or, yeah, the rainwear is a different segment, right? Yeah. That so com- that comes, I think, in January. Yes. Obviously, a man for all seasons. This handsome front runner of fashion is prepared for inclement weather. There's people out there actually believe that I need these glasses to look flashy. <laughs> Silly people. Well, first of all, I don't need these glasses to look flashy. Second, when your model, as popular as I am, as in the man as I am, with the flashes and bright lights, you need protection. So, uh, you have beautiful eyes, like mine. You need protection. Oh, absolutely. We know Rick Martel doesn't wear sunglasses to enhance his image. Martel's classic in this. I mean, the, 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 when he started doing this gimmick, I mean, Rip Martel had always been Bayface Rip Martel for all those years. Same guy. Mm-hmm. Him becoming the model just exploded. I mean, he just he came out of nowhere with his charisma and be, ability to be in a heel. Mm-hmm. And I think original model is the best version of the gimmick. Yes. Uh, and Max Dupree has nothing on Lord Alfred, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, but, yeah, Lord After was great at part of this too. <laughs> badly produced though for WWF segment of this era that he's not mic'd up at all. He's mic'd up, but he's the crowd mic is way too much for him. It overpowers him. Yeah, it's it's a little weird, but he, you know, getting the gimmick over. And I feel like cutting his hair was a mistake, too. In a way, yeah, this was a good look. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to Brother Love. And he's with Macho Man, Zeus, and Sherry as they're getting ready to uh, sell that pay-per-view. So let's go to the clip. Well, at least it's a Brother Love segment where they don't have to worry about him trying to carry it for 10 minutes. What do you think the Million Dollar Man is going to give Brother Love for Christmas? It's not going to be! Tire here is great. Happy holiday season. Or a merry Christmas for you, Hulk Hogan, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. We got a deep in a 15 foot steel cage where there is no hole bar. Oh, yeah. How about that? What a Hebner bump there. Yep. There may be no stopping this human wrecking And he doesn't even DQ him for the shove? No. That's not the referee. No, that's not the spot, brother. 
Martin out of spot. What's the name? No holes barred. No holes barred. <laughs> there you go. Hi. Right. Uh, hey, you gotta push that branding. <laughs> Lord. It's the subtlety is what I appreciate. Yes. All right. So, Coliseum Video will be releasing 11 tapes in 1990 as compared with 21 in 1989, with more non-television footage on each tape. Yes, this is the real beginning of the concept of the Coliseum Video exclusive. Mm-hmm. They had existed, but they were not really called to that. No. And you didn't have the Coliseum Video banners at TV or anything. This is when Coliseum Video becomes Coliseum Video. In that sense, yes. And uh, I also wonder how much of the change and the the cutting down the amount of tapes also has to do with Tony Schiavone leaving. Yeah, I'm sure it may have a part of it. Day to day, that was a big part of his job, was producing the Coliseum video releases. Yeah. Which, you know, pre-AEW at least, he has said, you know, on top of just liking working for WWF better and finding it more professional... He loved doing that Coliseum video work. Like, that was his favorite time and his favorite work he did in wrestling. Yeah. Well, he went into his love of producing stuff, so. Mm -hmm. Well, we close with this from Matt Watch. Jason Matera's new Abraxas flick is being produced by the same people who handled his Thunderground film that went straight (laughs) to video cassette. So I would like to note uh, that both of these movies were filmed in Toronto mm-hmm. back when only shitty movies were filmed in Canada. <laughs> so uh, the, the one you mentioned uh, was called, yes, Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. That's right. I uh, looked it up, has a solid 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and the synopsis of the movie... Quote, an alien policeman arrives on Earth to apprehend a renegade of his own race who impregnates a woman with a potentially destructive mutant embryo. <laughs> it's not not uh, Lauren Boebert's mother, if you're wondering. <laughs> but um, some, somehow this thing scored a Jim Belushi cameo. Oops, sorry. And uh, a voice credit from Moses Nimer, the founder of Much Music here in Canada. Oh. And yeah, the, was that, the other... Was that the sock in there? This <laughs> might have been uh, pre-Ed the sock. Oh. But uh, yeah, the, the other movie, Thunderground, I kid you not, uh, is about boxing hobos. <laughs> and co- co-stars Winnipeg's own Donnie Lalonde, the golden boy himself. And oh. I, str- I strongly recommend looking up the truly dismal poster for this movie, which somehow makes Jesse Ventura look like Nasty Ned Brady if he got in on the gas. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, let's take in the trailer for Abraxas, shall we? Why not? An adventure across space and time. This is Penal Planet Terranus 7. We confirm the escape of Secundus. If he mates, the Kometer will be born. The boy may be capable of unconsciously computing the anti-life equation. Have you sent a finder after him? I sent a Braxis. He's a cop whose beat spans two galaxies. A Braxis. Can a Braxis stop the renegade? Braxis depends. He's brought Secundus in before. His presence is causing a problem with students. As you believe. son is normal. Two super beings in an all-out fight over one small boy and one large planet Earth. Their fight will decide our fate. Abraxas. You never even see Ventura in the trailer. They never <laughs> even mention his name. Nope. That's amazing. Um, let's Mom see. Mom looked like one. Debbie Gibson. <laughs> what was that, Bob? Mom looked like Debbie Gibson. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one did. Yeah. But Jim Belushi got his face in there. So there yeah, you go. Of course. Lord. Not appear to be a trailer for Thunderground. About Thundercrack. I don't know if there was a trailer for any of the films she did with uh, Fujiwara. <laughs> well, she did a film with Ventura. <laughs> I meant something. All right. Well, that is it for us this week on Between the Sheets. So we definitely uh, <laughs> loved having Bo and O'Connor on. Bo, we'll go with you first to close out. So, uh, What's going on with you as we uh, head to the end of the new year? Old year. Well, I've been on CNN and German TV here lately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you have. The German TV was here two weeks after CNN. As we're recording this, it has not aired yet that I know of. They're supposed to send it to us when it does, so... I'll put that out on social media and everything once we get it. Um, of all places for the German news crew to go, they went to bloody Harlan, Kentucky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they were not impressed. <laughs> and, they were, and they were quite nervous once the people got in the building. <laughs> <laughs> A new experience oh, for them, I'm sure. Yes. Very much culture shock. They had never been to the Appalachian Mountains. So how you learn your first culture of the Appalachians in bloody Harlan. So I told them some documentaries to look up and watch about that a couple of days before, and I think they did, which made them even more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so look for that. Once it comes out, I'll put it out there for everybody to see. Um, Patreon.com slash King of Kingsport. I don't charge these big high prices between the sheets. Mine's only two ninety nine a month. So, and I've got one dropping here. By the time this is out, it'll be up. Uh, talking about CNN, German TV, all the stuff. Uh, how all that happened five years after the first uh, media blitz with me and Dan. And then I've got another one that will be dropping around Christmas with me and Emil J. As two outlaw shows from East Tennessee in 1989 have showed up on YouTube, involving a lot of people that uh, 
I knew and started with, and Emil found them and called me Sunday, and he's like, have you seen this? And I was like, no. So I had to stop everything and go skim through them, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, I have so many questions, because he had watched both of them in full. And I said, save them, we'll record it. <laughs> so that'll be coming out around Christmas on the Patreon. And then Southern States Wrestling YouTube, we have a new weekly program called Southern States Wrestling Legacy. It's all young talent, a lot of them from the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy, some from the School of Morton, some that we found out traveling around. and. Uh, we just started it a couple of weeks ago, so it's a new weekly episode, episodic TV that you can watch on our YouTube at Southern States Wrestling on YouTube. So if you have not liked, subscribe, hit the notification bell, then go on over to the Southern States Wrestling dot uh, Southern States Wrestling Network dot com. Check that out. All the classic events. TVs, we're always adding stuff. We're getting ready to do a major upload to get caught up on the year of 2010 to finish out the year of 2022. And there'll be a lot of great stuff coming up there in 2023. It's only $4.99 a month. And then uh, I'm back wrestling, started back in the spring, late spring, early summer. So you can check out my social media, Twitter at King of Kingsport. Facebook, uh, Pro Wrestler Bo James. I'm always updating there. But January the 8th in Kingsport is our next taping for the Legacy Program. A lot of young, hungry kids. A lot of good stuff going on in my life right now. So I hope there is with everybody else. Awesome. Yes. We uh, hope you have a great uh, holiday season, Bo. And we uh, definitely can't wait to have you back on again in 2023. Good Lord. You and Vix, O'Connor, and everybody listening. I hope everybody has a happy holidays and a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Absolutely. O'Connor, it's your turn now. So uh, close it out as only as you can. All right. Well, yeah, at first I'd like to say it's always uh, an honor to be on with Bo. Uh, as much for the off-air conversations. Oh, yes. What, what, <laughs> what you hear on the air. Oh boy. <laughs> I will I will say this though, Bo. I love you, but uh if I ever see you knocking on my door unannounced on Canadian Thanksgiving, <laughs> I'm heading out the back door and I'm not coming back. So uh, <laughs> keep that in mind. But uh I'll take note of that. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, of course I'm uh, at Ghost of Quinones on Twitter for uh, however long that lasts. <laughs> uh, thankfully, uh, as a backup, uh, Bix helped me sign up for something called Truth Social. So, uh, oh wow, okay. uh, yeah. See what what is it? Uh, my handle there is Kanye underscore Drake Wirtz twenty twenty four. What a ticket! <laughs> let's hope it never comes to that. <laughs> but uh, all right, I, I know what everyone's waiting for. It's been a while. Uh, since we've heard from Okarnak the Magnificent. Yes. And uh, we'll, we'll go very fast here because we've been doing this for 18 hours. So uh, let's well, let's warm up a little bit. I'm a little rusty. So really quickly, let's do a, a rapid fire. What's the difference? Just to, just to get warmed up. 
Okay. All right. So, what's the difference between Jay Lethal and Vern Gagne? The answer no, is Jay Lethal almost killed a confused Minneapolis senior citizen with a suplex. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's the difference between Hulk Hogan and Ricky Martin? That's Ricky Martin. Yes. Living La Vida Loca. Yes. Yeah. The answer, of course, Hulk only gave his nephew one job. <laughs> if you, don't, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't want to know. Ricky Martin nephew. Oh, my God. Moving on. What's the difference between Stan Lane and Joe Biden? Oh. The answer is Joe Biden made a tough decision to pull out for the good of his country. <laughs> All right. If only he knew. That's the, the progressive liberal uh, wrote that one for me. <laughs> All right. I think, uh, I think O'Karnak is ready. All right. Let's see. You know the the bit by now. I don't need to explain. Got mm -hmm. the uh, hermetically sealed envelopes. That's right. All right. Holding the first one up to my forehead. Just have to take my word for it. All right. First answer is Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb. A, a Tennessee guy, I think. Opening the envelope. Ah, describe The Rock's latest movie. Oh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Adam Bong. Oh. I think we're recording this on the day or the day after it came out that apparently he had had someone dummy up some weird projections that to be leaked to Deadline to make it look like Black Adam was successful. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, all right. Speaking of bombs, next envelope. All right. Oh, okay. I think I know uh, where this one's going, but we'll see. I'm getting the very evil AEW personality that carries his teeth in a jar. I'm not repeating all that, but yes. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's open it up. Ah, just as I suspected, who is Jake Roberts? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. Wait till you see Jake on Tales from the Territories. You haven't seen it yet. Him and Jim Ross. <laughs> I can't wait. Power smoking away throughout the whole show. <laughs> uh, you hate this bit. I, I curse you. <laughs> I curse you. May your DNA test reveal your biological father to be Ricky Johnson. <laughs> oh, no. no. No pickup truck for you. <laughs> All right. Next one here. Oh, an interesting one. Got a lot of listeners from California. I'm getting Modesto, Reseda, and Baldwin Park. Modesto, oh, no. Reseda, and Baldwin Park. Ah, all right. What do we got here? Ah, what are the three stages of Jack Cartwheel's hairline? <laughs> <laughs> Reseda and Baldwin Park. You honestly had me really worried when you mentioned Baldwin Park. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try again. Okay. Holding the envelope to my forehead, I'm getting 
Maximum Male Models. Oh, no. Maximum Male Models. How did Bob Ryder reach his credit card limit each month? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. I curse you. I curse you all. (laughs) May you submit your penis for a rating from Mandy Rose and receive a dud. (laughs) By the way, the only rating scale in wrestling where the Japanese don't get more stars. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Last one. Envelope to my forehead. Dark Journey and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Dark Journey and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Name two things being passed around the Mid-South locker room that you didn't want Bill Watts to catch you with. (laughs) Yes! A fine, fine closer there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know, Connor, we definitely uh, can't wait to have you back on again in 2023. Anytime. Oh, man. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, me and Bix will have no guests as we have a uh, – it's the holidays. No, nope. so we... the... that's why. That is why. Yeah, nobody, nobody can follow, follow, nobody yeah. can follow you guys, that's for sure. Plus, we need to do Patreon recording and – yeah, we got stuff going on. But anyway, so next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1996, where we have a Monday Nitro in Macon, Georgia, which I didn't attend. But I hated it. I missed it because it featured the dream match of Lex Luger versus 911 <laughs> <laughs> and other things that happened that night. All right. We have uh, the end of an independent wrestling promotion to talk about, which had strong television. We got USWA, where uh, the NODs run a wild on television, Randy X. I miss South is starting to make some waves. We'll talk about that. And we have uh, okay, we have other stuff here. We got a promotional war in Puerto Rico to talk about, Lucha, it's including uh, some interesting matches there. We have news on Bruiser Bedlam to talk about. Oh, boy. The big big year-end show in Germany for Auto Vance. We have that. We got the Japanese scene uh, going on here. We have one promotion coming to an end, one promotion that's making their way back from being gone, and uh, we got some other other things to talk about as well. Uh, And uh, World Wrestling Federation. We got uh, Monday Night Raw to talk about. We got uh, news on Shotgun Saturday Night. We got an interesting house show in Chicago featuring Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels as a tag team. And we, we got news on Doug Furness's AOL chat. But the media part of the show is ECW, where a lot of stuff you may recognize in a way, but I don't think we went this way with this. As I think we used more of the Observer on the Patreon show talking about this. We have Wayne Keller going through all the issues going on at the time between ECW and their pay-per-view for riders with lots of direct quotes from various people and uh, news on ECW shows as well. The TV shows uh, during the week, the house shows and such, 
But uh, yeah, interesting show next week on Between the Sheets. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of cool stuff here. So uh, and we got, I mean, we got, we, got some, we haven't decided what clips to play yet. So we should have some good clips too. So next week on Between the Sheets should be fun. I think we had some right. stuff on there, but we'll see. Not as in depth, I think, is what this ended up being. But anyway, all right. So that's next week. Bo O'Connor, we thank you again for being on with us. Bix, of course, you're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition, number 74. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back yet again to 1997 as we're in part two of our three-part series of 25 Years of Montreal. And, uh, yeah, this should be quite the show. And I think this one also just covers two weeks again, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm looking here. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have so to play it by year. The last two weeks of November. <laughs> yeah, how we divide this up, and then uh, part three is basically through the rest of the year, and then the Wrestling with Shadows issue. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you know, where we left off at was um, Survivor Series, you know, and uh, all that went on there. 
what and uh, and Brett's post Montreal column in the Calgary Sun, I believe, was what we ended on. Well, now let's go to the Observer. When you look up the term "bait and switch" in your dictionary, there should be a synonym to it: World Wrestling Federation. In the decision to forfeit potential pay per view money, the biggest revenue stream in the company, in favor of television ratings, and probably short term at that. November 24th, Live Raw from Fayetteville, North Carolina, was built around Bret Hart. The same Bret Hart who wasn't there, and based on his own words, will never be there again. Nevertheless, Bezeme, notwithstanding, the WF has drawn two of his strongest ratings of the year, basically due to the wrestler the company has now tried to label as not being worth what they were paying him in the wake of the double-cross finish of Survivor Series. There can be little doubt, based on the quarter hours and logic itself, that the first week's rating came from a combination of curiosity over the finish the night before and a gift from WCW in making the Bret Hart announcement before Raw started, even though WCW drew a better rating in the process. They also created curiosity as what was going to be said on the WS show later that night. Based on quarter hours, there's no question the strength of the November 17th Raw rating was based on curiosity regarding the Vincent Man interview about Bret Hart. And he knew that the plan was originally done to put closure to the Bret Hart issue. Of course, it only fueled the fire among some, but more importantly, it became obvious that after trying a million hotshot ideas and failing almost every time, that WF has finally found something that could move the ratings. All right, refresh my memory. Is Nitro and Raw at the same time? Are they going head to head both hours at this time period? He just said they're not. Did he? I can't remember. What it... He just uh, said oh, yeah, because yeah. the yeah. the bread announcement was before. When Raw. was the was the Vince announcement the first hour, or second hour? The the, pro, the sit down. I don't remember because I'm curious if it went up ahead to head against Nitro. Want me to pull up the torch? I'm pull, I'm going there now. Yeah, I'm getting there because if that's the case, I would have d- definitely held off on uh, doing anything until that happened. Or if this go concurrent. All right, so Vince, the Vince quarter hour. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, it was in two parts. The first part played in, in the quarter hour number two. Head to head against Nitro. Okay. Part two aired in quarter hour number seven, which would be the last quarter, the second last quarter of the show. Interesting. So I would have definitely, you know, programmed against that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, WCW definitely gave them, a, you know, a layup there. And they took advantage of it. That's only WCW could. It's still, it's, it's still amazing how they, how they totally botched this whole thing from beginning to end. It is amazing. A, a big slam dunk. Mm. Oh, one of the biggest slam dunks you could ever have. And just the way you, you fuck it up. It's just amazing to me. Alright, so for the November 24th Raw and newspapers around the country, including USA Today, they listed the main event on that show as being Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. That was the hook. To make sure when the show started, people didn't wise up to the hook. They opened the show with Michaels in an interview claiming he had a secret conversation with Bret, unbeknownst to everyone, including Vince McMahon, and using the term as God is my witness even use the terms like internet and underground dirt sheet and do an interview out of character to make people believe he was shooting and not working in a new blurred environment that he was working under. He said Brett was going to be there and a white limo was shown several times for the remainder of the hour with, with announcers Jim Ross and Jim Cornette 
trying for all they were worth to sell the idea that was Brett in the limo. Of course, you all know the rest of the story. Instead of Brett, they dressed up a mini in a leather jacket and sunglasses, called him Hart, had Michael swim in sharpshooter, and only stuck the mic in his face when the mini said that he submitted, Michael's was the icon, the showstopper, put a WCW sign on his butt, kicked him in the butt out of the ring, and said, go there with the rest of the garbage. Then WF could hide behind the idea that it wasn't the company doing a bait and switch, but Michael's the heel who was lying to the fans, which is what a heel should do. Granted, the humiliating a big star with a skit like that is a standard wrestling gag, but in the past, it's always been done to set up a big grudge match. Usually when it's done, otherwise, it's very talent that has left, such as Billionaire Ted skits. In 96, it's backfired in the face of promotion doing so. No doubt, in this entire, if this entire Brett, Vince, Sean thing had been an angle, it was the best woman man's done in years. There would be tons of money to be made when the Brett, Sean rematches were to take place. Only one problem. They're on the rematches. The match they need to hype people for seeing is Sean versus Ken Shamrock. And how do you think on that television show result in that feeling in your, in your gut? You can't wait to see Sean, uh, Ken beat Sean. No, you want to see a match that the company can't deliver. In this case, the skip was done with the idea of humiliating someone who has signed with the opposition. But if anything, it backfired, only making Brett even more the focal point in WF than when he actually held the title. Whatever the company was theoretically trying to accomplish by doing a double cross in regard to the so-called protection of the company has been made far worse. The focal point of the company, a bigger deal to the company when he held the belt itself, and now a bigger deal than the belt itself, is about the debut on their rival television show. How much time did Michael spend during the show talking about Ken Shamrock, his opponent next pay-per-view? The revenue stream where big money's generated. How much time did the announcer spend hyping that? And other matches on the next pay-per-view. Let's face it. Aside from Slaughter vs. Triple H and Butterbean vs. Mark Merrow, can you name a match on that pay-per-view based on watching a television show? How much time was trying to, spent trying to humiliate Bret Hart? Rit Rude, because he left the company, and actually the skit where Harvey Whippleman playing Rit Rude was hilarious had they dropped it at that point rather than try to run the same gag twice and not being funny and really pathetic the second time. And Jim Neidhart, because of fear he's going to leave the company, because there's another way where WF thought he could get under Bret Hart's skin. The show itself is weird enough. I watched in the last years of the AWA, but it was much super production values, where the emphasis is on burying the wrestlers who had left the company rather than building up what was left. Barrels only made the wrestlers bigger in the promotion itself like it was going down in those days. It looks no different from the outside today. The legitimate bitterness the company appears to have towards Brett, which delivered another strong rating, appears to be taken away from his job promoting wrestling. And the weirdness of the attempts at other symbolism during the show. In particular, Jeff Jarrett complained about Vince. Now filling his contract to the letter trying to create the idea to the fans of people who take Brett's side because of the valid point about not living up to contracts by WF are nothing but whining crybabies. You know, you read this, and then, you know, we have what happens in the December pay review, and where WF is heading. Boy, I tell you, it really cements the case of how important Mike Tyson was to that company being what it would become. This sounds like a dying company. Absolutely. Mike Tyson coming in that company saved, their, saved them. This sounds like 2000 WCW. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike Tyson saved that company. It's just amazing. Think about that. I mean, Austin, being Austin is definitely a part of it. But, I mean, if there's no Mike Tyson to play off of Austin, then you don't have it. Austin's basically Jeff Jarrett in 2000 WCW. I don't know if I'd say that, but I well, get what you're trying to say, I think. <clears throat> he's, he's, I mean, he's the top guy in a company that's dying. I mean, this is ridiculous. 
And I totally forgot about all this. I mean, I remember the, the mini Brett thing. But it, it, advertising Brett versus Sean in the in national newspapers? I didn't remember that or that the mini Neidhart, Whippleman is rude, and the Jarrett thing were all on the same show. All on the same show. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And this is so petty. So very petty. And so anti-doing business. Mm-hmm. I mean, good lord. If they didn't put yeah. the Brett Sean thing in US in USA Today and the other TV listings, you can get away with the it's the heel who promised this thing to a point. But now when you put it in the log lines in the newspapers. And the thing is, you know, and, and, and people want to come at me or say, well, Vin, Vince turning heel is the cat, you know, the big cows. Mike Tyson's the most important part of that. Mm hmm. Vince is not a heel, really, until the Tyson thing. He is, but he isn't. You know, there's no catalyst for him in Austin. Well, the rock, the rock thing first. Well, kind of. But, uh, but Tyson's the real catalyst. You ruined it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just sticks out like a sore thumb here. Yeah, I did not remember at all that this was all one show. And then, about, I mean, and then Sean fucks, fucks his back up. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're going to lose Sean, too. And we have no Tyson? Oh, my God. And Tyson's a major hook in that match. I mean, how much business do you think that Mania match does without Tyson? Not the 700,000 buys or whatever it actually did. Hell fucking no. Hell no. Much like... You know, we've talked about with 1984 and Cindy Lauper, Mike Tyson in 98 is as important, if not bigger. Yes. Wow. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.